Um, I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight, but I want every person here, every person listening to this to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister or brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, the, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. That was of coach Steve Kerr, head coach of the Golden State Warriors, a little earlier tonight. Uh, with me is Dan Aguirre. Before we officially start the show with our music and three hours of Chicago Bears talk and movie talk and having a lot of laughs and so forth, I wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, I think Steve Kerr speaks for millions of Americans uh, regarding this issue of gun violence, whether H.R. 8 is a solution to minimizing the deaths uh, of school children and elderly people uh, and these mass shootings, uh, whether it can help reduce it. I can't speak uh, about that with any expertise, but I can say what millions of Americans are saying Something has to be Dan, done. Dan, how are you? I'm well, and it's so ironic uh, that uh, I don't want to alienate anybody on the other side of the aisle, but I think the point that Steve Kerr was trying to hit home 
was that this is affects all of us. It shouldn't be a divisive type of issue that's, well, because I'm a Republican, I can't empathize with these people. And I'm not saying that that's true for all Republicans, but I, it is true for the elected ones, the ones who called out Mitch McConnell and such. Uh, it would be uh, just a moment that it would be great if we could come together and, and like, it, it's not to say you want to seize all guns. Like I was saying last week, that's the irony because this conversation came up last week and it was quite uncomfortable, I think, for everybody, the listeners, us involved. And um, But because it's so like, you know, you, you want to start fighting and shit. You can't talk and get anything done constructively. So if, if you're for wanting to do something, the other side says, oh, you want to take all my guns. We don't want to do that. But we don't want to sit around the alternative to do nothing. It's like either you do something or you take away everything. There's got to be something in the middle where you have legislation that actually affects things positively without saying that everyone loses their guns. But I think it's so gridlocked now on both sides. But I'm saying both sides, us two on the left, that no, nothing will change. Everything Steve Kerr said was true. Nothing's going to change. We'll do our moment of silence and we'll get on with our lives. That sucks, but I believe that I believe he's right. Yeah, I, I believe he's right, too. And, you know, and Tooch can talk about this when he comes back on, if he wants to pursue this uh, any further. But Tooch last week said this wouldn't happen in Texas because of the gun laws there. It wouldn't happen in Iowa. Well, a month ago at Iowa, at the Taboo Lounge, two people were shot, 12 injured, with the police right outside because they were called for an earlier incident. And today in Texas... This is, I think, the seventh or eighth mass shooting in Texas because they have the, the, the least, they have the most lax laws. Earlier in the year, they eliminated background checks. They, eliminated, they, they reduced the age where you could buy a weapon. On and on. That's a state that Greg Abbott, the governor of California, or excuse me, the governor of Texas tweeted out, I am disappointed that our state of Texas is now second in the purchase of guns behind California. Come on, Texas, step it up. He's encouraging more guns. And as we got into this heated argument, I don't believe that that is the answer. What are you going to do? You know, uh, armed children and teachers, uh, you can't do that. There have to be other solutions to this problem. And and perhaps HR8 is part of the solution. I'm sure it's not a panacea for the issue, but something has to be done because I sat there this afternoon. My wife had a break from work and we're watching CNN when this breaking news thing happened. And she's sitting there bawling her eyes out. And I immediately called my daughter who had just uh, left school asking her if she was all right. I don't want to live like that. You don't want to live like that. Tooch doesn't want to live like that. None of us want to live that way. And I don't think that arming 300 million citizens or uh, 180 million adults in the United States is the answer for this. That's not the country I grew up in. When I was a kid, and Dan, I bet you this was the same for you, we were taught by father, stepfather, older uncle, what have you, how to fight. You get to school, somebody, this is what you do. Keep your dukes up. Move your head around. Boom, boom, boom. That's what we were taught to do to protect ourselves. Now we're telling kids, 
Here's how you holster your weapon. Here's how you load it. Here's how you shoot. That's not that's not the world we want to live in, is it? I mean, Dan, tell me. No. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, with regards to like what you were saying about fighting, it's one of those. I think the way I was told was you better not go. You better not be a bully. You better not be starting shit. But it's okay to defend yourself in the event that that would manifest. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they didn't want me starting shit and being an asshole to other kids, and I'm I'm glad that that was instilled into me. Uh, but with regards to this issue, I just I don't think anything's going to change. I just feel like it's every other thing politically right now. Everything you just said right now, when like you're talking about your wife, I heard that and I thought, wow, what kind of compassion does she have? You know, sitting there crying about people she doesn't even know. And I'm not saying I've never done that, but it's still extraordinary, and that yeah. to me is very positive and. You know, and and not analogous for most people at, at this time, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Most people have a hard time empathizing with other cultures, other races, uh, them, not me. You know, it's like, uh, I'll do it. I'll be like, hey, you fucking right wingers, you know, and then they're like, you live pussies, you know. It's everything is them versus me. Mm -hmm. And because of this culture, uh, if you really want to go back to the start of it, in my opinion, mm -hmm. It, it it's you know you got the rise of Rush Limbaugh in the in the early to mid 90s and then Clinton signs the Telecommunications Act, which allowed all these companies to uh, to buy up the radio stations and see before a major corporation couldn't own like a a major T like Rupert Murdoch couldn't own Fox News and then a bunch of other conglomerates and radio stations and such but now it, that's not the case so you get the same message echoed. You know, through everything, like Tucker Carlson is going to say what Hannity says. And it's just boom, boom, boom. And the people are watching and they just continually, I don't want to say get brainwashed because it sounds condescending, but it, it inspires them to, to be numb. And I'm sure the other network's the same because I know they're going to say, well, what about this? What about that? So with that being the problem, uh, again, not to reiterate the same pessimism but what's going to change mm -hmm. nothing and nothing ever changes and fuck it i'll just be the asshole here in my opinion republicans never and this is elected republicans i'm not talking about santucci mr santucci but republicans have a difficult time ever voting for anything that like let's say dick cheney for instance dick cheney supports gay marriage because his daughter's gay that's it Exactly. If his daughter wasn't a homosexual, he wouldn't give a fuck about any homosexuals. Something has to impact them before they want to do anything. So what in, I'm trying to say is some cases. it'll have to be a Republican's kid that's killed before they want to change. Something. I'm sorry. You're wanting to speak. I, no, I no, no. I just wanted to say in some cases, like uh, uh, Representative Scalise was shot by a uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. He didn't he didn't go out there and say, OK, we need to change gun laws. He recovered from his uh, wounds and, 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 and is still uh, a, a supporter and supported by the NRA. So in some cases, in a lot of cases, I agree with you. In, in my experiences working in corporate America, where I was surrounded by a lot of conservatives, 
that's one of the things that I learned is that, boy, this person doesn't quite get it. But and then when when it was something that happened to them, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I get it now, although blah, blah, blah. And so it, it does appear to be a trait of the conservative mind. Listen, I want to bring Tooch in here. He, the kids are quiet. He's he's sufficiently given them enough medication. Well, can I preface it before you bring him in? Sure, please do. I, I really don't want to argue. I don't want to argue either. I don't want you two to argue. No, I know no, it's, an, it's like putting gas on a fire right now. No, no, I no. hope that we can do this civilly. No, I, I want Tooch to express whatever he has. I'm not even going to challenge him. Uh, I uh, I, uh, Tooch is like a brother to me. I uh, totally understand him. Uh, but at the same time, I get frustrated. I, I yell at my brother the same way I yell at Tooch. And Tooch yells at his kids the same way he yells at me with kindness. Tooch is a much better person than I am. <laughs> I come from a place of love. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, Aaron, Aaron Current says exactly how I feel kind of mm -hmm. right there. You know, mm -hmm. I, I agree. I mean, you, you need a license to drive a car. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I I think you should have. We should have gun licenses. I, I mean, I, I, half of me says, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to use this cliche. God, I, I mean, uh, guns don't kill people. People kill people. You know, we don't have a gun problem. We have a people problem, and part of that is true. I I uh, it, it takes a person to point that gun and destroy a life. You know, I, a gun can't do it by itself. But at the same time, they're too easy to fucking get. You know, they're too easy to get. You, and, and there's a lot of people that shouldn't have them. And I, I don't want to take guns away from the people that are good and that just want to protect their families. You know, uh, like I said, I, I don't want to die on my knees begging for my life in front of my family while we're all executed. You know, I'm going to at least bring a gun to a gunfight. You know, I, I, I'm like Aldo. My dad did the same thing. Put your dukes up. You know, it's the same thing. I had to fight, you know. You know, my dad had uh, uh, helmets for me and my friends and my brothers to my brother to punch each other, boxing gloves and and you know gear, headgear, you mm -hmm. know. So we would know what it was like, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, it, it's not times are different, like you know now. Now, I mean, we'll wait until the next advances in weaponry come around. There's like laser guns and stuff like that. Everyone's gonna <laughs> want one. You know, I mean, Elon test or Elon Musk makes a flamethrower and everybody fucking has to have one. When are you gonna use a flamethrower? Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know? Well, the thing is, uh, Tooch, is that there's technology now available that would basically allow the gun to only function with your handprint or or, or fingerprint or something like yeah. that. Great but point. Conservatives ha have have been trying to or have successfully stopped the production of those guns because they think it's an infringement. Again, you know, you got Republican uh, governors like Greg Abbott in, te in Texas that he wants more gun purchase. He wants to make it as easy as as possible. For the and gun why? Man with that. That's donating to his campaign. Yeah, the NRA is a big time supporter. Exactly. Yeah, so. that, we also have a politician problem, and that the politicians don't care about people. They care about the next. They care about getting elected again and holding on to power more than they do about anything else. This is why, you know, there's, there's terrible problem. They're not trying to do anything about inner city poverty. You know, it's been years. Oh, here, how do we help the, the poor? You know, a country should, is, is, is judged on how they treat the, the poor and the neglected and the elderly in their, in their country. We just don't do a good job of it. Well, so you know, we'd, we'd rather send uh, uh, money for the war machine instead of using it to fix problems, you know, on our streets and in our homes. 
You know, I I, I don't agree with. I don't. I don't that's why I said uh, I'm not Republican. I'm not registered to anything. You know, I I I vote with my heart and my pocketbook. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I, I I I it's hard for me to say. I, I don't even want to read the story. Like I, I only the last time I read the Buffalo story, it didn't have any information, names, how many people, all that stuff. I never went back to it, although because I couldn't. It was too hard. I, and this one too. I can't. I can't even read this story. I can read the headline, and and that'll that's enough to have me depressed for weeks. I will say this about the Buffalo, New York shooting. There was a security guard on the scene. He fired yeah, three shots at the assailant, but the assailant uh, was wearing a tactical gear, and so he was able to survive those shots. And so yeah. something has to be done. Why is there an ordinary citizen walking around with tactical gear in the United States? And if you want to give me the argument that the states have to have militias and so forth, maybe maybe then that's okay, but that stuff should be stored. Uh, like in Israel, people are allowed to own, uh, own guns, but they're stored somewhere. And in, in the event that there is an outbreak of war or something like that, they run to their lockers wherever those are and they unlock them and they get their weapons and they're ready to fucking fight whoever is invading their country. Maybe we yeah, need something well, like that. I don't know what the answers you know, are, but we need wanna, some new thinking. I have a question because uh, I have a daughter who's in kindergarten and one one child at home and I've had to go to the school um, a couple times. I think one time she was sick and threw up in school and everything's locked and you have to be buzzed in between two locked doors. So I mean, I it would be awful hard for somebody to get in, you know, or at least it should be. I mean, uh, uh, armored doors or, or windows we could put in that would stop, you know, gunfire uh, in schools. I, I think that would uh, would be uh, a possible solution. You know, uh, definitely up for background checks. You can't let people who uh, who have mental issues have because they're going to do shit like this. Exactly. You can, you're never going to stop it unless you 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 filter out the the people who should not have guns, you know, and, and it's hard. I don't want to take it. The good guys, there's good guys out there, you know, there's, there's people with good hearts that, that are, are empathetic to uh, suffering. They want to help. They'll give their life for someone else, you know, and those are the heroes that we don't want to, uh, we don't want to disarm them. You know, I, that's a thing. I, I, but yeah, I, I think you should have a license to own well, a gun with a strict I, background check. I'd like to add that I, I watched Fox News for about 45 minutes today to see their coverage on it. And there were a lot of good suggestions. On, on, it was the Jesse Walter show who was used to be Bill yeah. O'Reilly's producer and is now part of the five and does other work. He was right, anchoring right. one of their newscasts tonight. And some of the thing, things that he was saying along with his guests were, you know, we need to know uh, answers to, you know, wh where the doors locked at this school. Um, yeah. How many security officers were there? Now, there's a, a, uh, I learned later that there's essentially three security officers for the entire district. I don't know how many schools there are in that district, but that's an issue. Uh, uh, one of the commentators noted that it looked like there was only a four or five foot fence around the perimeter of the school. That's pretty easy for anybody to jump the fence with a, a loaded gun and, and go to town. Uh, so there are other things besides the removal of guns from citizens' hands that can be done to protect our schools and still not yeah, make yeah. it seem like it's a fortress or, or a prison cell for our children. So 
a lot of discussion needs to be done. A lot of level-headed discussion. More security guards. Why can't they? I mean, there's plenty of people out of work. Yeah, there's you know, plenty of people. schools, uh, public schools in the United States. So maybe they need to find uh, the money to hire three security guards per, per school. school. Yes, depending on the population of the school. I don't know what I it can... is, but go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, I obviously went to a much smaller school than what you did, Aldo. I can't say that about two. I, I don't know where you went to school. Probably, did you go to school in Chicago? No, I grew up in a town called Naperville, Illinois. And my, my graduating mine, uh, to be fair. And the town I went to, the school I went to, we had, you know, uh, you had to go through a gate to come in, you know, a security guard. And then there was one or two in the school and we had metal detectors. Uh, yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying that there was no way a gun could get in, but I felt like in bumfuck nowhere where I grew up, uh, it, it was kind of hard. And that was before Columbine. Mm-hmm. We went through metal detectors in 1996 because a kid shot somebody at the school when I was in elementary school, circa 91. So they installed metal detectors then. BJ says firing squad for those who do mass shootings. And you know what? Uh, 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 yesterday, I would have said that's crazy. We don't want to glorify, you know, justice and so forth. But I read an article today that apparently there's been studies done where the reporting of mass shootings sometimes can stimulate somebody with psychological issues to go out and do something. Like copycatting. Like, copycatting, exactly. So yeah, per, yeah. maybe this uh, individual down in Texas saw th- what happened in Buffalo, New York. He was having psychological problems. He has allegedly he allegedly shot his grandmother before heading to the school, then got to the school and, and shot and killed 18 kids and three adults. Maybe he was doing a copycat because he like this other person allegedly in Buffalo, New York, was having psychological problems too and wanted to take out his hatred of black people. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's uh, complicated, at least more complicated than I can express in words. But if that is the case, that there is this mentality of uh, of people wanting to cop- copy what they see on national news shows, then maybe... Maybe we ought to execute people in public so that way we can erase what, whatever the fuck they're thinking. I hate you need that. You need a deterrent. Words totally out of my mouth, but why, maybe why, we have to look at that. Why? Why should we put this person in and feed them and you know, you know, keep keep them alive with no rent or you know, no you know, and feed them on on the taxpayers' dime? Mm-hmm. You know, Michael it's Diaz just, says it's just like suicide. It goes up when a celebrity commit suicide so uh yeah I, i've heard that too michael ah uh, it's a it's an awful awful way to start the show but i'm glad that i was able to maintain my temper my explosive temper and now we can start the show in earnest and talk chicago bears you guys i, are I right? had to pay 50 bucks to get back on the show folks Dan, you want the last word in here? <laughs> to bring it full circle, please. There's nothing we could add to what Steve Kerr said that was poignant and just right on the fucking money. Yes, it was. All right, everybody. Uh, we got three hours of Bears talk, movie talk, and fun and laughs. We'll uh, bring that to you right after this. Oh. 
Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is... If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen... Dan and Aldo. We're so glad the gun thing uh, went well. You were, you were nervous that I was going to act like an asshole, though, right? <laughs> well, not just you, me. Uh, to any of us, all of us, you just get, you know, so, although I don't want to speak for him, he, he was saying that he's not a Republican, uh, so I don't want to make it seem like he is, but my point is, I was afraid we'd get on our side and, and cheer for our viewpoint and not necessarily hear the other person, and that didn't happen, yeah. and I'm very happy for that, uh, for all of us, not just you know, you can say that, oh, we all like each other, and we do, but I, I can only speak for myself. I know this creates a lot of anxiety for me whenever there's a, you know, bitterness and, and, and just arguing and such. So I'm glad that we didn't do that. And maybe somehow American uh, Americans and, and elected officials can can do something like we did on a much larger scale, if at all possible. I agree. I do believe that there will be a day uh, where – People from diverse uh, beliefs and interests will be able to gather around and at least have civil discussions. I believe that day is uh, ahead of us because if it's not, then doom awaits us. Uh, by the way, at the end of the show, when we start talking about stuff that we've seen, uh, this George Carlin two-part special on oh, Premium God. Oh, yeah. huge side, right? I, no, oh. I haven't. I, that's my. It's I'm dying to sit down with the time to do it because I just saw it flash into my queue. Mm. You know, and I love George Carlin. Yeah, me too. But I got to tell you, I have a little bit of a different feeling towards him now, but I'll share that for the end of the show. Uh, right now, what we want to You have a negative feeling toward George Carlin? Uh, 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 a 
not an overall negative feeling, but a, a negative about some of the things that he did to himself, to his family, and some of the humor that he used. Uh, just quick, uh, quickly, the last part of his career, he became very upset with humankind. And his humor centered around him taking glee over mass shootings, over war, over government corruption. He said, I've removed myself from uh, this mankind, so to speak, and now I just want to see everything fucking blow up. And it was because he was sick, he knew he was dying, and I think he wanted everybody to go down with him, and that's just not cool. Uh, but outside of that, I got a lot of respect for the guy, his brain, his humor, uh, but there's, there's some other things that the, the documentary shares that were, for me at least, perturbing. Um, all right, we got a lot of football to talk about. Uh, yeah, uh, Coach isn't it Hugh. strange that like this is like the, usually a dead period uh, <laughs> for Bears or for NFL, and there's a shit ton of stuff. I've got all these windows up on my screen up above here. And I'm yeah. like, I can't keep up with it. <laughs> There's tons of shit to talk about. What the, is, the, is the chat already already into it? Yeah, the chat's already talking bears and stuff. So, uh, but before we do that, one 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 quick thing before uh, we do that, and it doesn't have to be quick, uh, Dan. But we all want to know about your vacation. Where did you go? What did you do? And did you have a great time? Well, I went to Daytona Beach. Uh, as uh, my goal was to go to a four-day uh, music festival mm -hmm. and we only got two days of it and mm -hmm. that's there's you know fifty thousand people there no exaggeration no. and so it's hard to work your way up front mm -hmm. but here we are well th first off thursday's good there's no there's nothing going on thursday it's just hot it's florida you know mm -hmm. uh but there were no bands that i wanted to see but uh i went with a lady and and, and a friend you know a male friend and uh, so I went on Thursday, I went to bands that they want to see because I was just kind of treading water, pun intended, as you'll see, until uh, it was time for my bands. So Thursday night, uh, Kiss was the closer. And I thought, man, for some reason, I, I want to see Kiss. You know, I don't really like them, but yeah. just out of respect, I thought I'd get something out of it. Man, did Kiss fucking suck. Really? All three of us left. Like, uh, Jeremy asked me, no, 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 it was Alicia. She goes... No, no, it was Jeremy first. He goes, bro, if you want to go, I I'll stay if you want to stay, but uh, this kind of sucks. Would you want to go? So I said, well, let me ask her. And and I said the same thing to her. Like, Jeremy kind of wants to go, but, I mean, it's up to you. If you want to stay, we'll stay. And both of them was like, oh, yeah, let's go. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's leave. Kiss in the middle of this. Okay. So we left. That's how much all three of us hated it. The next day, here we go. Uh, finally, a band I want to see. About 8.39 p.m., it's a band named Ministry. They're playing their biggest hit, and Al Jurgensen, the singer, goes, "It like two minutes into the song, they're making us quit. What? Sorry. They're making us stop. Because of the rain? At the time, it appeared to only be rain, but they said if there's lightning within an eight-mile radius, they have to stop. Not mm -hmm. the band, the promoter. Mm -hmm. So the promoter told me as I was bitching on Facebook Messenger to them. Well, I don't know if it was really the promoter. It was someone on behalf of the promoter. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's rain. Yeah, it's raining. I could send you a video. It's fucking rain. I can send you a video right now if you want to share it with people. You can see it's raining. 
but it's it's not. I mean, everybody there was cool with being in the fucking rain. So and then okay, so I'm up front for that. We have to depart every time they make us evacuate. We go to where they have the NASCAR thing, the Daytona 500, and go in there in the grandstands and like hide until they tell us to come back out. So the band Corn was going to headline that night. We managed to work our way up front again for Corn, about to play, and they cancel the rest of the fucking night. <laughs> Next day comes. For the fourth time now, I was about to see a band that I like called Bush from the 90s. I love Bush. And for the fourth oh, time. Oh, the rock band. <laughs> yeah, I was like, waiting I for that. Both, and I, and I don't mean W or Bush Sr. either. <laughs> or Jeff. But uh, not that I hated them. I didn't. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but the band Bush, Gavin Rosdale, he was married to Gwen Stefani at one point. Uh, I was up front, worked my way up front. They were about to come out and they evacuate us again. Mm. And this is the fourth time. I've seen Bush once. But that was the main reason I wanted to go down there was because I was like, I, I've always wanted this. I only seen them once for the fourth time. Now I was going to see them and something happened that stopped me from seeing them four times. That's crazy. Yeah. So they evacuate. We come back in, they come back in, they say, okay, guns and roses is going to play. Mm -hmm. It's going to, they're the headliners that night. Now I've already seen them twice. Thank God. I'd be really even more pissed. We come in, we we got up front again, bust our ass, running through fucking mud and muck and just shit and, and fight our way to the front. And the app said 15 minutes to GNR. 15 minutes later, it's like, okay, they're about to start. And then the siren thing comes on. They're evacuating again. And at that point, I was standing around watching, wasn't really doing anything, but everyone started. We've had two days of this now. Everyone started screaming, you know, fuck this shit and fuck Danny Wimmer, the promoter. They started throwing shit and like doing the 60s thing. Hell no, we won't go. And no one wouldn't leave. They had to send the police in to make us leave because we're like a monolith at this point because everyone's had two days of being in fucking rain and having all of our shit canceled. And they had to send the police in. So you send the police in, fuck that. I'm not going to jail in Florida. I was like, all right, I got to go now. <laughs> I'm not getting arrested down here. Now, I had everyone started tearing shit up. I probably would have joined in and probably gone to jail because, like, I had that same uh, amount of frustration at that point. But it was just throwing shit, and the police came in. And I was like, fuck it. It's not worth it. Just aren't, aren't you glad you weren't armed? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, there was none of that, I don't think. Uh, By the way, Bearman34 says, no bush for you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's crazy. It's four different times that I could expand on them, but uh, we don't have to. I'm just, Did Dan get laid times. down there? Yeah, everybody wants to know. Forget all that. That's all people want to know. <laughs> I did. Oh, nice. my man. But I mean, I, you know, my she was she was with me. It's not like I got laid at the con. Oh, okay. Yeah, but still. <laughs> now, now, Shane told me, Marsaw, he told me that he fucked the girl at Woodstock 99. That That's would, cool. That like would he, what? he didn't know, they didn't go with, but he still got laid at the show. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Now that that's a story. Like I got laid with the lady, and we did, which was good. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just saying, like the fact that I got laid in my hotel room. That's that's not. I mean, you know, okay. So what? Everybody got laid in their hotel room, probably. Oh, maybe not. I mean, <laughs> I got laid three times over that weekend, though, and I was very happy about all of them. Good. So, was uh, was so Gavin Brad, Rossdale uh, still with Bush? Yeah, yeah, he's he's the the front man. Right. He's yeah. he was the, the first, voice. Uh, 
first guy to run for cover. <laughs> so you get through that. There's one more day. And at this point, I'm thinking there's nothing that's going to make up for how bad this was. Nothing. Mm -hmm. But we're going to go. And we went earlier than what we normally would have because because of that heat, we all made a conscientious decision to try to go later in the day when the UV rays were down a little bit. Plus, earlier in the day, there are a lot of unknown bands for all of us because we're in our 40s. And um, so we thought we'd save our energy and, and our efforts and go later in the day. But on this final day, because we've had two days of nothing, mm -hmm. we said, fuck it. Let's get something out of this and we'll go early. We'll see bands we don't know. And I saw this bad bitch man named Poppy. Do you remember? Do you ever heard of Bjork? Yeah, sure. I love Bjork. She reminded me of Bjork if she was like American and young. I mean, she just like was. It would go from like, just like she's kind of like putting off this image that she's fourteen or fifteen, and then goes into like death metal, and mm -hmm. then back to like some kind of kid music, and mm -hmm. all these transitions. Their name, like I said, her name was Poppy. It was pretty awesome. But to round out the night, I got to see the Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails. I was up front for Smashing Pumpkins. I started in the back for Nine Inch Nails, but I worked my way to the front uh, before the show was over. And both of those uh, shows were so good that I don't want to say it made up for it, but, man, it was good. It was really good. And I was nervous initially about flying, not so much about the travel itself because I'd never flown, but just, like, Atlanta was was huge. You know, when I first got there and got a train to get to another gate, I felt overwhelmed. But on the way back, I was like, oh, I got this. So, I mean, I may, I, I own Atlanta's airport, airport now. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Good. Okay. And uh, so I was on four different flights and I had two connected. And, uh, and last night on the way home, I was watching, you know, outside, watching all the, the fucking the things below with all the lights because all three of the other flights were during the day. Mm -hmm. So I watched, I wasn't afraid at all is what I'm saying. I was watching the nighttime as I was coming home. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, it was a good experience. Um, those two days are, are pretty shitty. And today, to put a bow on this, um, the actual Facebook page of the festival, which was called Welcome to Rockville, posted an announcement saying that they're talking to their insurance company now and trying to find a, find a way to compensate us for those two days. I would assume that means some money back, but mm -hmm. I don't know. They said that they're still exploring ideas. Mm. Well, but I all hope, in all, it was a fun time. I hope you get some kind of a refund for all the um, missed entertainment that you paid for. Uh, Nick so, says, I'm not a huge uh, Smashing Pumpkins fan, but I've heard they are awesome live. Was you it agree? the full oh, Pumpkins yeah. lineup? The fall four original members? No, the only one who's not in there is Darcy. Uh, she's allegedly on some kind of hard drugs now. Oh. And initially, when they got back together, when James and Billy, uh, Billy, or I'm sorry, uh, the Chamberlain, the drummer, and Billy have been back together for a long time. But when they brought James back in, mm -hmm. uh, they offered Darcy the spot, uh, if you listen to Billy. And he said she hadn't performed in like 16, 17 years. And she had all this anxiety and she had this drug problem. He's like, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like if you hadn't played Michael Jordan, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. But if you put age on him and put weight on him and say he hasn't played since the 98 finals, 
can he go out there and show up kids for 82 games? No. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what he was saying that she couldn't go anymore. And she said that they didn't offer a spot, but long story short, everyone's in the band except Darcy, the bass player. Well, I'm glad you had a, a relatively good time uh, considering the setbacks and glad you got laid. I uh, can't wait till I get laid. Uh, <laughs> oh, and the women. Oh, Be- my God. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's Florida, man. And uh, sometimes so hot that, like, you feel guilty because, again, I am there with the female. I mean, not that, you know, I'm married or anything, but still, you're there. And you're like, well, you got to try to like the woman you're with, you know. <laughs> and uh, not that that's hard, but. I'm just saying, and then some of them, again, are probably young, too. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, man, I'm too old to be seeing this shit right now because it's looking tremendous. You yeah, know? You're, you're like me. I go out with my wife, and I'm, like, looking at all these great chicks, and I, I, I got to remember to put my sunglasses on because she's going to catch so me. So you can't be seen looking, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yep. Nomad says Daytona has all the chicks with track marks and cigarette burns. Is that true? <laughs> well, you know, it, most of the people I talked to weren't local. Um, just as an example, when we were waiting on corn, this dude, and you talk about some people that travel, like I traveled. This dude came from fucking Sacramento just to see corn. He said it would have been like his 30th time seeing them, but point is he flew from coast to coast to see corn. And there was a dude that told me he was from Australia. Mm-hmm just to see corn and they didn't get to play oh, that i met sucks. a guy from london uh he, I, I didn't he didn't tell me who he wanted to hear but he he was british i met oh there was three people in my uh hotel that i talked to that were from massachusetts and funny story this guy he's, he's high he's trying to get me to, to smoke weed with him and i was like nah i'm cool you know mm-hmm. i don't want any thank you anyway and uh He's saying all this stuff. So I asked him, like, I was like, well, if you're a Patriots fan, what do you think about Brady? Were you rooting for him in the Super Bowl with Tampa? And he goes, you know, fuck Tom Brady, man. He fucking turned his back on us. I'm doing a terrible boss. Then he stops and looks at me and he goes, you've got blue eyes. (laughs) I was like, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, he kept talking about my eyes to the point of Jeremy's like, Hey, man, I don't want to sound weird, but I think that guy was bisexual or something. <laughs> Did you think he about having a threesome? stopped and thought about Tom Brady to talk about your blue eyes. <laughs> did you Did you uh, consider a threesome? No. He had a, a lady there with him, too. Of course. God, that's another thing. So I was in a gas station. <laughs> and I, this, this guy happened to be black, but I'm not being prejudiced about it. I'm just saying, just painting the picture for you. So I'm just in, in there getting Gatorade, trying to rehydrate, you know, after one of the nights. And this guy goes, oh, my God, it's The Undertaker, the wrestler. He thought I was The Undertaker. Oh I was like, God. you're fucking with me. You don't really think I'm The Undertaker. And he goes, man, if you're not The Undertaker, you look just like him, which I don't. No, not but at all. <laughs> then he's, I'm coming out, and I hear him talking to another guy. And he's like, yo, dog, look, that's that white boy I was telling you about. That's The Fucking Undertaker. So one guy's looking at my eyes, one guy's looking at me and calling me the Undertaker. Such so. <laughs> has just put up a, uh, a a comment from Nick, uh, who apparently is uh, quite the concert going himself. Biggest disappointment for me live was Marilyn Manson. Sorry, Dan. 
Uh, and I, I asked mean, him, everyone can have their own opinion. And I asked him why, and he says he was drunk or high or both, didn't even care to put on a show, which is something that we've heard about Marilyn Manson. He had uh, over. What was double. Dan's the greatest concert Dan ever saw? If he had to pick one. Well, again, obviously Manson's my guy, and and I've had extremely positive experiences. But if I had to pick just one, I think just to my head because it was two mega bands together, mm-hmm. uh, would have probably been in 2014. I saw Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden together. Mm, nice. And uh, you know Chris Cornell. I'm not just saying this because he he hanged himself. I mean he was just a tremendous artist and a great show. And it's it's so cool that. Going back to 1994, uh, Soundgarden released Super Unknown and Nine Inch Nails released The Downward Spiral on the same day, and they both opened up one and two respectively on the Billboard Top 200 album chart, and uh, Soundgarden was one, Nine Inch Nails was two. Uh, but all these years later, I would get to see them together on the same bill, uh, remembering that their album came out the same day when I was a kid, you know, and uh, buying them at the same time. And then getting to see them on the same bill, you know, when I'm a, a 34 year old man at the time or 33, uh, that was that was a great night. That was a, a great fun time. But I've been I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of great shows, and I hope we have one in November, by the way, uh, at the United Center. Yes, sir. I'll be there. Jane's <laughs> Jane's Addiction was supposed to be at this festival that I was at and had to cancel mm-hmm. because Dave Navarro got COVID. So Perry Farrell, the singer of Jane's Addiction, pulled an audible and brought his other band, Porno for Pyros, to replace them. Oh, I love Porno for Pyros. Well, they were playing essentially at the same time uh, Billy Corgan was about to play. Mm. So there was no way I was going to go see them. They had go-go dancers. I could see their monitor, and they were fucking amazing. Uh, You know, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't see them because I was working my way up front on the other stage to be up front with Smashing Pumpkins. And I could send you a video where you can see, like, I was up front. I mean, it was it was great. By the way, PJ on the chat room says that there is he has a 75-year-old neighbor down the street. Who is Shit, always, sorry. That's all right. She's always hitting on him when he's working out in his yard. He's 58, PJ is, but he feels like he's – He's way too young for her. Plus, he's married, and he still thinks that he's like forty years old. So I wrote to him and said, "Come on, PJ, go for it. Try and screw her and get on the will." And then PJ responds, "She is loaded with no kids nor siblings." So Dan, I ask you, if there was a seventy-five-year-old woman who you knew she was a rich, rich. Are we talking like Raquel Welch? Well, she's 75. Raquel Walsh, 75? I'll, she I'll might give be 82. You that. I'll give you know. that. I mean, Raquel Walsh looks sensational, but that's from the neck up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when she takes off her clothes, I don't think she Botoxed or, uh, or, or had plastic surgery on her entire body. <laughs> that's a tough one, right? I say go for it, Dan. I, I think I would do it. Ah, they could ask my man. I don't know why. I think just because it would be a story. I'm so proud of you. He's like a son to me. It would be like all that time I fucked a 75-year-old. I think I would do it. When I was 24, I was fucking a 50-year-old. She was a listener in my fucking show. Oh, really? Yeah, but it was so exciting for me. It was like the first. I had just gotten out of a four-year relationship, and and the girl that I was dating was born in 84. You know, I'm born in 80, so 
we met when I was in, she was in ninth grade. I was in 12th grade and we broke up when I was a senior in college and she was in sophomore, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And then, then this is like the, the second girl I slept with after that, after that. And, and she was 50. Wow. So it was the first older woman I had been with. So yeah, man, I was excited. I was really excited about it. Wow. Man, we got to make a movie about that. Proud of. It's not like she was super, you know, whatever. Not that I'm super hot, but I mean, she certainly wasn't. But it's the fact that she thought I was some kind of star or something, which I'm not. But uh, yeah, she was like really just getting off on the fact that she thought she like was with some local celebrity, which again, I'm just a bum. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Dude, like, you know, like, need to figure out a way to dramatize some of Dan's story. I don't know what puppets is. When, when he tells that old uh, the story when he has sex with the old lady, you can't use the light bulb, you need like a candle. To <laughs> set up a light That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and one of those old uh, candles on a candlestick. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to the Chicago Bears. Matt Eberflus, uh, Tevin Jenkins, uh, Cole Komet. They all met with the media today. So I got sound bites from all of them. Let's start with the head coach uh, who, um, you know, we, we played some of Jalen Johnson's uh, sound bites last week. And we learned today that Jalen was put out with the number twos during practice. He did not play with the starters. So immediately I'm going, hmm, is, is there something going on here? So he was, uh, Coach Eberflus was asked about that at the press conference. Yeah, I wouldn't read into that right now. You know, he's just getting back into action right now. So we're just seeing where he is uh, with his uh, conditioning and those types of things. But Ones and twos, we're moving all guys around. Uh, we have a bunch of guys with the ones, with the twos. Uh, we have some some threes in there, but uh, nothing to read into that at this time. Matt, follow up on that. What's Jalen's standing in your eyes as you get started to put in a new defense and try to get familiar with him and try to figure out where he fits with you? Yeah, I, I know looking at him, like I said last week, I didn't get a chance to look at him, and now I've seen him for a week, and I like what I see. I mean, he's moving around really good. Uh, his change of direction is nice. Uh, he's got really good hands, as you know. He has good size, um, you know. So now, just really looking at his coverage ability, um, and it's in a good spot, and it's in a really good spot. So uh, we're just working with him, and again, trying to assess his skills, and we'll coach him as we go. Such and Dan, you guys are satisfied that there's nothing going on here. That he's just, you know, weaning him back in uh, slowly in order because he was he didn't really play in the first week of voluntaries. Sounds like motivation to me. You remember he was effusive in his praise of Kyler, and uh, and again this week uh, said more nice things about Kyler Gordon. Yeah. Uh, so I got to believe that this is a way of of telling him, Absolutely. listen, you know, we didn't draft you. <laughs> you don't yeah. belong to us, our family. <laughs> Kevin Jenkins said the same thing. This this is not the guys who drafted me. I've got to prove to them. I think you're, I will. I'm sure you'll play it. Yes, I know. Yeah. In a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. I, I got to tell you, I don't know about for you guys, but with this new coaching staff, I don't. I don't give a fuck whether they win or lose. I mean, I, obviously I do, but I mean, I, I know it's going to be a lot more fun than the bald fuck, right, Dan? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> fuck the bald fuck. <laughs> I'm with uh, Tooch to a degree, you know. I mean, I, I of course we all want yeah, them to could. win. Yeah. 
But there is a bigger picture here. If they don't win, can we see improvement? Can we really see these culture changes? Can we really see that our quarterback, Justin Fields, our franchise quarterback, is really a franchise quarterback? You know, uh, arguably, I know a lot of people on Twitter are, are uh, espousing great things for the Chicago Bears, and Dan has said the same thing, why not us? But I look at the roster and I see still see a lot of holes in it. Uh, there's no true left tackle. There's no true number one wide receiver. Maybe Darnell Mooney will become that. But there's holes in this defense. And uh, so if they can play competitive ball for all 17 games and position themselves for a real true run, not only in 2023, but also 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, I'll be a happy soldier, man. Dan, your, your thoughts? Uh, I don't want to sound like a former co-host uh, who had a song about Jason Lock and Fora. <laughs> I love this that fucking song. guy who has been wrong on so many things, which <laughs> is what the inspiration for that song was, yes, was. that Phil did, obviously. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to, uh, to steal his thunder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, only Phil could come up with a song like that. He probably It probably took him 30 seconds to write all the lyrics until he was so good at freestyling. <laughs> yes. But uh, Lock of Four has been wrong so many times in his latest thing. It's like he spends so much energy on the Bears. But his latest thing is that we're going to be like, you know, three and 14 and one of the most dreadful teams in the league. And that Robert Quinn is demanding a trade. Mm-hmm. To me, I, Jason Leisure or Adam Hogue or Adam Johns or Brad Biggs, somebody would be saying this. If there was any validity to it, Aaron and I were just talking about it a second ago. Like, what do you think we could get? Uh, would it be more than what Matt got for us? I don't know. I hope that he's going to play, but you'd have to think that someone else would get this scoop. Like, why, I mean, why would someone leak to Lock and Four? Like, he's never right with the Bears. I mean, never. He's been wrong for a decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who's leaking to I me? Mean, why why is it like so fashionable to say that the Bears are going to be so bad? I just don't get it. I don't see it. Yeah, I'm maybe trying, I'm a fucking fool. I'm trying to find the exact uh, quotes from Lock and Fora on that because to me it sounded more speculation than fact. Uh, I don't know if he ever said that. Uh, let's see, said, oops. I don't know if he ever said a, a quote, Robert Quinn quote is, is asking for a trade, you know, lack and four has that ability that I guess CBS likes to write stuff that is not accurate, but phrase it in a way that makes it seem like clickbait, he, clickbait. Yeah. Perfect way of saying it. Absolutely. Perfect way. And I know that some other people on Twitter started to, exaggerate what it was lack and for wrote and made it seem like it was an actual quote, but um, I'll look for that uh, a little later, but either way, I agree with anybody who says lack and for is a hack and that um, to report shit like that. I mean, these guys got nothing to report. So unfortunately people like lack and for, as Jeremy Foyer says is, is full of shit. Um, and I will, I will, uh, I will die saying that to the end. So, all right, uh, let me play uh, uh, Matt Eberflus talking about his offensive coordinator, Luke Getzey, and what uh, he has been impressed The great Getzey. The great Getzey. I love that. That's a T-shirt, man. 
I'm in the quarterback meeting, you know, every morning, and you know, I really appreciate the way he coaches and the way he simplifies it for the for the uh, uh, players. And uh, it's uh, it's really neat to see and, and and neat to interject in there as well uh, from a defense perspective. But he's doing a bang up job in there, and you can see that in the execution on the field. I mean, the guys know what they're looking at and understand how to operate, and uh, the offense is looking good. Uh, to this point, after this short period of time, I think we're ahead um, a little bit, maybe because we have guys that are in the system and we have smart players. You know, you know, Justin's a very smart player. Those other quarterbacks are very smart. Um, and we have guys that have been in that system. Can you sense that connection growing with Luke and Justin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. You can uh, sense a connection you know, throughout the whole room. Uh, you really can. And I think it's, uh, it's a work in progress, just like the rest of the rooms are. But uh, uh, we are pleasantly surprised where it is right now. Well, things appear to be ahead of schedule. That's got to be encouraging uh, for us fans who are praying for an NFL offense here in Chicago, one that we've rarely seen in our lifetime. I think the only great offense that I've seen this century was actually the Tressman offense in his first year with the Bears. Yeah. Josh McCown, as much as I hate to say it, yeah. Seemed to be more proficient with it with than Jay. Mm-hmm. But Jay certainly had his moments in 13 and 14 as well. But the Shit. defense was just so dreadful. Yeah. And before that, you know, Rex had a player of the month uh in September of 06 to start our Super Bowl season. Wow. And before that, this. probably Eric Kramer to Curtis Conway and Jeff Graham in mm-hmm. 1995. Well, no, 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 no. 1999, don't forget that one season, Gary Croton was our offensive coordinator. They were lighting it up with Matthews and Cade McNown throwing the little wide receiver bubble screen that was just breaking it and going to the house mm-hmm. with with uh, Conway and Bobby Ingram. Mm-hmm. And uh, But yeah, by 2000, the league caught up with it. And that guy ran to BYU after that. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the season, no less. Mm-hmm. Gary Crowton, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was Jerron's offensive coordinator when he first got hired. That's right. That's right. Tooch, do you, um, are you feeling a little bit more optimistic that perhaps this offense can start to produce some points and show some promise, at least show a foundation of a good offense, you know, knowing that we may not have the playmakers necessary to be an explosive offense like we've seen in Kansas City the last few years? I definitely do. Yeah. I, uh, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, there'll be more, uh, use of formations, you know, off the build, building the pass off the run and vice versa, where, you know, we're disguising our formation, you know, perhaps, or, you know, we're not going to just run out of one formation or just pass out of one formation where we got to be too predictable under Nagy. Uh, and you know, I, I, I Aaron current is in the chat room and, uh, I, I've kind of like, I mean, the schedule is, is, is favorable. You know, mm-hmm. we're playing a lot of uh, teams that weren't that good last year. You know, you got uh, granted that they could be improved, you know, but I like before the season starts, you're kind of looking at teams like the giants, and the jets, and you know, the, the teams that aren't, you know, the Falcon, I think we'll play the Falcons and the, and the, the commanders, you know, those aren't teams that are going to strike fear into the, the bears players, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could turn into uh, uh, more victories than we think. And that, that's uh, a cause for some optimism. Mm-hmm. Laz is asking, did you guys uh, 
Dan and, and Tooch, did you guys see any of the video that the Bears put out about Peanut Tillman talking to the young players uh, recently at Hallis Hall? I didn't see the I video, but I did uh, read uh, the story where Peanut said that he was surprised by the call that he got from Eberflus mm -hmm. when he was asked if he would come speak. And he was like, well, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I saw uh, Charles's written statements talking about it on Twitter or somewhere, but I did not see the video. Yeah. It, 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 you say you didn't see it, right? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, did, did you have it? Uh, I don't, uh, but I can find it and, and share it later. Oh, wait a minute. Here it is. Um, let me get past the commercials and stuff because I don't pay for my YouTube. I account. love the fact that he brought peanut Tillman in. It's just great. This is the, yeah. the peanut punch, man. It's yeah. The best, you know? And you know, he's a special guy here. Uh, here is uh, Tillman addressing Take the troops. It's a three and a half minute uh, long video, but I'll play just there's a, a different of level of expectations of what's required of you. Now that you all are sitting in these seats. You going from college to the, the NFL. NFL. There's a huge gap. What's it mean to you to be able to come back and talk to the team like that? Well, one, I'm I was I was a little shocked when Coach called me and, and asked me to do it. I was like, absolutely. I remember sitting in that seat and just like, wow, this is this is awesome. I'm here, I'm here. The message that Tillman had was outstanding, you know, the other day. Just about being a pro, uh, being a Chicago Bear and what that means uh, to, to him and what it means to the fans and what it means to the city. I'll share this quote with you. Differences are what make champions, not the similarities. Whatever you can do to help this team win, you need to have that mindset right now. If you want to attain and be a part of something special, which is what is in this room, you got to think differently, and that starts right now. Would you say it's more difficult now for rookies in the league because there are more outside distractions? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's um, it's more difficult. It makes it more challenging for them. But again, surround yourself with a good group of people, veterans. Just You don't need to have a thousand friends. Have a small, close group of friends that you can call friends and keep that circle tight and you should you should be fine. Pretty cool stuff, uh, Charles Tillman. You know what? I, uh, when I first started this and we had the Bears barroom, Packers barroom, blah, 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 I wrote a story about uh, Tillman, finished it up at 10 o'clock at night, posted it, uh, I went to sleep, and in the morning I had like 16,000 clicks on it. And I'm like, what? What the hell? And I went to Twitter. It was because Tillman retweeted it and said, thank you. Uh, because I talked about his charitable efforts. I talked about his career with the Bears, how valuable he's been. And he's the best Bears cornerback that I've ever seen play and probably Me the too. best of all time and so forth. And so for that, uh, uh, Peanut, I'm uh, greatly indebted uh, that you gave that attention to my words. But mostly it's about you, brother. And uh, if you want to come over here and give uh, Dan and Tooch a, a, a pep talk, you're more than welcome. <laughs> he works for the FBI now, right? I think so, right? Yeah, I think he's Special Agent Tillman. Wow, that is cool, man. <laughs> now the peanut punch goes to the balls of criminals. <laughs>
I, I, I wish, you know, I know that Devin Hester probably next in line uh, for uh, Hall of Fame. And there's been talk about Olin Krutz being in line for Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame. But man, Tillman has to be, you know, in my opinion. At, uh, let me ask you a question before you even say it. Okay. <laughs> try to be object or uh, yeah, objective. I was about to say, try to be subjective. Okay. <laughs> no, try to be objective. <laughs> Do you think that playoff loss when Steve Smith had like 230 yards on him hurts his chance. Yes, I do think that. I, I th think so too. Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, because a lot of these national writers don't, may not have seen uh, or appreciated the efforts that he had against Randy Moss, against Megatron, against the Packers uh, uh, and Brett Favre. You know, he had tremendous performances. I'll never forget that interception that was that pass to Randy Moss in the end zone. And he oh, just, when he intercepted yes. it, on the, it's a, that was his first start, right? It was his first start, right. It yeah. was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And the peanut punch. No, no, I fucked that up. That wasn't his first start. It was Rex's first start. Oh, it was Rex Grossman's first start? Uh, yeah, in 2003, okay. late in the year. I know it was a first for somebody, and that was just a legendary interception by Peanut Tillman, and he had you know so many legendary plays. Of course, the Peanut Punch is what everybody talks about, but he was so much better than just that. I mean, and a leadership on and off the field. This guy, uh, did he ever win the Walter Payton Man of the Year? Because if he didn't, that's robbery, man. He, he deserved that. I agree that. with that. I, I don't know. The thing, the one that sticks out to me, um, it was in 2005, if I'm guessing it was probably October the 30th, because my, again, my birthday's Halloween and my family was up and they were doing like my birthday because it was Sunday. And I was like, look, I appreciate everybody's here, but fuck man, the bears are playing <laughs> like just it's, it's late in the game. They show up in like the fourth quarter. And then of course it goes to overtime. Mm -hmm. So I had a girlfriend, uh, Lakeisha at the time. My mom's there, both of my sisters and uh, my nephews are kids and we're all together in my apartment. And the Bears had been under 500 or hadn't even been to 500 since 2001 or, or early 02. They started out 2-0 and, and then lost eight in a row. So here we are and uh, they've been under 500 for literally three and a half seasons. And it's in overtime at Detroit. And uh, Jeff Garcia was for the uh, playing for the uh, the Lions that day. And he got intercepted by Tillman, who ran it back for a touchdown. And I remember he threw the wall. He threw the ball at the wall as he was scoring. And that was the first time we'd been over 500 since early 02. Mm. And that was like the best birthday gift I'd ever had. That's <laughs> I mean, awesome. Just to, it's that's when you know your team really has been struggling when you're over 500 and you're almost orgasmic about it. Yeah. Oh my. God. But that's how I felt when Peanut got that pick and and took it back. Man, it's fucking incredible. You know. We were asked if uh, Peanut invented the Peanut Punch, and he really didn't. I mean, it, it is something that defenders have done previously but he perfected it he he was he was probably had the most success at punching the ball out of ball carriers and it really started like in his last four or five seasons with the bears because the first half of his career with bears i don't recall there being a peanut punch do any of you guys do tooch says no man i couldn't remember that man i thought he was doing it within a few but i could be wrong yeah it seems that it was definitely after the super bowl Mm. 
you know, yes, when we lost the I Super agree. Bowl. I agree. I agree. It, yeah. Um, it was, but it, he was still really young then too. He was a rookie in 03. Yeah. Right. So I think he really came into his own after his, his rookie contract was up. Mm-hmm. He and Vasher were both up at the same time and the bears, man, open the checkbook, give them credit. They signed the interceptor and, and peanut at the same time. And Vasher just sucked as soon as he got paid, just like Eddie Jackson. Mm-hmm. But Tillman took it to another level after he got paid. Totally agree. Totally agree. Stand-up guy, man. He He's one of those guys on my list of Chicago Bears that I'd love to have a drink with or dinner with. I'd love to meet his family and stuff. I mean, this yeah, guy. He's a Louisiana guy, really small town. Yeah. I mean, this guy is the epitome of the type of person that I would love to become someday, maybe another life, because <laughs> I'm getting up there in age. All right. I so, mentioned this to you before, but real quickly, to please, 30 seconds. Take your time. To finish out the Peanut Tillman thing, and the Bears are struggling so badly defensively during Mark Trestman's era. And I think I said this either two weeks ago or last week, but it's worth revisiting. They're in San Francisco. It's the first game of the 49ers' new stadium in Santa Clara. And uh, Jay threw like four touchdowns at night and, and, and beat Vic Fangio, by the way, the coordinator for San Francisco at the time, mm-hmm. beat Jim Harbaugh. That's right. But that was the night that Peanut, uh, he was on the sideline. He got hurt, and I knew he was hurt. I mean, just like, man. It was his last year under contract. And um, they go to him and tell him, like, yeah, it's your pack, man. It's over. And NBC just had a camera in his face, and he started crying. Yeah. And and it's week two. You know, it's not like I mean, he had the whole season ahead of him, but he cared so much. He cried. What guy who's been paid such significant amount of money, you know, on, on national TV is gonna cry when they hear that. So many people would be like, Man, I've gotten paid three or four times over. Mm-hmm. I'm at the end of my career, I've gone to a Super Bowl. Uh, and he's crying. Dad, that passion that, you can't pay for, man. That was the night I wrote that article. It was that night you reminded me of it when when uh, I saw him crying on the sidelines and my heart was pouring with him. That I I just said so. It was I didn't post the story at ten o'clock. I started writing it after ten o'clock, and so uh, now I remember better that um, that inspired me to write that tribute to him because I thought that was it. This he'll he'll never play again with the Bears. This is it. Uh, his career is over. And uh, and I mentioned that in the column. And yet he re- he he read it and it was appreciative of it because it was comprehensive, talking about his charitable work, his career and stuff. One one of uh, those things that uh, you know, all of us who have been here at the barroom have like favorite moments and favorite times. That's one of my uh, my one of my many. Um, well, I got you one more before you go to the current day, please. Because that saying that reminds me of Mike Brown. You know, Mike got hurt. In early 04, he had been fine 2000 through 2003. Hadn't been hurt. He gets hurt in the game at Lambeau, I think week two mm-hmm. in 04. He comes back in 05, gets hurt again. I think 02 was the knee or his Achilles perhaps. But 05, it's something that like he comes back much later in the year and uh, but, but isn't the same player, you know. Mm-hmm. 06, he actually gets hurt in the big comeback game in Arizona. He scored a touchdown that night and then afterwards gets hurt and he's out for the year, misses the Super Bowl. So here we are, opening day 07. You got three straight seasons of Mike Brown who look like the real deal, like this guy could be a, a Hall of Famer. What a pick. 
and you just know the guy's so good, but he can't stay healthy suddenly. You have the injury in 04, 05, 06, and it's opening day. We're in San Diego against the Chargers. He gets hurt early on. I knew it was bad. But on that show, back then it was Comcast Sports Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I was watching all the back. They were so good. You got you got to go in the locker room, and it wasn't just like the quarterback and the coach. You got to hear interviews live on TV. And Mike was out there on crutches, and they asked him uh, what his, his prognosis was. And he hadn't been told like what the finality of the x-ray showed, but he knew he was done. And he started to cry, man, right there on TV. And the, and someone was like, Mike, come on, man. And like stopped him from crying. And I remember when he was at bears 100, I was reading the stuff. He said, he, he said his wife told him to stop fucking feeling sorry for yourself. Is that right? Yeah. That sounds like something my ex-wife would have told me, <laughs> but his passion, man, the guy come back so many times it gets hurt opening day and he's out for the year like man he let him cry mrs brown yeah exactly <laughs> shit i love the passion i love yeah, mike brown me too man me too uh hey Tooch, i wanted to ask you who's your favorite all-time chicago bear oh walter payton without a doubt he guy didn't even flinch he, <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, you got a favorite walter payton moment that you want to share with us like that one that just ma- made your dick hard and, and by the end of the play you were creaming uh, all over yourself <laughs> 275 yards against the buccaneers stands no out. no that was against, was the, against the vikings sorry against the vikings yes yeah. they won 10 to 7 <laughs> yeah that's the old, I the wish old I had Chicago Bears. Yeah, I've tried looking for that game, Dan. I can't find it anywhere. Man. Or that Chiefs game with that highlight where it shows him running over the whole fucking team. Yeah. That's one that's not available either. Mm-hmm. You know, the most indelible moment of Walter, to me, it, it, it's a negative one, I guess. Um, after we lost to Washington, which would be his last game, it's cold, you know, it's like fucking 12 below zero on the wind chill. You know, the Doug Williams game where we were up 14 nothing and lost. And there's Walter, man, in his last game with his, his head in his hands, mm-hmm. just sitting there like so crestfallen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, CBS is watching him as he goes into the locker room and Brent's like, you know, take those pads and put them straight in Canton and giving him so much respect. But seeing Walter there with like, just defeated with his head in his hands, just said everything about how disappointing because that was essentially the end of that 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 team that people thought would win two or three straight Super Bowls and now was just busting out. That that moment with Peyton with his hands on his helmet is what is an image, is an iconic image of heroes. You know, every hero has had moments where they're down, they're defeated. You know, there's that classic image of Muhammad Ali being knocked down in the first Frazier Ali fight. In round 15. In round 15, yes, exactly. And and Dan, your memory is is so, so good. You could probably count off dozens of images like that uh, in sports. That uh, And that, to me, if I could find that picture some, somewhere, I would love I've to have it. I've got it on my phone. I'll send it to you. Do I'm you? looking for it right now. I also sent you a Smashing Pumpkins video from Sunday just to show you how close I was. But I've got that picture of Walter with his that we're talking about. I'm looking for it now on my phone. Oh man, it's a it's a wonderful moment, wonderful moment. By the way, uh, we have a new visitor in the chat room. It is 
Dan Bear, and he claims to be the brother of Don Burr, and he is uh, asking uh, Don to get home right away because his mom wants him home now. And <laughs> is Bear, this real? Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> Dan Bear. <laughs> <laughs> he claims to be Don Bird, the Detroit <laughs> fan who's always trolling on here, and we love it when he does. Um, he's always trolling, but apparently somebody's claiming to be his brother and says, Mom wants you home right now. That shit can't be real. There's no way. <laughs> I would uh, probably believe you, but I want to believe that it is real. <laughs> uh, Matt Eberflus today was talking about Dominique Robinson. The defensive end they drafted, I think, in round. Do you remember what round? Was it round two? five, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say round yeah, five. Yeah. yeah, played quarterback in high school, played wide receiver in college, quarterback, wide receiver, and then settled in at defensive end. He is a raw, tremendous athlete. And at one point during the press conference, Ibraflus was asked, "Are you getting with no none of the veteran pass rushers here? Are you getting an opportunity to look at these young pass rushers and and uh, uh, evaluate them?" Well, that's an obvious question. He said yes, but within his response, he brought up Dominic Robinson himself and said, "Yeah, this kid's got you know some really good traits, and he's been playing well in camp so far." He did preface that by saying, "Listen, they're not in pads, so we still have to look at certain things." But there was a follow-up question on Dominic Robinson, and this is what Ibrahim said about the young uh, pass rusher. I would just say, like I said during the draft, you know, we talked about him there, you know, playing receiver, and you can really tell in his lowers, you know, that he's at that athletic skill level. Uh, of to somebody would say, "Hey, this guy could play wideout," and you can see that. And uh, he's got a little slip and slide to him. And like I said, though, to, to Bigsy, it's hard to assess that right now. You know, but you can see the movement skills, the ability potentially to really turn the corner. And, you know, and we'll see. We'll see as we go. You know, uh, Bill Polian used to say bore. You got to have at the top of the rush, you got to be able to bore and get underneath and turn the corner. And that takes power. And you're not going to really, really see that until until we get the pads on. So I thought that was brilliant of Eberflus to preface things and say, you know, let's let's be careful. We got to see him with pads on and so forth. But uh, Dominic Robinson is issuing a promise that he can play in this league, and so we're going to keep a close eye on that guy because if he can eventually re replace Robert Quinn after this year, because Quinn is going to play for the Bears this season. If he we can, hope. Yeah, really. If you can replace him, then things will look really fucking rosy because I'd hate to, uh, with all the needs that these Chicago Bears have, I would hate to uh, have to invest in a first-round draft pick on a defensive end. Hopefully we've got him already on the roster, and his name is Dominic Robinson. It's a well, little, don't count out uh, 99 either. 99. Be a pa pass rusher. Tell me who 99 is. Gibson. Uh, Gibson. Oh, Gibson. Yes. Gibson. Yes. I, I was talking shit about him in a positive way when he was drafted. I want to say Tulane uh, in the fifth round because I, I honestly had not seen tons of tape on him, but he, I, what I saw was very impressive, and some of the scouting reports are very impressive. So, yeah, they've got a couple of young guys who could potentially be cornerstones at that defensive end position. You're absolutely right, brother. Hey, one thing I should reference, too, going back to Charles Tillman for a minute, mm -hmm. a guy that kind of had his version of the uh, peanut punch, uh, Kyle Fuller got a gig today. He's with the Ravens now. 
What do you think about that, guys? You think he should have been with the Bears? I do. You could have gotten him cheap. He had a bad year in Denver, and there's no way. Uh, well, maybe there is a way, but I, I'd like to think he he's not done. He just – whatever happened in Denver was probably an aberration. He's still young enough to, in my opinion, to have some good football in him. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. He's 30 years old. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know if I agree that they should have signed him, but I agree he's got good football ahead of him. There is one thing that is pretty clear about Ryan Poles, and, and Tooch, I'd love – to get your uh, observation on this. He doesn't want to go back. He doesn't want to, you know, it's like Stan Bowman, the general manager of Chicago Blackhawks, he kept bringing back these old guys that helped win Stanley Cups for them. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? You got to find new young talent. And Kyle Fuller could serve as a bridge, perhaps, to uh, the new guy. But I just feel like Pose wants to, uh, you know, take a bleach to that fucking Hallis Hall and just clean it all out of the remnants that were the past uh, few years of the Ryan Pace area. What do you think, Tooch? Yeah, it, to, to me, this regime, regime, it seems like forward, you know, not backward. backward. Just uh, 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 Kyle, Kyle Fuller, what do I think he could contribute? You know, you can never have enough cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't, I don't think that uh, polls is building anything other than his own team that's me sending you walter's photo i noticed i noticed that <laughs> oh my gosh look at this so sad that's what i'm saying man look at that that's a guy that yeah he came had all those yards mm-hmm. and came up one yard short in the last play of his career it was fourth and six he got five i wish i could be walter payton for 24 hours Imagine on Saturday night, he's fucking all these chicks at the Conrad Hilton before the game. <laughs> and then at, at noon the next day, he's rushing for 200 yards, bosling off tackles. And then after the game, you know, he's laying in a fucking whirlpool. <laughs> it's like the perfect 24 hours for me. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, really. All right. Um, Moving on here, let's see what we got from Mr. Eberflus. He was asked if he's sensing chemistry in the team in these early days of OTA. I am sensing that. You know, the, as, as the process goes, and this is why it's so important for everybody to be here, because you form a team by being together and understanding how we operate. And the only way to do that is to be here. And those guys have been here. we got great attendance, and you can really see the, the culture and see the team starting to come together. And, and we're, we're all – I know the coaches are excited about it. The players are excited. And uh, it's it's been really good. Now, next week is when mandatory camp starts. And so if guys like Robert Quinn are not there, then that's when we should start to be a little bit concerned. Maybe Robert Quinn, if he doesn't show up for mandatory camp and it loses $100,000 as a result of that, maybe then he would be signaling, yeah, I'm not going to play for the Bears this season. Uh, maybe Lacanfora is right. So uh, it'll be interesting what, to see what happens next week. Kind of early to tell, of course, with regarding chemistry, but I do think that that probably means that everybody's heads are in the playbook, and and there there isn't any, you know, there there, there have been players in the past who have questioned playbooks and and stuff like that. Nick Foles is a, is uh, <laughs> Nick Foles is is the type of guy who would have said fuck this offense, <laughs> and then some camera microphone would have picked them up saying saying that. Um, 
Any thoughts on uh, chemistry or the mandatory workouts for next week, fellas? Jump in. Foles is a cult now, by the way. No, what do you think about that? Nick Foles. You don't, you don't think Big Foles? Dick Nick. <laughs> I wonder That's how not... big dick, uh, Nick Foles' dick really is, or is that just a myth? Wasn't myth? that a character from Bachelor Party with uh, Tom Hanks, Nick the Dick? Oh, I don't yeah, that. The, he slapped his dick down on a platter uh, and they served it to uh, yeah inside a hot dog. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fun fact: uh, this is going back to the '80s, but hey, you brought up Bachelor Party. Uh-huh. Do you know who Tom Hanks is? Uh, the lady he's marrying in Bachelor Party. She would become famous at a whole new level in three years. Do you know who she is? Is that? Tony, it is oh, from White Snake videos. Yeah, right. the White Snake video. Hot, with David Cumberland, which is opening her fucking legs on Here I Go Again. Yeah, I think how is this love? God, she was so hot in those videos. I think how yeah. Stern fucked her when uh, in between marriages. Damn, he's, he's there's been allusions to that on the Stern show. Sorry for her. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she died recently. Yeah, she passed oh, on. No. God bless her soul. That. Howard, not an attractive man. Oh Sorry. my god! <laughs> but he tells you that too. Yes. Uh, although he, I think he does look a little better now that he's had the nose job. But it's like, who the fuck is he fooling? He at, at his age, there's no way he's got all that fucking hair. That's gotta be a goddamn wig he's wearing. <laughs> is he really bald? I didn't know that. Well, I uh, years ago when you know it was a hot topic on social media. I remember when he was on the old, old E show that his hair looked a little thin at, at the part. And so I I, uh, I uh, uh, screenshot the image and I put it up on social media and people were saying, yeah, it looks like he's going to go bald and stuff. And then after those one of those long hiatuses, he came back with a new hairstyle and there was no fucking part. It's all curly hair now. And I, I, I'm saying there's no fucking way this guy, that's this is his hair. <laughs> Somebody punch him in the face. I bet you that wig would fall off. <laughs> yeah, that, I didn't even think about that. Maybe he's, I thought maybe at the very least he had plugs, but yeah, maybe it is a wig. Yeah, I think right. it's a wig. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? I think uh, what's uh, how uh, Stuttering John has has mentioned it. You know, he's got kind of a feud with Howard now, so you don't know whether to believe him or not because there's animosity there. Why but, can't we get somebody anti Matt Nagy on this show? Well, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we can hear the dirt of the last four years. By the way, I I came up with an idea one of those nights where I smoked a doobie and i uh was just all these creative ideas are coming out of my mind and i texted uh dan and he goes that's a brilliant idea and so my idea is i'm gonna find a packer fan and tooch dan and i are just gonna light into this fucker just we're gonna come prepared with insult jokes you know (laughs) just (laughs) let him have it and so i don't know whether you know we should just let him or her (laughs) Um, sit there and listen to the jokes, and then we you say, You think goodbye. there's a Packers girl out there? Oh, hell yeah. I know a lot of Packers fans who are female. I know a really good one, uh, who could might agree to do that. But if if she decides to do it, we got to give her a fair, fair chance to go at us and Bears fans. Now she's got to say, He's look at the fucking record. Yeah, right. 
Exactly. And we're like, yep, you, you've beaten us. Yeah, but it would be three against one. Dan, John, and, and me, Aldo, going up against her. We have to come up with better jokes and put downs than one per Packer fan against us. So that's my idea. It, it'll just be fun. It'll be cathartic for us to just lay into a Packer fan. I got to brush up on my me, uh, sub referencing jokes. One quick second. Go ahead, Toots. My bad. So I was going to say I got to uh, brush up on my Packers jokes. But, uh, <laughs> but Peter Bukowski came on, I think, with uh, – was it on uh, – uh, Had to be 100 proof or uh, – uh, 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 100 proof or, or tape never lies. But tape yeah. never lies. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. That was they. They couldn't. They had a hard. That guy's so slippery. He's like uh, whale shit. <laughs> guy, they couldn't get one on him. You know, he was just you know tap dancing his way through the insults. Yeah, he's good at that. So, yeah. Um, what were you gonna say, Dan? Uh, something I forgot to mention. I, again, I just it, when you were talking about coming up with things to say to insult the other team, mm -hmm. there was a a minute. If I can go back to Florida, and Trent Reznor was not very happy. Somebody accidentally unplugged his monitor to where he couldn't hear what he was singing. Oh, that's not good. Or the instruments. Mm -hmm. So it, it took five to seven minutes to get that right. Well, during that duration, my friends and family, <laughs> I'm saying this loosely, at the concert were Donald Trump supporters. How do I know? Because the people beside me just started chanting, let's go, Brandon, which, of course, is their thing because... They're the NASCAR, and then that turned into fuck Joe Biden. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess everywhere I go, I'm surrounded by red people. So See, red people, here's not the, here's Indians. The I'm not talking that. Native Americans. I'm talking about Republicans. Here's the thing about that: if you could get people to agree, we will never ever say derogatory things about the president of the United States, Democrat or otherwise. Would you go along with that, even with your? dislike or should i say hatred of donald trump would you would you agree to that man that's tough <laughs> uh, as much as as much as i hated reagan it's not like reagan was like friends uh, i'm gonna penetrate nancy and then we're gonna go to the capitol and overthrow it you know he never he never said that you know, was just, anyway uh, uh, Jim McMahon was on a podcast uh, earlier today, says uh, Cliff Victoria. He says that it was not nearly as thorough or as long as our interview with Jim McMahon. Thanks for sharing that, Cliff. All right, I'm going to play another soundbite from Matt Eberflus. This is him talking about what can players prove at the OTAs. And, Tooch, I'm going to let you handle the other side of this because I'm going to run to the washroom. Two segments of that. So mentally, so mentally, what you assess this time of year, can the guy pick it up? Is he fast mentally? Can he, can he you know, think on his feet? You know, is he able to adjust and make the adjustments on the fly? Okay, um, that's number one. And then number two, physically, you know, what you can see is the athletic ability. I like to see athletes, that's what we're acquiring here, really good athletes that can run, that have speed. And, and can they operate and be quick and not in a hurry, as, as Coach Wooden would say. So I, we're looking at those those things, body control, and those physical traits that we're looking for to succeed. So at this stage, has anyone reached, you know, based on that, better than you thought status? 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. You know, you're giving him a better. Were you gonna? You're planning on giving him a better shot than than he might have gotten. You know. Uh, I wouldn't get. I really wouldn't give a name right now. I don't really. I wouldn't say that where I'm definitive and saying that. But I see a lot of good athletes out there. Uh, in, in my perspective, um, you know, at the receiving core, defensive backs. You know, there's there's a good amount of, of good athletes in there uh, that we can work with. All right, I like what I hear from. Uh, from the coaching staff so far, man, I, I I like the 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 fact that he's you know he's putting guys in in you know uh, position to uh, compete for their position. Danny, that's refreshing. I just feel like he feels like a big boy coach. He, I mean, again, we haven't had a game, but a comparison with Matt Nagy, he just feels like. All right, they fired the fraud, and the real coach is here. That's what I think. I, I feel like he's an adult. He's not – he's just here, man. He's a fucking coach. And I feel like even if he doesn't win, it's like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And the other guy didn't. He truly didn't. This guy knows what he's doing. And and he uh, for one, he sounds like a Gruden to me. And I know John Gruden may have proven to be an asshole – uh, outside of football, but we can all agree from his commentating and from his uh, Super Bowl win, he knows what he's doing coaching. Mm-hmm. So he knows football. <laughs> he kind of sounds like John or the other Gruden brother to me a little bit. You're getting a lot of people agreeing with your assessment. The uh, big boy coach uh, perfectly said there, Dan. And I like what Nomad says. He, he says, Flus is excellent. His demand his, I think he meant his command of detail is impressive, and I, that's what I like about him. You know, I don't mind a head coach being brought in because he's an outstanding play caller or an outstanding defensive play caller. I, I don't mind that, but for the most part, I prefer a head coach who is more CEO, who is allowing his offensive and defensive coordinator to basically control, and special teams coordinator, basically control those facets of the team. And then he oversees the whole things, the whole thing. He asks questions, he challenges, he, uh, you know, he's just in in command of everything. Uh, Like Nomad said, that to me is so important to have in in today's 21st century uh, head coach. There are very, very few head coaches who can handle the play calling, whether it's offense or, or defense, and still have command over all three facets of a football team. And Cliff says uh, Nagy was an egomaniac, fit the players into a scheme rather than fit the scheme to the players. I wonder how he's doing. That's make- that's so great. That's right? exactly what I mean. I'm not yeah. just saying because I've said that. Mm-hmm. It's just so obvious. It's it really so is. accurate. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, the more you look, uh, look, you see Eberflus, the the more. Uh, he, he makes uh, Nagy look like an amateur. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, it's, that's so right. Don Burr has just posted saying that paper bags in Detroit have been outlawed and banned after the 0-16 season. So what are they going to do next? Plastic bags? <laughs> so Don's here, right? Don Burr, I, I, I don't know. I think Don... Said that he might live in the Chicago area. No, no, no but think... Don's listening right now. Yes, he is in the, in the chat room right now. I still want to know the same question I posed to that guy that I met, the drunk guy from Boston on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I asked him again, do you all root for Brady now that he's in Tampa? 
and maybe I've already asked Don this. I'm not sure, but I, I don't remember the answer. Was he rooting for Stafford in the Super Bowl? Yeah. I want to know if, if what Lions were Lions fans like, oh, fuck him, man. He lost so much for us. Go Bengals. Like, who were they rooting for Stafford? Yeah. I, I, well, let's give uh, Don a, a, a moment to respond to that. But I kind of recall him saying in the middle of last season, he was critical of Stafford uh, and didn't think that he was a Super Bowl quality quarterback. Uh, well, that proved so, to be untrue. Yeah. Well, correct me, uh, uh, Don. Let's see if I'm wrong. Don, sir, Stafford always a line. Still love him. Oh, come on, Don. Is that really how you feel? <laughs> I'm sure when he goes into mm. the Hall of Fame, if he does, he won't be wearing a line hat. <laughs> um, all right, moving on because we got a lot of sound bites here. Um, and I want to talk about some other things in the world of uh, streaming. Um, what, let's turn our attention to Cole Komet. He was asked about what tight ends, uh, can do in this offense. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we've been, we've been putting a lot in this past, you know, month and a half, two months, but you kind of see how the tight ends involved, you know, in the run scheme and off of that with play action movements and all those type of things, you know, can be really advantageous, advantageous for tight ends. So, um, you know, you see guys around the league in summer offenses, you know, whether it was, you know, Tanya a couple years back with Green Bay or, um, you look at obviously what George has done in uh, in San Francisco, and um, you know even look at some things with like Minnesota and and things like that. How they've used tight ends in the past five years or so. Like you th- you see those things, and you can see how tight ends you know can get really involved in this offense. Dan, I know you've been critical of Cole Komet in the past. Do you think that this new offense, this new coaching staff, could help him grow? Man, I mean, it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> First off, get the guy a pair of cleats conducive to the type of field they're on. <laughs> it doesn't help. matter if they're on field turf or grass. This guy's always falling down. Like, get him his, the appropriate shoes for one mm-hmm. and keep him on his fucking feet. Like, you can't go, you can't succeed in the NFL if you can't stand up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic or, or whatever. The guy's falling down all the time. But yeah, I mean, it, what I'm saying is, I did say numerous times, oh, I see bust written all over this guy, but I want him to prove me to be unequivocally wrong. And so far, everything this coaching staff says, if you told me, okay, they're going to make Komet a star, or maybe not a star, maybe, but make him seem like it was a good pick, I'm, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. Because they've already like you know, they everything I've heard they've got, they've got Fields rolling out. He's doing the waggles. He's doing the play fake. Yes, he talked about uh, that. He's doing all the things that the Bears should have done with Trubisky, <clears throat> and and uh, plus he's got an incredible ability to run. They've praised David Montgomery. They're going to run the rock. Everything this coaching staff says makes sense. So if you're going to tell me that they're going to make me believe that Cole Kmet's a good player, that I'm buying. Okay, let's go. I'm with you, Dan. I'm with you 100%. We need to see growth out of Cole Komet. And, and I'm I'm not as unhappy with his play as a lot of fans might be. Um, I, I feel that he's still young. This is his third year. He's 23 years old. And you, you know, when you listen to him talk, he sounds almost like a kid. You know, he sounds so young. And um, listen to him here. Uh, talking about when he was asked about the lack of touchdowns 
by the Bears offense last season and he and uh, immediately internalized it and made it personal yeah so I think I look back on it and you know I look back at each part of my game and you know that was obviously an area that was lacking for me and so I look at it and you look at what what opportunities you had in in the red zone so the two that I like really look back that I kind of wish I had back were the one against San Fran against um, Warner in the end zone where honestly just the timing thing between Justin wanted one place I went the other that's something that I think we're gonna have figured out this year. You know, that's that's one of them. And then the same thing. There was one in Green Bay, a low ball that j- just skipped off the ground. But so those are the two that I look at that I wish I would have had back. And that's really all that all I all I can look at and kind of assess myself on with that type of stuff. Week basis, you had to. There had to be stuff in there for you that. Just yeah, I mean, so, sometimes things don't work out. They play coverage here, the coverage there, and you know, just it doesn't work out. But it is what it is. Like I said, I got to focus on my thing and not worry about the rest. Can you imagine that guy's Dan and Tooch that he he can recall the two circumstances that he had an opportunity to score a touchdown. Here's your your starting tight end. He played the majority of snaps at that position. And he can only recall because that's the only two times he was thrown the ball in the end zone. I mean, that is a fucking problem. What this this offense that Nagy brought over was supposed to be great for tight ends and so forth. It didn't happen, and and I'm not gonna. And blame. they didn't even use Jimmy Graham down there last season. <laughs> exactly. They, a lot of times when that big touchdown catching machine, Jimmy Graham, love him or or hate him, he was good at that in the red zone. He a lot of times he wasn't even on the fucking field. I mean, we we, we, we probably Nagy's trying to outsmart everybody. <laughs> we probably have not kicked Matt Nagy enough <laughs> on the show or anywhere else. <laughs> you know what he's saying. I was coach of the year. <laughs> yeah. That's so his wife and his kids. That's exactly what he's telling. Uh, I was coach of the year. How could they boo me? Uh, Who, I, the uh, heck? Who voted for that? <laughs> it wasn't Tooch. I know that. No. <laughs> but he did have, like, the team was fun to watch that year. It was. It was. It wasn't just because they were winning. Like, he was. it seemed like he was creative, even if he was mm-hmm. trying to, like, hide certain blemishes or what what have you it just felt like well, maybe he had it then and then as soon as they started the bears 100 and and the loss to green bay the 10 to 3 loss yep. it's like he never learned from anything from week to week from and they never tried anything fun or or anything well, you know it, and it started like three then, years of the same shit after that then it even started before that opening day against green bay because that a training oh, the camp. meltdown, yeah. That Damn. training camp, there was nobody was hustling. You know, they weren't hitting. And he didn't play the starters in the preseason. And he had Oh, this, I recall. Yeah. yeah. He had this expectation that they were just going to continue at that same level that they had that left off the season at 2018, that that was just automatically going to bridge over into 2019. What a fucking stupid idiot he is to believe that. You know, you can't. And, you know, at one point, you know, I trusted I trusted the veterans, you know, to come to camp, uh, uh, you know, fully, re- really loaded. And I, I, I regret that. <laughs> right. This is the best right. comment of the night. Go ahead, read it, dude. His bald head still pisses me off. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> guy's I wearing agree. a visor. He's got a, he's got a bald head. He's wearing a visor. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, move on to the next soundbite. Um, 
This is uh, uh, Komet talking about what he sees as the growth in Justin Fields. It's not so much timing and, you know, getting a feel for each other on the field, but more just relationship. I think that's important. Um, having a good relationship with guys, you know, me and Mooney and, and uh, Justin met, obviously met up this offseason. And, you know, that's just good, good bonding and, and good feel for each other. And I think that goes to the field. So I think that's important. Where have you seen the most growth from Fields? Man, he's confident. He's confident coming in. So it's been it's been fun to be out there with him and and uh, you know confident in the huddle, you know, in his calls, things like that. So taking initiative with everybody, and uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of. And everybody's talking about Justin uh, in a way that just is raising my expectations for him. He's got you know, and Ibraflus today was asked, "What's the most impressive thing about uh, that you've learned in these OTAs from Justin?" And he immediately said the deep ball <laughs> he's so good with the deep ball accurate and can really launch it and Cole Komet talked about it uh too uh during the press conference he said one day there was like a 30 mile an hour wind in his in his face and, and Fields was still launching at 60 yards downfield uh man expectations are high for this guy Ooh, can't wait well again I hate to go back to Matt Nagy but I've got to go back to <laughs> Matt Nagy let's do it <laughs> Justin Fields whom I have wanted to be the guy mm -hmm. i've already bought three jerseys of justin just to prove that i'm on i'm on his dick right i yeah. want him to fucking be everything you know how the bears fans celebrated when he was drafted that night uh -huh. i'm one of those guys yeah. so i'm definitely a proponent of fields but I, I said to you last season it looked like it was just so difficult just to complete a single pass yep. like one pass it just felt like it was it was like a some type of surgery that was experimental, but th that goes back to Nagy again. They never got this guy into any sort of fluidity or rhythm, in, except in the Pittsburgh game and the the game I was at. You know the the second half he he got he was on fire then, and in portions of that San Francisco game, on my birthday, on Halloween. But beyond that, there was never any other moments, and that's on Nagy. That is on coaching. Especially when you're like the game we were at with the, the Browns, he's getting his fucking face beaten in, and Nagy can't make an adjustment with the line or just God, like cross block or something. Just change something up. You know, like I, I just feel like Fields of Struggles and Trubisky struggles are both because of the bald fuck. I yeah. truly do. And I think Fields is gonna prove to everybody that he's worthy of that first round pick. Yeah. I mean uh, I, I, the first person I think uh, that I'll talk to when Iberflus proves that he's a much better coach than Matt Nagy is Mike North. No, it's the Tooch because he was oh. even during that 2018 season, Tooch was was putting up warning flares about eh, I don't know about this guy. You better keep an eye on him. This that guy was the Jordan Howard thing. Uh, yeah, you know, we have Jordan Howard. The kid was giving his all for us. Remember when uh, Jordan Howard had like the sh slight shoulder separation and he had this yeah, awesome, uh, still had the right. game winning touchdown, right? And uh, he was he was so hurt that he was running, you know, down the sideline. He turned his body away so they wouldn't hit his shoulder and they like you know planted him out of bounds and stuff, you know. And then the next, I don't know whether it was the next game. Or so, or shortly thereafter, that Nagy, like, just stop giving him the ball. You know, he was the only one that was consistently moving the change. You know, and and Jordan Howard would come back after you get taken out uh, of the of the play. 
he'd come back and you'd, I saw a clip of Nagy said, don't worry, I'm going to get you going. I'm going to get you going. You know, I give you the ball, get you rolling, feed you the ball. He never did after that. Just never did. You know, it, it just—I just never trusted him after that. You know, it's, it, he's at the king of empty promises. Yeah, well put. To uh, be fair, the game uh, with Jordan's shoulder was when Fox was coach. Not to contradict you, but that was, was okay. Mike, that was the one game Mike Glennon won as a Bear. Oh, that's right. <laughs> week three in 2017 against the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that may have been the last game the Bears wore those 1940s the blue ones with just the orange numbers that Phil loved so much. Mm-hmm. I think that was the last day we, we had worn those because they brought the orange jerseys back. And and then now when they allowed you to have two alternate jerseys, they have that 1936 Jersey that kind of needs to go away now. <laughs> Wouldn't you all agree? The ones of those yeah, funky yeah, stock I, and I, stuff. I, it was I cool for the orange anniversary, but now it's time to go away. Yeah. yeah. We're not the Broncos. <laughs> no. <laughs> or Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. The helmet kind of looks like Michigan, except it's orange. Yeah. The uh, throwback that they have to go back to is the all whites with the black helmets and the, uh, oh, and the white Oh, that's great. Seat. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it yeah. right there. Don't yep. fuck around anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make you guys sell some jerseys and hats, man. <laughs> or just wear them. white on white on the road. Even if you have the orange C, that's fine. Just. They haven't done that since the 08 season. Well, the last time they wore the white on white period was opening day of 09 when Cutler was his first game against Green Bay. First game period as a Bear in, in the regular season was the last time the Bears wore white on white. Mm-hmm. Opening day, Sunday night football, 2009. That's just criminal. Why is that? You know? I don't know. We've got to get Bears? somebody on this show from the Bears who can answer that question. Have the Bears ever done that? Uh... I know there's like a Thursday night game where they do these like neon color uniforms. No, like, they you know, look, the, the, those like the crazy color. Color rush, I think it's color called. Color rush, yeah, exactly, Aldo. I'm sorry, I was going to say, I think what they considered color rush, they did the blue jersey with the, the navy pants. Yeah. Which okay. the Bears have never won in that scenario, by the way. They, they lost to Green Bay in 02 at Champagne. On a Monday night game, they lost that rain game on Thursday night football in the color rush against Green Bay. What was that, 2000? That was Glennon's last game in 2017 when, when Akeem Hicks was after the game. was like, fuck this guy. He's got to be benched. And uh, and the only other time, they wore them opening day against Atlanta uh, in 2017. With the blue on blue. That so they've done it three times or 0 and 3. All right, let's move on here and uh let's listen to Cole Komet talking about what he's been working on. Yeah, for me, everything hands catch. Everything's gotta be hands catch. That's one thing with that. And then um it's hard to do now without pads on, but really craving violence through my blocks. That's kind of a thing, you know, especially on double teams. So those are the two things I'm kind of focusing on. Um obviously the hands catching stuff is you can I can really work on that now. The other thing, not so much about pads, but you do what you do. Is there any way to work on that without? Yeah, I'll have Coach Dre hold the bag and I'll tee off on him. That's about it. <laughs> I like that. I love the idea that he wants to become a violent blocker. That is outstanding. Uh, that would go along with what this offensive line is being molded to do, you know, to have that edge, to have that nastiness. 
So if he can join those blockers with that edge, I mean, you know, the guy, man, he looks like he's a high school student. He's, you know, young, good looking guy. He sounds, you know, like he he couldn't hurt a mosquito. So hopefully it's not just all talk. I hope, hopefully he will become that violent blocker. And the fact that he's working on hands, how many times were we just so fucking upset that uh, those drop passes that he should have definitely had? He probably could have added another 120, 150 yards uh, pass receiving if he would have held on to some throws that were uh, pretty easy catches and even throws in the flat sometimes he dropped. Um, th- that was pretty frustrating. But then he'd and come he gets back- tackled by one finger. Yeah, I, I- I've seen that, but at the same time, I've also seen him push the crowd. Uh, so it's just a matter of consistency with this kid. Uh, but this is the year. He's got to show it. Although you're expecting big things from him, right, this year? I really am. I'm, I'm expecting 70 to 75 catches and three to five touchdowns. I, I, that's highly necessary. And so then the Bears are winning. Yeah, because if he's catching seventy-five balls, the Bears are fucking winning. That means they're running the ball, doing a lot of play action, and getting him wide open, and it's going well. And it's funny that you say that, uh, Dan, and that you said earlier about Fields, you know, uh, moving around in the backfield and so forth. And 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 Cole talked about that at the press conference that this offense has him on the run a lot, throwing on the run. Uh, you know, moving the pocket, and he has seen Justin be so accurate when he's moving and throwing the ball. That is, if that is true, and that he can continue that into the regular season, fuck, we have a franchise quarterback because that is today's NFL. That is what quarterbacks are expected to do, and if he can do that, it is great. There's a lot of negative comments about yeah. Coach uh, in the chat. What do you think, Tooch? I don't have his numbers. I was trying to find his numbers uh, off hand. I, he didn't have as bad a, a year statistically as we think yeah. Yeah. last season. I mean, he, he probably had more catches than we remember. I like 60. More, I more yardage than we remember, too. About 50 of them were in the fourth quarter when we were down 20. <laughs> but the thing with Komet is I, I've always uh, – I, I, what I would like to see is him, like, work on his, like, quickness and his footwork – and stuff like that because to me he's always seemed really stiff and like dan says he falls down you know so easily mm-hmm. and it, it's hard i mean matt Nagy came from kansas city where they have arguably the best tight end in the nfl and mm-hmm. travis kelsey and, and Nagy's and company drafted Komet, right and they never or Nagy didn't even hardly try to get him the ball you know like they would commit like they would uh kelsey you know, they didn't utilize him at all like they did in Kansas City. Well, I'll tell you this. He had 60 catches last year. He was targeted 93 times, which is more yeah. than double from his rookie season. His rookie season, 44 uh, pass attempts to uh Komet. Last year, 93, caught 60 of those passes. So what happened on those 33 incompletions? Those 60 uh, receptions equated to 612 yards, yeah. so that's 10 yards per catch, so-so. Uh, but the the disheartening thing is zero touchdowns. Yeah, 93 yeah. targets, that's like wide receiver number yeah. targets. Yeah. You know, so he yeah. was targeted a lot last year. I mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, I didn't realize it was that high. You wonder what happened with how many of the balls of those 33 that were missed were, were not his fault, you know, or that he right. dropped that were just uncatchable. Right. 
But I got to share with you what Greg Gabriel says. Every time we talk about Cole Komet, he says there's a misperception out there that Cole Komet is a pass-catching tight end. He's not. He's a wide tight end. Line him up next to that tackle, and his job is to block uh, for the quarterback, run block for the running backs, and then occasionally get out there and make a play over the middle. So it's not like we drafted a, you know, Kellen Winslow is my my perfect example of a pass catching tight end that I'd love to see with no the Chicago Bears. You mean Kellen Winslow senior? Senior, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you throw that comment up there? That's hilarious. Which one? Comment is different. Yeah, no man says Komet is stiffer than my wood when I see a big broad. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no man likes him like I like him. Big and juicy. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's see what else I like. Let's move on from Cole and start with uh, a few sound bites that I have from Tevin Jenkins. So, first of all, what we all want to know is how is your back, Tevin Jenkins? I have no thought about my back. I. I trust everything that goes into it, especially, like I said, the Pilates part, making your core strong. As soon as you have your core strong, all that like takes away from all any back pain you would have. So I'm not worried about the back at all right now. What's your outlook individually on the season? Healthy, you got an opportunity now to step in and you know this full ramp up as we talked about it. What does this chance here mean? Uh, for me, it's about being as best I can be for the team. And how can I elevate my play from what I was doing from college, what I was doing last year, the last few games to now. So I'm trying to elevate everything about myself mentally and physically right now. Does it feel like a major difference what you're being asked to do this year versus last year with the scheme? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is a big difference. It's a lot more faster, faster pace, up more up-tempo, uh, getting around, setting edges, all that stuff. And how that affects you is you got to slim down a little bit more and uh, – Start getting like uh, I say more faster, a little speeding up in certain areas. That a huge challenge to do. Uh, what part? Slim down, being more I guess. On the well, I'm already slimmed down right now. I'm already down to 325, and last season I was up to 345, and I got down to, I believe, at the end of last season I was 33% body fat, and now I'm down to about 24. So slimming down is. It's difficult, but you have to be disciplined in yourself to make sure that you like stay on the right diet and make sure that your body does what it's supposed to do. This guy keeps, stays in shape. It's going to help uh, avoid further back injuries. Let's not forget that he missed a good portion of his last year in college football, and then he misses most of the season. So when he was asked to come in and play at that left tackle position, it was after almost two years of not playing football. And so when he's jumping off sides and when he's looking like a, like a, like a, a almost a draft bust, um, you know, you got to take into account that, you know, he had not played left tackle uh, much in college, only six, seven starts. And he had missed all that time because he had back surgery in his final year. Uh, so things to be, you know, to give the guy uh, some uh, the benefit of the doubt. Fair to say, uh, Dan? Yeah, and I, I think that may have been the first time I've actually heard him talk extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because we didn't hear him for so long last year because he had that, well, I don't want to say it mysterious ailment, but of course the Bears were acting like it was, you know, that 
his injury was somehow going to help the Ukrainians win the war. So we can't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's uh, obviously that hadn't happened yet, but I'm just using that as an example. They act like it was like the government secret. Mm-hmm. So by the time, like, I don't even know if we heard, heard from him when he had the thing with the fit, a Jermaine or a fitty, a fetty mm-hmm. after the push and the helping fields on Monday night. Mm-hmm. So it's good to hear him talk. He sounds like uh, a, a guy that, knows what he's doing he sounds he sounds competent you know and i've got high hopes for him even before hearing that sound bite i was thinking even if he is a right tackle i just like remember that i remember reading quotes from him when he got drafted that sounded so great too about how he wanted basically to almost be able to fuck people up and stuff so uh i i like him I, and you know he defended fields and and i i like him i hope that he's successful but I could say that about everybody because they have the helmet on. But I, I do like him. Don't you feel like the, the kid we drafted too in the fifth round? Yeah, uh, the, uh, on yeah. the line, Braxton. Braxton Jones. He'll be competing for that left tackle position with uh, Larry Borum, uh, and I'll and I'll get to what PJ just pad up on on the screen just in just a second. But I want to get Tucci's thoughts on Tevin Jenkins. Yeah, he, he, I mean, carrying around extra weight can really affect your back. You know, just let me tell you from experience. He said he was 345 pounds. I mean, he's a big dude. Oh, I mean, shit. That, 345 pounds, that is big. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I think back to uh, uh, James Big Cat Williams. You oh, know, that yeah. dude was like 6'7", 335. Perfect. You know? and, uh, exactly. Uh, uh, Tevin, you know, slimming down and, and getting quicker is only going to help him. You know, it's going to help his back. It's going to help his game. It doesn't matter whether, like you said, I, know, I saw Jordan uh, Silvera throw up a comment says left tackle is just as important as right tackle. It, it is pretty much. Totally agree you know? with Jordan. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna wherever wherever the defense thinks there's a weakness, they'll move their best pass rusher over, whether it's the right tackle or the left tackle. It doesn't matter. Tooch, you know? so. that I'm going to isolate that clip right there and, and play it at the start of every Bears show because <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, this whole old way of thinking is that the your best offensive pass blocker has to be on the left side no n- nowadays it has to be both tackles both because that's, that's where you're going to find their best pass rusher they're going to try to exploit the weakness on the line yeah so. he, he looks just I mean, tevin jay he just looks like healthier and happier he looks like a dude man I, yeah. you know he looks like he's matured you know i mean last time i uh we saw him rookie year you know he, he had baby fat and the glasses and stuff you're like I don't know if this guy's ready to play in the NFL. <laughs> you know, that was my thought, you know, in the beginning. And he, he didn't hardly even see the field. But, uh, uh, you know, this year, I, I, I really, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for that. Let me interject Matt Nagy again. <laughs> you remember Olin? Olin, Olin I loved Harry Heastan. Yeah, right. Talked him up. We would hear from everybody how great an offensive line coach he was. The Bears brought him back. Yep. And Matt Nagy successfully made this man lose every bit of his credibility. Yep. He lost all of it. He'll never work in the league again. Yep. So they bring in the next guy from Philly. What was his name? Juan uh, Castillo? Juan Castillo, yes. Uh, and, and what did they do with him? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he's not a good coach either. I'm just saying the offensive line struggled, period, point blank, with the bald fuck as the head coach. Just like every other aspect of the team struggled with the bald fuck as coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised that Tevin Jenkins thinks that it's a completely different offense and that 
you know, this one requires them to be leaner and, and faster. It's just like nobody even knows what the goal of the other offense was. Mm-hmm. I don't think Matt Nagy knows. Oh, no. uh, let's do what Andy's doing. No, he, That's it, his entire offense. Nagy still, to this day, doesn't know what the identity of his offense exactly. having coached him for three, four years. The, the thing that always stands out to me, and I brought this up on the show before, but it's so <laughs> worth mentioning. The game in 2019 where they're playing the Chargers, I don't know if they were the L.A. Chargers yet or San Diego, but whatever, the fucking Chargers mm-hmm. were at Soldier Field. They have a miserable first half, but they're still in the game. They're probably down like, 10-6 or whatever, something like that. It's it's 13-6. It's a winnable game. Mm-hmm. They come out in the second half, just start running the fucking rock. They're just running the ball straight down the Chargers' throats, and they go like 17 plays and score or something. And then, of course, in the fourth quarter, he gets away from it. And then after the game, when he's because the Chargers won because Pinheiro missed the field goal to lose. And they, they basically asked him, like, well, wow, look at what you did in the first half, and look how – and, and just absolutely effective. They looked running the ball. Oh, they didn't bring me here to run the I formation. That's what he said. Unbelievable. They didn't bring me here to run the I formation. Yeah. Dude, they brought you here to win games. If you luck into an offensive set that suddenly your team is mastering, not to say they could have sustained that success. Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. Yeah. But it, 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 again, I use the Pat Riley analogy. Pat Riley comes from showtime, but he goes to the Knicks. He's like, well, I don't see James worthy. I don't see Byron Scott. I damn sure don't see magic. We got Starks and we got Patrick Ewing and we got Derek Harper. we got Charles Oakley. We got some fucking, some big ass dudes up front who can knock your head off. Well, we're going to play physical. Yep. We're going to slow it down. Completely runs a different scheme right. because it fit the team that the Knicks had. Mm-hmm. Matt Nagy is not capable of that, and I need to stop talking about him. No, you're <laughs> abs- but you're absolutely right. And, and yeah, and that example of Pat Riley was perfect example of a guy, of a coach that adjusted to the talent he inherited, and so he went from Showtime to Bad Boys. Yeah, he adopted exactly. They were kind of the Pistons' light. So were the Miami Heat during that era. Yeah, exactly. When they had Zoe, because Alonzo, you know, when Charlotte was more of a scorer, but then he had like the kidney ailment and stuff, Mm -hmm. and then he went from being a guy that could probably get you twenty five to a guy that would knock your fucking head off and get you twenty rebounds, Mm -hmm. but was still a, a stud, obviously, but completely refined his game by the time he was with Miami, and. Them and the, the Knicks, they had those, like, you know, basically, because Pat went to Miami, too, so he had they met every year, it felt like, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, let's get back to um, Tevin Jenkins. He was asked about left tackle, right tackle, because today he was playing at that right tackle position. Feels good. You know, that's uh, why I played mostly in college, so uh, it is comfortable. It was nice, and... Uh, I do look forward to keep on getting these reps at right tackle. So you do you think that that will be your position this year? Uh, your understanding? From my understanding right now, as of right now, yeah, it is. I mean, it sounds like you, you want that. that... I, I play wherever they need me. Get in where you fit in. How do you, how do you weigh the prestige of left tackle versus <laughs> wanting to just find a place where you can contribute? Yeah, for me, it's more about... Where can I be the best for the team? 
and what can I do and what certain position is it going to elevate the whole offense for me. That's that's my personal like thing about it. You say that as, as though that will be best for the team. That might also be best for you to be open-minded as an individual player too. Uh, in a certain way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he would like to play left tackle because generally still, for some reason, left tackles make more money than anybody on the offensive line. But I think he really wants that right tackle position. He, he's just better suited for that right tackle position. Uh, Jordan uh, Silveria on, in the chat listed a, a, a couple of reasons why he's excellently suited <laughs> for that position. And I, I think that's kind of uh, – that's kind of a given. The concern, though, is who the, who the fuck is going to play left tackle? Is Larry Borum ready for the left tackle? Are they going to be looking for a left tackle veteran uh, after the June 1st cuts? Uh, that's a little concerning. I know uh, Dan has talked about it in uh, the last few previous shows, so we'll see what's up with that. Um, I got two more from him. Um, I, for, I wrote Tevin last year learning sad. That, that's what I wrote. So I'm trying to remember what it was that he said here so I can better lead up to it. But apparently he was not really ready for play last year. Let's listen to what he says. Uh, you know, once we get to this level, one thing I did learn is you're not. Oh, I remember. It, 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 his response here bothered me a little bit. Uh, so he was asked, what did you learn last year? Uh, you know, once we get to this level, one thing I did learn is you're not going to win 100% of the snaps. It's about how consistent you can be is how good you can be. And that's what you're trying to strive for all through practices and all these reps you're getting is, is how, how consist, consistently good can you be? That's what the main thing I learned. Was your patience tested? I guess first with the with the injury, and then second coming back at a time where you know the clock was ticking on the season, and I imagine the, the urgency to show something in four or five weeks was probably in the back of your head. Yeah, you know it, it's, it was a hard thing from me being out for that whole year before as well. Like I was out since October, had the surgery, and then I didn't have all those reps. But like you said, the urgency to come back and say that I need to be getting these reps, I need to show something that, that says I deserve to be where I'm at is was very pressing to me and was making sure my mental was good enough to push myself to be the best I could be out there. I, I wish that he would have said, I know I can win 100% of my snaps, as opposed to his biggest learning lesson from last year is that you're not going to win 100% of snaps? Uh, let me defend him. Okay. I think maybe coming in, like, he wants to win every snap, and maybe that means he's lingering on the ones he's beaten on. You know, like they always say, a good cornerback or good safety doesn't have a, a memory. Right, right. You know, if they get beaten, so be it. They'll come back and try to get an interception the next play or – or a peanut punch as we've been referencing or something, but they have to just let it go. And maybe I'm looking too much into it, but perhaps it's because he's saying, okay, cut the shit. I'm not going to win every snap. So don't dwell on the negative and try to win the next one. Or maybe I'm just full of sunshine like Greg Braggs here. (laughs) 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 Um, no, I, I, I'm buying what you're saying. Um, 
you know, I, I, I just feel like there should be this mindset that I'm going to fucking win every snap. And maybe that's more bravado than uh, being practical about the thing. I, I just wish he – I know that he plays mean, and I know that he feels that he can be that guy that's going to win every snap. But, I, but maybe the frustrations from last season made him made him – feel that way pj says he spoke reality though he won't win every snap yeah i guess not i mean i i'd have to look at some of the metrics you know some there are some some uh offensive linemen who have never allowed a, a sack um that's not a strange thing in the nfl uh there are a lot of nfl offensive linemen who has who have graded really high in run blocking I'd love to just talk to him after that if I was a coach, I should say, and just tell him, change that mindset a little bit. I want you to 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 shift towards I can't to I will or I can. Um, I think, you know, that kind of mindset can help a player. What do you think, uh, uh, Toot? You're nodding up and down. You agree with me? Or with yeah, the- yeah, I agree. Uh, I kind of liken it to I'm not going to win every bet, you know? That's how it struck me at first. You know, it's like it's impossible. I can't win every bet. I'd be a millionaire. You know, but uh, and then Dan says, you know, Dan Dan's right. It's not it, he can't dwell on the the times he was beaten if he does get beat. You know, yeah. uh, well, like, use might- use baseball for example and pretend that he's a hitter. You know, even if you're batting three thirty three, which is awesome, you know, you're still basically getting out almost seventy percent of the time. So he's saying I I can't dwell on the K's. I've got to I've got to come back up and you know pull the ball some. Sometimes I, you know I'm just it's, it's it's like a hitter is what I'm saying. You you can't dwell on your strikeouts or you know like if you can't beat that shift if you're a left-handed hitter whatever. Uh, they're about to get rid of that though, right? Did I read that? Uh, get, get rid of what the uh, that fucking shift that they do with left-handed yeah, hitters. They're supposed to do that, but I don't know if they've started that yet. I don't know if that's for next season or the second half of the season. That's Tony Larusso, the star of that shit, right? Yeah, fucking Tony, yeah. <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Tony Larusso. It's not that. much worse than seeing an 80 year old guy in a baseball uniform. You know, it's like <laughs> sag in, in too many places. I agree. He should just it's show up yeah. with some loafers on. And yeah, cardigan sweater, you know. Yep. <laughs> uh, smoking a pipe. That's Tony Larusa. And give him a little drink. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think this is the last one that I have. It is uh uh this this made me happy. He's talking about you know the having that edge on the offensive line. This is what the team wants, this is what one of the reasons he was drafted. So this is him about having that uh, that edge. The edge or disposition that you kind of take out on the field. Obviously, Jermaine wasn't that much of a fan of it last year. Do you feel like this offensive line is going to be more receptive to that kind of attitude, that kind of nastiness on the field that you tend to bring? Uh, I do think that, yeah. The, what's been shown so far in OTAs, I see the fire, all the fight, and all of the rest of the O-line. So I'm really excited for what's going to be coming up here in a couple months. And is that something that you would take on? Like, Would you like to, to take on that kind of demeanor as the O-line? Like, don't play with us. Don't play with my quarterbacks, running backs. I'm here for Ultimately, yeah, yeah. But I don't like to talk about it. I like to do it instead. So it's like a lot, a lot of things to be done instead of spoken for. 
Dan, I know you don't have the benefit of looking at the video when he said that, but trust me, he looked like a bad motherfucker when he said that. It's like looking at Well, him. I can yeah, he's a big dude. I mean, like I said, I've seen him in in you know, in uniform on the field. I mean, he looks like he could knock a motherfucker out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think he had <laughs> plenty of motherfuckers out. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad to see that. That's one thing. Or you know, I I, I didn't like you know uh, the reporter brought up the whole Jermaine uh, Feedy thing. I, I didn't personally like the fact that Tevin got that penalty because the Bears still had a chance to get into that game, and that penalty just was a, a another setback in their attempts to pull out a comeback victory. But I, I do love the mentality that I, I'm not going to fucking take any shit from you. You know, I'm going the next time I block you, I'm going to fucking bury you six feet under. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to look for those. <laughs> I've talked about this before. And people were saying, man, I never want to play football against Aldo because he's a cheap shot artist. But that's the way I grew up playing football. And basketball, for that matter. Come into the lane after you you fucking did me dirty on a previous play. I'm going to fucking hack you. <laughs> so, I'm going to do it in a way hopefully the referee won't see. But nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I want that offensive line to have that edge. I want them to love to eat glass and then go out there and, and then spit in somebody's face and block the shit out of them. So, um, and, and one of the things that happened today – uh, Cliff Victoria saying, I can live with Borum and Tevin at the start of the season and hope Braxton or one of the other signings turns out to be great. Well, I got to tell you, you know, Borum played mostly right tackle in college and, and Jordan, who has done a lot of scouting of these guys, can correct me if I'm wrong. But it, it is beginning to look like Borum might be able to play left tackle in this league. And I was doubtful of that. But I think that there is a chance that – these two guys could be the starting tackles at the beginning of the year, and it won't be bad news. Larry Borum at left tackle and at right tackle Tevin Jenkins. Um, uh, Tooch, I see you nodding your head. And, uh, you agreeing yeah, with me? Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think Borum's probably better at left tackle than Jenkins. I just Borum, I, he he just seems to be in, in get position on the on the pass rusher, the guy he's blocking, just naturally. I don't know whether it's just instinct or whatever, just the way he moves. I mean, I, I saw some of his tape in college, and, and he, he just he just naturally knew how to get his body in a position where he could win nearly every snap. I know he played at Missouri uh, uh, in, in the uh, Big 12. But, yeah, uh, Jordan probably knows a little better than me. But that's what I remember from watching his tape and watching the few times he was in there. But I, I, think, uh, I, think he's, he, I think he might be the better left tackle. I've been saying that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. So, um, all right. Uh, that's all of my interviews. We've got about 45 minutes left to go here. So, uh, Jordan says, Borum played his last year at M uh, Mizzou at right tackle and gave up 0% pressure rate against yep. the SEC comp competition. Wow. Yep. It, it's exciting. And he – since the time he was drafted uh, and and showed up to camp last year, he transformed his body. He he lost a lot of body fat. He, uh, you know, as as already been working towards being a, a faster, quicker uh, uh, offensive lineman. Bruce Ali Walter Jor Jordan says Borum has fast feet. He sure does. So this guy might be cut out of that mold. That's perfect for this 
Luke Getze offense, fast, athletic, quick feet uh, offensive lineman. So I'm I'm excited about Borum. Um, Jordan, why don't you come on next week and talk to us about Larry Borum and and uh, send me some uh, thoughts that you have on tape that I can pull, and then we'll uh, we'll let you have a little seminar here on Larry Borum. Let's do that next week. Right now, uh, in this last 40 minutes or so that we have, let's turn our attention to talking about some of the stuff that we've seen on the on streaming and whether we've gone to the movies, um, what any pornos that you guys have watched. Uh, Dan, what was, <laughs> Dan, when was the last time you saw a porno? Today? Today? <laughs> no, you're talking about like a whole movie or just something I jerked off to? <laughs> just something you jerked off to. Oh, today? <laughs> <laughs> was there a scenario or was it just straight to the fucking? You really want to know? Yes, I really want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was just in one of those moods. I was watching a compilation uh, where they kept showing like the cum shots, you know? Oh, A, a cool. compilation of of black ladies blowing white guys. The black and making ladies? Them, like, making them cum, so. <laughs> and in, in my head, no pun intended, I'm the one busting the nut, you see. I see. You're not the one doing the dick sucking. <laughs> No, no, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, actors, the method actors, you know, they play the character the whole time. Yes. I'm the guy in the film, you know. I'm... <laughs> you asked, man. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that with us. You're not the only one who watches those compilation videos. That's the first thing I go to. <laughs> I just hope Mrs. Gandhi is not listening to this week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Aldo, why, why is there on your browser teenage compilation porn? <laughs> now I didn't go that far and put teenage in it. Like I said, I feel weird. Like just even if someone's bad, like damn, look at her, but she's born in 1998. Ooh, I feel like a fucking pervert. You know, I, I know, man. I feel only the same way now when I see these hot chicks. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing, man? These girls are younger than my daughters. Yeah, it's like, how did we get so old? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, well, uh, Barroom, uh, Barroom Network. Tucci uh, reminded us that uh, we need to still talk about the Roquan. Uh, the chat room was asking for some Roquan chat talk. Okay, well, uh, Dan, are you aware of what happened with Roquan? I've been gone out of town, as you know, for almost a week. So I hadn't heard of it until uh, we were about to come on air. So well, uh, allegedly, yeah. from what I hear, he, again, I'm saying allegedly, right? he may have, God, I even hate saying it, but the allegation is out there from a female that he may have raped her. Right. I think during his rookie season. Correct. And I don't, as you recall, when I defended Manson on this, like I don't want to ruin this guy's career by just intimating that he raped a woman. If he did it, then again, I hope he's convicted and I hope he goes to jail, mm -hmm. but I hope he didn't. I hope he gets exonerated and I hope he's a bear and gets a new contract. So I want, I'm rooting for him, you know, but I mean, I, I hope it's not true. I mean, I don't, I'm not sitting around saying, well, I hope he did it, but he doesn't get held accountable so he can stay as our linebacker. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying I hope that that it's not true. You, you, you Again, because I am a fan of the team, I, I want everyone on the team to be good people. Mm -hmm. So I want him to be a good person. So I hope he didn't do it. 
I don't know. Yeah, and for those who, uh, who don't know, a, a young woman uh, posted on her TikTok account the allegation that uh, she was raped by Roquan Smith. She's from South Africa. Uh, she's a, a white girl living in South Africa. I guess the that it's like forty percent of the population there are white people. Um, and so she's made this allegation and she has since removed the TikTok video making this allegation. Somebody screen saved that. I took a quick look at it and there's these shots of her looking dejected. There's a, a shot of her. Uh, there's a picture of the rape kit that allegedly she went to the, to, to the hospital and, and had a rape kit done. Uh, and again, this was five years ago. And so the speculation is, well, maybe, you know, she's just after the money because uh, Roquan is now set to get a contract extension. That's going to be a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, it could be that she is finally had the courage to, to come forward and say, we don't know. We don't know uh, what the details are. And so all I will say is let hopefully justice will prevail and if this woman is lying then she should face uh criminal consequences for that and if roquan was involved in in, uh, in a in a rape then he should face uh whatever the law says he should face so that's where i think we should all stand on this do you you agree with that yeah i mean innocent until proven guilty that's how it works that's how it should work yeah. You know, you can't uh, jump to conclusions. You know, everybody deserves a chance to uh, tell their side of the story or have their day in court or however you want to say it. So, uh, you know, you have to uh, let the truth come out. And the, let the courts decide whatever uh, whatever was the truth. Yep. And uh, Rakim asks, well, if she has the rape kit, the abuser's DNA would be there, right? Uh, Dan, you probably know a little about this working for 911. In theory, yes. So what they're looking for uh, would be like if if he ejaculated, there should be some some type of semen. Uh, it could be pubic hair, some form of DNA. But even if there is that, that's not to say that she just didn't fuck him and tell him to come. I mean, you know, that could be the truth too. But in, in the situation of rape, uh, at the time, obviously not now, because again, you have to keep in mind too, when they're doing the kit, they don't want the woman to wash up in any way, no shower, even if it's shameful, like you're, you feel terrible. They need you to be in your state of what happened to prove what happened. And I think that's a lot of things too, because if you're a woman, we're not women, but if we were, I think any of us would want to get out of that situation immediately and just try to wash it away here you know what i mean you wouldn't want a guy that just raped you heinously you don't wouldn't want his fucking cum in you you know mm -hmm. but th that's what you have to allow the process to go so i think that deters a lot of women too mm -hmm. um because there is the instance where they they don't believe you but anyway the, the another thing they would look for would be like tearing of, of the vagina and things like that you know uh to to corroborate an allegation like that and she did in this TikTok post uh, did make reference to the fact that uh, she was violently assaulted 
uh, in terms of the intercourse, the penetration, and she made reference to I'm damaged, I'm still in so much pain, and I think she was talking about the physical pain. So she was making these allegations that this uh, big athlete, uh, you know, had sex with her. So these are her allegations. Um, and uh, it's defend Roquan again. It might be one of those situations where she requested to for lack of a better word for him to do that roughly. Mm -hmm. yep. So again, in those in a completely consensual manner, if this guy's well endowed, you know, I don't know how tall she is, but let's say the lady's like five, two or something. Maybe her vagina is, is smaller. And if this guy has a huge cock like Nick Foles or something, and she wants it rough. I mean, it could do some damage, even if it were consensual. So you never know. Like, I don't want to condemn Roquan any more than I want to say that this woman is lying. Because <laughs> she could be completely to... speaking the truth. Why'd you have to say false? Here I am laughing while we're talking about something serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Foles is the guy that is supposed to be the standard bearer for dicks in the in the locker room. Has Foles ever raped somebody? I think Falls. No, I think he's one of those guys that's been married and yeah. kids forever. I, I think Falls raped Carson once, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> he fucking took his job, man. Well, I, I, he may have also raped Tom Brady because he's two and zero against Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Not to, I think I probably said this when we got Falls, but it's still worth mentioning. If you go back, you watch that Super Bowl when the Eagles won over New England. They've just, it's just, it's over. The confetti's starting to fall. You know, Foles is the MVP, so the camera's on him. In less than a minute. Mm -hmm. And Foles is walking, you know, he's happy. And Wentz comes up to him and says, next year, this is going to be me. Mm -hmm. Within a minute, he's already, like, jealous and envious of Nick Foles. Maybe that's human nature, but you'd like to think, I mean, he just won the Super Bowl. Like, be happy. Congratulate him. Like, Drew Bledsoe didn't go up to Tom Brady and say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, shit. I mean, sometimes you get hurt and the, the backup wins. I mean, be happy. Your alternative is you lose in the playoffs. Yeah. You know what's funny, uh, Dan, is that just as we we're talking about this subject, there's a bot that came up with like a porno, you know, website girls, boys, trans, 18 plus, naked, HD, fun. And I guess there was a link or something. Tooch immediately blocked them and kicked them out. But isn't it funny that as soon as we started talking about that, that maybe there's an algorithm, you know, associated with it? They heard us talking about sex and they, they sent this link. YouTube sent this link to us. Uh, so, anyways, I, I know Dan later is going to ask me, "Hey, what was that link to?" <laughs> no, 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 I don't trust <laughs> you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. By and the way, do you like, think it was YouTube, like back there, just like maybe that's how they make extra money. They're just <laughs> they, they they're recording everything. They they, they find out they, they hear Dan's sex story, then they throw the fucking that's link right. out there. They get a little bit of cash. <laughs> that's right. Maybe right? that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well all right let's uh let's talk about something a little bit more entertaining entertainment uh what have you guys watched that you want to share with us uh dan you want to start first i've been out of town man so yeah i haven't watched, watched shit, huh? tonight i'm playing on um, because it's my last night off from doing both jobs uh -huh. i just did radio tonight i plan on watching again the show i've been telling you about uh gaslight on stars all i'm right. gonna watch the episode i missed on sunday mm-hmm 
Uh, and that's basically my only plan tonight because my schedule, my sleep pattern has been flipped. Mm -hmm. I've been getting up early for like a week, which has really fucked me. Like I wanted to sleep all day today and I still woke up at 11 a.m. So I'm probably only going to be able to watch that, but I still highly recommend it. I hope you watched French Connection too. I'm starting to think you probably haven't. <laughs> I have not, but uh, and Bobby Deerfield. I I saw Bobby Deerfield. Oh, you did? Yes. And for those people who don't know, this is Al Pacino's movie after he went through this incredible string of great films, including The Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, help me out here, uh, guys. Uh, who? Oh, he did Serpico, The Two Godfathers, Dog Day Afternoon, and. And one of them, uh, huh? Panic in Needle Park and uh, Scarecrow, and then Bobby Deerfield was next. Right, and so and he had and there was like a year and a half, two year uh, uh, sabbatical, for lack of a better way of putting it. And he decided to do this movie. It was directed by Sidney Pollack, who is an outstanding director. Pollack uh, has uh, done Tootsie and a number of uh, other memorable films. That from was that. a shitty movie. <laughs> it was, but it's probably his most popular one, right? Um, either way, uh, I was incredibly disappointed by this movie. Vin, what did you think visually, though? Visually, it was outstanding. Yeah, the, just the shots of Europe and all these places they were at. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the cinematography, like, should have been nominated for an Academy Award. I agree with that. I I agree. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the cinematography. He's a, a well-renowned, but nonetheless... It's beautifully shot and engaging to a degree, but there, it was just really slow moving. It, it, it's almost like a Sidney Pollack said, I want to make an American European movie, slow, contemplative, you know, all these long shots where our characters are thinking about things and so forth. And um, it just, I, I, I grew bored of it and I tried to give, there were a couple of times where I was thinking about turning it off. Uh, but I said, you know what, I'm going to continue concentrate and, and try to see if there's something here under the surface. And I just didn't see it, man. And I went back and, and, and read some reviews. It primarily was panned by the critics, but guys like the old, uh, Chicago critic, Roger Ebert, he gave it a high review and I read his review and I'm like, Roger, there's you didn't make any sense here as to why I should watch this movie if I had not uh, already seen it. Uh, so I was a, a bit disappointed with it. Uh, Tucci, you ever seen Bobby Deerfield? You know, I got to admit, I never heard of this movie until you guys started talking about last week. I had no idea it existed. I don't even know where to find it. Uh, yeah, it well, was on Turner Classic Movies this TCM. That's right, this month. Yeah, I bought it a couple of years ago. Aldo and, and I were talking about it. And he said HBO Max no, I... has TCM, right? I'm trying to say that again, Tooch. HBO Max has a TCM. Yes, they have a hub to TCM. Okay. That's correct, yes. Well, initially, Aldo and I were talking just about Pacino stuff a few years ago, and I had mentioned that I hadn't seen that, and there was something else. Oh, and Author, Author mm -hmm. from like 82. Those are the two Pacino movies that I'd always kind of wanted to see one day, but never got, never seen it on TV or mm -hmm. something. So ultimately I bought both of them on DVD based upon a conversation I had with Aldo. So I watched it around 2019, probably 20, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then, and again, it came on this month. So I wanted you to see it, but it's not like I've had it for years or something, but I didn't, you know, I didn't dislike it. I, I love Al. And like, I really dig that lady. Like I said, oh. she's the one from black Sunday. Yeah. Mar Martha Keller. Yeah, and they knowing they were fucking in real life too. I I, I like that man. Like they they have real 
chemistry. I think she's very pretty or was in at that era. Mm-hmm. And I just like Pacino. So uh, because it's Al, it made the, me like the movie a lot more. Was it his best work? Of course not. Mm-hmm. But it was still, to me, if you like Al, you know, it's worth your two hours. Yeah. And let me just add another layer of review critique of this. Al Pacino plays a very self-absorbed, introverted, very successful race car driver. And I think a lot of the critics panned the movie was because it's really not a movie about race car driving. You know, the movie starts off with him kind of absorbed in his thoughts of an accident that killed a fellow race car driver and another one who who was badly injured. And so he's 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 giving that a lot of thought. And then he's married and he treats his wife like shit. You know, she's very helpful, tries to do whatever. But he, you know, he doesn't pay any attention to her. He kind of dismisses her thoughts and so forth. And then he he goes to the hospital to visit one of the race car drivers who was injured. And there is where he meets this Martha Keller character, who is a very outgoing uh, woman who oh, is asking strange questions out of the blue and is, is very forward and so forth. Um, and, and spoiler alert coming here is she has a fatal uh, disease. And so during the they, they start spark a relationship. And there's friction there because he gets, he starts to get mad at her. What the fuck are you talking about? Why are you always bringing up stupid questions that have nothing to do with what we're talking about? And she is just trying to get him to look at life a little differently outside of his cocoon, uh, his self-absorbed cocoon. And uh, then all of a sudden it clicks for him because his ex-wife has found out that he's been seeing this woman and she's the one that tells him tells Al Pacino, yeah, she's got a, 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 a disease, a, a fatal disease. So I can understand why, you know, you're spending time with her. And he's like, what, what, she's what? So he sees her again. And now all of a sudden he's transformed himself. He's outgoing. He's doing an imitation, a terrible imitation of Mae West, the old 1930s, 40s uh, sex star of, of movies. And it, it just is, you know, I don't know, man. I, it just, none of it, 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 it is as boring as I just made it sound, as I sounded in the last I 60 I thought you seconds. did a pretty good job of describing it. The <laughs> uh, only thing you left out was that Martha Keller's character didn't disclose that to him because she didn't want his sympathy. Yes. That, not, not that she was like a cold-hearted bitch, but right. she didn't want to be manipulative with the fact that she was dying. Yes. That, she didn't want people to see her differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and be like, oh, well, you're, you know, oh, you're dying. You know, it's just they wanted, she wanted to be respected on face value. Right. So, but I thought it was, I mean, again, it's not great, but just, you know, maybe it's only worth watching once. But I think just seeing it, like I said, I like Pacino. I like Pacino's 70s and 80s movies, particularly. Like, I think maybe some of his movies kind of go downhill like when he started like in like dick tracy and shit like that you know but like his first couple of years like i like almost everything yeah. i even like that movie re- about the revolutionary war he was in that 
that everyone hated. Yeah, I've, I've never seen that. One. I've never seen that one. He, he went through that period of Bobby Deerfield and that revolutionary movie. I forgot the title of it. Something like Rain. I think it's Revolution. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I like the one that William Friedkin directed that everybody hated. That, that one was pretty good. Uh, cruising. You, you ever see that one, one uh, Tooch? Cruising, where he plays a cop who, who uh, uh, goes into the underworld, the fetishism, and uh, you know all, all this. Oh, I forget what you call it when people wear leather. He's going to like underground leather sadomasochistic gay bars. So right, right, a lot right. of homosexual like groups were saying it was bashing them. But these places did exist. Oh, my gosh, did they ever, yes. And it was based yeah, on yeah. a story about a guy that was killing people in bars at, at this setting. Mm -hmm. So, But the movie ends ambigu ambiguously. You're not sure. It's so weird how Al suddenly, like his character, I, I feel like maybe I'm full of shit, but I feel like if this were me and I had to go and pretend to be in, you know, into men or whatever, I don't think I suddenly would be like, oh, I think I kind of like men now. <laughs> but Al's character is like conflicted. And then there's an ambiguous ending that implies maybe he was the killer all along. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And John so, Goodman was in that movie, right? He was this police part. No, 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 no. It wasn't John Goodman. I'm no, it wasn't Goodman. I'm thinking I, about that uh, John Goodman, uh, Ellen Burke, and Al Pacino movie. Um, I forgot the title of that, but nonetheless, I, I apologize for interrupting. But yeah, I no, thought no, no, I was, you know, any yeah, there you go. Any Paul movie, Sorvino was uh, it a partner? Was it Paul uh, Sorvino? Paul Sorvino, yeah, I think so. Yes, in 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 uh, in uh, cruising, yes. Any movie that uh, Bill Freakin makes is is worth watching, and and for that matter, really, that movie Chicago Bobby guy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Over at the uh, Channel Seven for a while, I followed his career uh, closely. Went uh, Sea of Love. Thank you, uh, Stephen. Yeah. Me. Um, yeah, that was good too. Yeah, that was good. that was good. Um, but I, I do want to say this about that Sidney Pollack, uh, Bobby Deerfield movie. It is if you like cinema, you should watch it. And if you like Al Pacino, you should watch it because, the, as Dan said, the cinematography is outstanding. The, the two race scenes are really well done. They used a lot of actuality footage from uh, Grand Prix racing. Um, there, is, there are good performances there. It is worth watching, but be prepared for long uh, scenes that you might find boring. If I could add to that, you have to be a fan of a different style of movies, yes. like a 70s or 80s pace. Right. Because current yes. films basically satiate the ego of the millennials. And they assume that you don't have an attention span. You're right. So you have to be a fan of movies that are two hours plus. If you were born in 1999, this is probably not going to be your film. Mm -hmm. But maybe so. I mean, you know, I mean, you could everyone's not a monolith, you know, or a monolithic, like, well, you definitely behave this way because of where you were born. That's not true, but stereotypes are a stereotype for reasons. Mm -hmm. There's some element of truth in it. And a lot of younger kids that grow up with the internet and shit like 24 seven, they don't have an attention span. Mm -hmm. But if you like older films, take the age out of it. I don't want to be ageist. If you like older films and you can, Watch it without fucking looking at your phone and fidgeting and all this stuff that they do. It's like it's torture for them if it's more than 90 minutes. Uh, then you might dig it. Yep. 
I hear you. Well put. All right. Uh, here's something that I saw that I'd like to recommend to all of you. Um, the Outfit, a, a, a 2022 film just out recently. Um, it's a, an American crime drama. Um, it feels European. Uh, it stars Mark Rolance, who is best known in, in film circles. He was in that Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks movie. I'm forgetting the title where uh, it takes place during the Cold War. It's based on a true story. He was nominated, I think, for Best Supporting Actor. Was it that one from like 07 or 08? Yeah, I, I want to say uh, it's something like Charlie Wilson's War or something. No, it's not. It's not that one. But yeah. Okay, I didn't like that film. I I had high hopes for it. I thought it sucked. Uh, what the hell is that name of that movie? I'm looking. Yeah, at. you said Cold War. I, that that's a a Reagan era film. Right. It's like Norie or uh, uh, the El the, the San Salvador kind of stuff in El Salvador. Right. Oh, I got the title: Bridge of Spies, a 2015 historical drama that was directed by uh, Spielberg. He was a star of that movie, so that's probably where you might have seen him before. He primarily works in theater, but he gives an outstanding performance. the The plot of the movie is he plays a tailor, and at his shop, and, and I should say this is probably 1950s, 19 late 1950s Chicago. At his shop, he has allowed the mob to use it as a drop point uh, for money, uh, envelopes filled with money. Uh, the people who collect the money drop it in a box at his tailor shop, and then people come and pick it up. And so this has been going on for a long time. Well, now something happens where one of the guys who is involved uh, and uh, with the mob who drops and so forth, um, the FBI is behind the a, a a a an attempt to uncover what is going on in this tailor shop. Everything the entire movie takes place inside this tailor shop, and I, all I can tell you is that it's filled with great plot twists. It is filled with outstanding acting. It is very well visualized inside this one tailor shop. Um, so I highly recommend it. It is, again, named The Outfit. Um, Mark Relance, uh, Zoe Deutsch. I don't know if you guys ever seen a movie with Zoe Deutsch. She's just an all-time cutie. Um, she's in that movie. She plays a woman who works at the tailor shop. Uh, the rest of the actors are totally unknown, uh, but check it out. The outfit left you guys speechless. I knew I would. I knew right. I would. No, <laughs> those movies that are, sometimes those, you know, I, th I think of some movies that are take place in just one place, like mm -hmm. the hateful eight took place in that, you know, shack in the middle of a storm and the uh, yeah, yeah. uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross took place in the sales office, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, those movies both had like great acting, great dialogue. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the best dialogue was in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I mean, uh, uh, David oh. Mamet wrote, wrote excellent dialogue between his characters. That, that movie felt like a play to me. It yeah, was. He was a playwright. Yeah. Mamet was a playwright. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of these movies that are based on theater plays can feel a little theatrical. And some might say that this movie, The Outfit, feels that way because it all takes place in one scene. But in the hands of a good director with 
camera moves and lighting and the editing and so forth, it, it, it can transcend the material, the theatrical material that it comes from. Um, I thought, for instance, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the movie Tooch just mentioned, did that. I mean, that that to me was a sensational movie, yeah, and sensational yeah. scripting. Who can ever forget the line? Coffee is for closers. <laughs> well, if I can interject one second, I've got to piss. I'm about to piss my fucking pants. I'll be right back. All right. So, yeah. there alone now. <laughs> I, I went looking for the man who fell to earth the next episode. There was none. No, they skipped they, this week. Did, yeah. Okay, they skipped a week, or is it like, am I, is it like on a break or something? And that's like maybe no, they're just, dropping they're, into apps or they're back next week. I, I was so okay. fucking disappointed. So was I. I was like, where the fuck is my episode? Yes, because no. Showtime does a nice thing. Their Sunday shows, uh, they're available at midnight, uh, and you don't have to wait to their officially uh, quotes here broadcast at their normal. Sunday night prime time. So at 1 p.m., my wife and I are looking for it and it's yeah. nowhere to be found. And so I did a little research. It was uh, 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 it was postponed this week for some reason. And Cliff Victoria, you're absolutely right. Plot is still necessary. Plot is everything, man. Uh, Mo Beerman says 12 Angry Men is a good example. Yeah, if yeah. you've seen the That's old version, the 1950s version with Henry Fonda, or uh, the more recent version, which I, is really like 15 years old. I think uh, who was in that version? There were some some uh, Jack Lemon, the old Jack Lemon, was in that newer version. So you know that it's that the newer version is kind of dated. Also, in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's right. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's best character in the movie. So uh, good. One of the best. The he had the best storyline, I think, in mm -hmm. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But and Stephen Meese says Mark Relance is a wonderful yeah. actor. Check out Dunkirk. Don't look up. Wait. Yeah. Win for the Barbarians. Uh, he so, was in uh, Ready Player One, which was also Spielberg. Okay. If you saw Ready Player One. I did uh, not see that one. It's, you'll, you'll like it. I mean, it's kind of one of those movies, I don't want to say like Idiocracy, because Idiocracy was a comedy, but it is kind of like speculative fiction about the future, you know, and the, mm -hmm. the main character in Ready Player One lives in uh, a part of town called The Stacks. Mm -hmm. And it's like a bunch of like people live in trailers, like uh, semi trailer, those shipping containers. Yeah. And they're all stacked on top of each other, like hundreds of high. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the slums or whatever, you know, and they, they they're so it's so depressing that most people live in a virtual reality world rather than step outside, you know, into their real life. And uh, uh, food is delivered by drone, which I find it was before. You know, like that companies are thinking about delivering like Domino's by drone and stuff. But in the movie, like I think there's a Burger King drone and a Domino's drone if you yeah. watch closely <laughs> and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's a, you know one of those future fiction uh, type movies. But Mark Rylance plays the uh, reclusive uh, mad genius who kind of invented the video game world that the main character is trying to get into oh, i gotta check this out because i've heard some good things about that movie now that i know that mark is in it yep. uh, i will definitely check it out yeah it's a good miss it's spielberg you know who directed it yeah well anything spielberg does we should yeah. all check out because he, he really is a master one of the things yeah. i like about spielberg so much is how he's matured as a filmmaker over the years 
you know, everybody gave him shit when he first came out with his movies are all box office sensations. And he was criticized for ruining cinema because all his movies are catered to base uh, tastes, you know, and they're for kids and they're science fiction movies, close encounters and jaws, you know, action movies and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? The guy just started his career. Why the fuck are you criticizing his choice of material in order for him to do really, you know, much more uh, mature work? He's got to he's got to pass a certain test. And that is his movies have to make money. <laughs> and they did. Can you think of another director that had like for, for the first few uh, movies of their career had as many like freaking box? box office not just blockbusters but broke records like every yeah. successive movie nobody like spielberg yeah. had that career you know where just every his next movie was bigger than the last you know i can't mm-hmm. think of anyone maybe george lucas but i mean he only really had it like three yeah. and it was because of star wars you know right but spielberg crossed boundaries you know right uh what was uh george lucas his first movie was the science fiction kind of uh robert duvall uh, the experimental film THX 1138. And then he followed that up with American Graffiti, which I don't think was a big box office hit. Or am I wrong about that? I think it was, it was one of the, yeah, they did. it was one of the, uh, did quite well, you know, uh, American Graffiti, but uh, all in all, it's kind of, it's kind of forgettable. It really is. I, I, um, and I've never seen it. Really? I, now, I do think that it's worth watching if if mm-hmm. if you like those kinds of period movies from the 1950s. It felt like Happy Days to me looking at the trailer. It's yeah. like they made it into a movie. Well, I but I think the American Graffiti was first and was Happy first. Days followed it. So oh, Happy okay. Days well, more... yeah, it felt like it, it. I'd already seen the show, so I'd already seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Isn't I... Ron Howard in it, too? Yeah, Ron Howard is definitely in it, so that's why. Yes, I, I don't want to watch that. Well, here's what here's one reason why I, I I will suggest that you watch it is there is a great uh, subplot because it, it is one of those movies where it follows along lots of parallel stories in one night in this small town where a bunch of high school seniors are going off either to college or the military and blah blah blah. And the one storyline that I was really fascinated with is Richard Dreyfus is in the backseat of one of these cool 50s cars, a 57 Chevy or whatever the hell it is. And he looks over to his right when he's at the stoplight, and he sees this beautiful blonde driving this really hot car. And she looks at him, and she blows him a kiss. And immediately, Richard Dreyfus and me got a heart on. And so he spends like the rest of the movie trying to find the blonde and the cool hot rod. <laughs> and for just for that alone, I, that's a storyline that I, I suggest uh, that, that I really like. Uh, Cliff Victoria says American Graffiti was like a trip to my childhood. So if you ever run across it, uh, Dan, give it give it a shot. It's got a great soundtrack because it's just a, a collage of all these great movie um, um, rock music. From, I can from that top area. that scene. I, I haven't seen that. Okay. But immediately I started to think about Judge Reinhold pretending that he was fucking Phoebe Cates <laughs> That's good. in past times at Ridgemont High when she was getting yeah. out of the pool. Yes. Great movie. That is that is a, an even better scene. You're right. Great soundtrack <laughs> to that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was annoyed by Sean Penn in that, though. The fucking surfer. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that movie, but Phoebe Cates is amazing. 
Mm, she really is. Oh my gosh. Uh, you didn't like uh, Jeff Spicoli? No, not at all. That was hilarious. Man. Like I like that, uh, that movie Aldo and I talked about a lot. That was filmed in Chicago. Bad boys. Where he's in jail. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was great. that was good. Uh, <laughs> I love him in this new show on Stars, Star uh, Starlight, and I loved him in that Oliver Stone film U Turn. If you recall, with Jennifer Lopez before she was famous. Love that movie. Yeah, it's so fucking great, oh, yeah. man. That, well, she's so hot in it. Oh my gosh, there's one shot where she gets up on a, on a ladder like she's fix, fixing. She's dra- fixing drapes. Drapes, right? And the camera goes to her ass, and I'm like, and her legs too. Yeah, I got, I got. And a, she had the natural black hair then, not the dyed blonde shit. Right. Oh my gosh, so good. And yeah. that, you know, and Stone is just such a master, like Spielberg with the camera. And uh, his editor, I think Ralph Richardson is his name. He's edited a lot of his films. There's just a tremendous edit to it. It's it's tense. Uh, who, what's the name of the guy who plays the bad guy in that movie? Oh, Powers Booth. Yeah, I like him too. Yeah. He looks like Oliver Stone. He does. He does. Uh, and he's just an excellent villain. That's Nick a Nolte's a kind of a villain in it too. And Nick Nolte is a villain in it. Yeah, he sure is. Good movie. Good movie. Um, yeah, I, I, Oliver Stone had so many good films from like Platoon on until you know 2000, and it's like he just uh, he blames it on JFK mm-hmm. that the studios kind of didn't want him anymore because you know he, he didn't go along with Oswald being the killer and such. I don't know if there's I don't know if that's truth or not, I don't know but I mean that. he had that string of films that were so good. I mean not just the war films. I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Wall Street, but you have Wall Street, you got Salvador, you got Platoon, you got Born on the Fourth of July, you got the other one with Tommy Lee Jones where he's beating that woman. Uh, Heaven and for- Earth? Yeah, yeah, you got that. You got Natural Born Killers and U-Turn. JFK. Yeah, JFK, The Doors. Yeah. He's got some good movies. His movies are so fucking good, and he just gets overlooked now. He does get overlooked, but I, I if he's saying JFK was the reason the Hollywood students, studios won't hire him now, give him big money to make a movie, he's full of shit. Because after JFK, he did Heaven and Earth, which is a big budget movie. Natural Born Killers, big budget movie. Nixon, big budget, budget yeah, movie. Yeah, I forgot about Nixon. Yeah, Nixon is absolutely one, great. One of your favorite movies, I know that. Any given yeah. Sunday, the football movie, you know, and these that are all great. After JFK. by the fake teams. That that was hurt by the fake teams. And, and after any given Sunday is when his career kind of you know started to decline a little bit. He did uh, a documentary called uh, America Undercover, a couple episodes for that series. He did that, that movie Alexander, which was a big box office disaster. Never guys, watched it. Yeah, with uh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Yeah, and uh, Angelina Jolie. Uh, big, big disaster. He did Castro in Winter, a documentary about Fidel. Never saw that. He did the sequel to Wall Street, which was a big critical bomb. I never saw that. He did a good movie called Savages. Oh, I saw Savages at the theater. It was great. I loved how every culture thought that the other one was the savage. Yeah, that was great. Like the white people thought Benicio was the savage, and then they thought the white people, the white guys are the savages. It's just like, it's so true, but in a funny way. Mm -hmm. It's true that other, you again, people look at the other culture, like going full circle, is they. Mm Mm-hmm they what's wrong with them 
And it's kind of uh, really highlighted in that, but in a comical way, even though it's dealing with drugs and death and stuff. Good point. Yeah. That's his last I movie was Snowden. Movie. His last full-length film was Snowden, right? Yeah. Uh, that yeah. one was okay. I didn't love it, but it was okay. What was Who played Snowden in that That was movie? that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, that's right. That's right. For some reason, I don't like him, but I lo- he's in a movie that I love, though, I told you about with Seth Rogen called The Night Before. Yeah, great movie. It is good. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, the time when Seth Rogen was in church, he was tripping. That was the best. Yeah, he's see. like, he's like, you all think we did that to Jesus? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's Jewish. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, Oliver Stone, a good filmmaker. Uh, uh, Tooch, you seen anything this past uh, weekend that you want to share with? The yes, uh, I saw a movie. Um, it's called Two Hearts, and it uh, stars Nate from Euphoria. Damn. Jacob Elordi, the actor, and ah. it, it, I thought it was really good, man. It'll make you cry. It's, it's sad. It's a love story, you know. I don't want to give too much away, but you know, it's one of those young lovers and tragedy, you know, and it, it has one of those uh, really sad endings that's kind of like uplifting as well, you know, even though it's sad. But uh, I enjoyed it. I got a little teary. I admit that the kid's a good actor, Danny, the one that plays Nate. On Euphoria, I think he's got a really yeah, good future. He's British, right? He's Australian, I think. Oh, and, yeah, uh, he, he, uh, he never loses his act. Right, he's gonna be. Uh, I think he'll he'll have a have a uh, one of those long careers. You know, he just he plays a good guy, he can play a bad guy. You know, uh, he's handsome. Uh, I think uh, uh, a kid will a kid will be in a lot. You'll be seeing a lot more of him. Yeah, one of the cool things that he said about euphoria that i that i thought wow that's cool is that he he was it was after season two wrapped up and you know he had a much larger role in season two versus season one but he was asked about uh how he feels about playing the bad guy or something and he said that as far as he looked at it you know he was kind of a dick in season one and obviously has his moments in two but you get context in the backstory yeah. He viewed season two as a uh, like a blank slate. He said, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to allow my performance in season two to be dictated by the way it was in season one. He said, as far as I w- looked at it, his character was starting over for me. It was a fresh start and I didn't want to be hindered by the past season. And I've never yeah. heard anyone say that about their character. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Nate, Nate's like different in all three seasons. It's hard to like get a pe- peg him down, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, it was a very nuanced character, and then of course, uh, Love, Death, and Robots dropped, and there's some really just like there's one. Uh, I don't. Are you guys familiar with the series on Netflix? Love, no. Death, and Robots. It's they're like ten minute, fifteen minute cartoons. You know, they're all oh. different stories types and and. Uh, uh, all different story types and 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 uh, animation styles, mm-hmm. and uh, there's one that really stuck with me. It's a, uh, it's some kind of I don't know whether it's like real or fantasy type land, but there's a a bunch of knights. One of the knights is deaf, you know, and uh, uh, it's so beautiful, like their costumes, their armor, and and everything. And uh, uh, there's a siren, you know, a siren that you know lures seamen to their death. You know, sailors to their death. You know, by with their song, the siren song, 
And the, the only one who survives is the deaf is the deaf knight, you know. And uh, she's she doesn't know why, you know, he's not affected by her, you know, screeching, you know, while everyone else is drowning and killing each other. But yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's really gorgeous to look at too. Oh, I gotta check this. There's out. a couple other great stories. There's one uh, uh, about some uh, like army ranger team in in. I don't know whether it's Afghanistan or somewhere, and they stumble upon this uh, cave. They're supposed to be completing their mission, and inside the cave is like a, a giant uh, demon of evil and stuff. I don't want to give too much away and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a really cool one too. And there's some other there's some other really good ones, man, uh, in there. Uh, it's it's hit and miss, you know. But uh, I think uh, uh, there's enough in there that uh, you'll some of them stick with you. There, some of them are just gorgeous to look at. And, uh, other ones are kind of comedy, you know, funny ones and stuff. But as far as like stuff that like I, I was watching Netflix, I'm like, okay, there isn't really much going on, you know, with serious stuff. I didn't have my man who fell to earth, and uh, I was like, what's trending? Like, what are people watching on Netflix? It turns out it's a show called Is It Cake? Do people, do you guys know, is it cake? I've heard of it. I haven't so, seen it. I fucking got sucked into it. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like people compete and they like, they try to make these cakes look like other things, you know, and then there's all these decoys. And if the judges can't spot your cake. Yeah, like a, um, a, a, a make a cake out of a, f- or, or, or a football or. Yeah, they, they make like a shoe. It looks like it's a cake. It looks exactly. And then they put it out there among four other ones. Yes. And then they'll win 5,000 bucks. And then they have a chance for 10,000 bucks. You know, it's like the host is really is comedian. Mikey Day is really funny. Too. it's like it's kind of it, i got sucked into it you like watch them and then they're like oh they're describing all these like cakes like this is like a salted caramel buttercream toffee frosting mm-hmm. or whatever you know you're just like damn it sounds pretty fucking good man. It's like, you know, it was all, all this stuff but is it cake and my kids were like it and they're like That's the, which one's the cake you know this is the cake dad you know or whatever you know, my wife has got into it too. She loves like cake decorating and stuff. But I was like, this is going to be stupid. I'm not going to like it. You know, I ended, up, I ended up fucking getting addicted to it. But I know, it's, it's kind easy. of funny if, if you just want to turn your brain off and watch a game yeah. show. It's, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like my, when my uh, stepdaughter was here for uh, during the pandemic, uh, she got into and then dragged my wife into. And then I started watching the, the, British, break, yeah. the British baking show. <laughs> which is a comp- competition of British bakers uh, making desserts. And uh, I'll sit and watch with, with you for a little while. And then fucking 18 episodes later, <laughs> and, you know, those shows are definitely addicted. Stay away from them, Dan. <laughs> I would never watch a cooking show. Really? <laughs> Even if it's naked chicks? If I'm watching a cooking show, it better be some lady that's fucking me. Like I'm gonna get some ass after that. You don't want the dessert, you want the the, the putang. <laughs> yeah. Let's cook that up. Hey uh Cliff Victoria says uh that he he says, Hey, let's go back to talking about drilling older broads. <laughs> <laughs> and so I yeah, think yeah. I asked you this question before, uh, Dan. Uh which of the golden girls would you fuck? <laughs> well, you gotta go with blanche because she's so like experienced yeah. and like they they make all these jokes about her being a whore but i like the fact that she's like i'm a woman i like to get fucked and she's not you know hiding that it's not like her character's got herpes or something but they always call her a whore and stuff and 
Like I definitely would be afraid of Dorothy. Like Dorothy, I think secretly behind closed doors would want to fucking like stick something in my ass, you know, a strap on. She'd want to peg me, I'm sure. <laughs> Sophia was too old, even though still Getty wasn't that old. Yeah. Uh, but her character was too old, and Be- uh, Betty White's character is just too dumb. Yeah. And Dorothy's too manly, so it would have to be Blanche. Blanche would be like, I'm not necessarily into the Southern Belle thing, but man, she seems like she'd suck a good dick, Blanche. <laughs> Has, uh, Dan, have you seen Grandma's Boy, the movie? I have not. No, it's like uh, I think it's a lot of like Saturday Night Live uh, bit players that wrote and writers for Saturday Night Live wrote and starred in it. It's like uh, it's it's very funny if you if you get a chance to see it but it has like a golden girls type story that runs along with uh uh the main story it's about a, a guy who works at a video game company like making games and stuff he's played by alan cowart i think who was like friends with adam sandler and all these guys who's a writer for those movies and stuff it's very funny it has a uh, uh the, the, the mostly a cast of comedians that play other people that work at this company and the very beautiful uh linda cardellini i don't know if you know who she is she oh, played very oh. very cute oh. uh and she's like the she's the new executive that comes in and kevin nealon is this weird uh owner of the company that likes like you know horrible health food and stuff it's kind of like a running joke in it it's very funny they smoke a lot of weed stuff in the movie it's like although it's like right it's kind of a stoner movie but it's very yeah. funny man it's called it's grandma's boy movie. If you uh, get a chance, I laugh my ass off, man. It's funny. Very funny. It's an Adam Sandler offshoot. But uh, Shirley Jones is in it, and she kind of plays like that Blanche character from Golden Girls. She's like experience. And one of the uh, the young men at the uh, video game, like, has an affair with her and falls in love with her. You know, she's like, you know, like his grandma's age type, you know. But the <laughs> main guy, Alan Coward, he, he moves in with his uh, grandma. That's why it's called Grandma's Boy. It's like bad things happen. He's losing all of his money. Yeah, so it's like got, it's kind I of a cult that. movie. It's really funny, man. It's like uh, yeah, check that. And by the way, you, you mentioned Shirley Jones. Uh, she was yeah. like one of the first television stars I ever jerked off to. She, <laughs> she was she hot, was, man. Yeah, she what was, was she in? Partridge where you would have been beaten off to her. I don't know uh, her. She she's was in a lot of movies in the 60s, uh, but uh, people will remember her most as being the mother in the Partridge family. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never saw that. Oh my gosh. There is a uh she it's a, a, a family. Now, there's a song we'll be singing. There you go. Come on, get happy. There's a family <laughs> of kids who uh start a rock band and she or pop group and she uh is asked to be a part of the group and so they go out traveling together and there were a few episodes where she was wearing back at the time they called them hot pants but they're just short shorts and shirley jones was wearing short shorts and i i remember like getting one of my first erections and then playing around with my dick (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so i want to thank shirley jones for uh, (laughs) so hot man oh my goodness yeah a uh, lot of comments here. Uh, Stephen Mee says, Estelle Getty could suck the cream straight out of the Twinkie. <laughs> uh, Cliff I don't Victoria, know what that means, but it sounds I don't know either, but it sounds funny. <laughs> as hell. Cliff Victoria says, I saw an article yesterday that Nancy Reagan was called the blowjob queen. Supposedly, she got ahead in Hollywood by giving mm-hmm. head. Oh, interesting. I wonder if uh, 
uh, Ron Reagan knew that before. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was married to Jane Jane Wyatt, was it? And so, anyways, uh, a Hollywood star and left his wife for Nancy Reagan. I'm sure after she gave him a blowjob. <laughs> um, you know, Ron Reagan, uh, the son, Junior? is a big liberal. Oh my gosh, a huge liberal. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that the Democrats have never got Ron Reagan to run for office. I mean, you know, because you could probably sway over Reaganites, uh, but that never happened. Uh, PJ says next week we'll be talking about the Brady Bunch, mom or worse, Alice. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, Florence Henderson you, apparently was one horny broad in hey, Hollywood. That's what I was going to say. If you have 30 minutes of one day, you're in between podcasts. Uh-huh. There was an episode of Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. Not real time, but the one on ABC. Sure. And Florence Henderson is all over Marilyn Manson. Really? In like, in like 97. And it's like, I don't know if it was a goof, but I think <laughs> even he was weirded out by how much she seemed <laughs> to want to fuck him. Yeah, well, it, she, that's it, a story about Greg. But it was Barry Williams having an, uh, a brief affair with Florence Henderson, you know, the Greg Brady actor. Right. Uh, right. I remember and, reading about that a while back. Yeah, he had the wow. hots for her and he took her out on a couple of dates. Whether they had sex or not, I, I don't know if that's true, uh, but uh, they did go on a couple of dates together. So <laughs> Clifford Torres says Henderson went on a date with Greg. How sick is that? <laughs> Good for Greg. Yeah, Bob Saget used to always have um, may he his soul rest in peace or whatever I'm supposed to say now because he's dead. But Bob Saget used to in his stand up about ten years ago, whenever the Olsen twins got older and like were you know clearly fucking in real life, it wasn't like he was saying this in '94 or something. Uh-huh. But he he would say something like, uh. You all don't think I look at them? I mean, come on, I would fuck them. And he's like, Does that make you uncomfortable? I was just kidding or whatever. But he's like, You're the asshole for thinking that that's true. Whenever he did it, it was funny. But the whole joke was the premise that, yeah, he was wanting to fuck or beating off to the Olsen twins. But he twisted it on you, made you seem like you were the scumbag for actually envis- envisioning it. <laughs> that's funny. Olsen twins are weird. You're right, Cliff Victoria. That is very true. Somebody had a question here for you, Dan. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Uh, has Dan, this is from Leo, the factor. Has Dan had sex with a woman older than 65? No, God, no. No. Like I said, I was fucking that lady and I was 24 and she was 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, old, the oldest woman? Let me think. No, I don't think I fucked him in their 60s. No. Come on now. Well, he's, uh, he's just yeah. asking. He's not accusing you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm just thinking. I don't. I mean, I'm sure I fucked a grandmother at some point, because some ladies have kids at like 15 and shit, and they're like grandmas at 42 or something. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I'm sure I have fucked a grandmother, but I've never fucked anyone that was like, you know, on social security or something. I mean, <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm pretty sure that I haven't. All right, another question from Leo here. He says, am I the only one who did not like the movie Scarface? I think it's overrated. What do you guys think about Scarface, the Brian De Palma, Al Pacino movie? Uh, I'm a big fan. I, I like Brian De Palma's movies, man. I, we, talk, we talked about one that he did recently that I thought was brilliant. 
you know, with uh, the, just the whole cinematography is very like a lot like Hitchcock, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's a, he's a director that's really works on his craft. He's got that style, yeah. classic movie style. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was, uh, it had the, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, was it a recent movie? That, uh... Yeah. Nick, Nikolai Coster Waldo was in it with, uh, I forget the other, the gal's name. I'll look it up. Uh, it's actually a pretty decent movie. It's like a terrorist attack. Uh, movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember us talking about that. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I also like Carlito's Way, man. I thought that was class yes. too. Yes. Carlito, I love the I ending of Carlito's Way, man. That was great. Yeah. But I I do agree with Leo that I, I think that Scarface has gotten too much praise. It's a good movie, but I I do think it's overrated. I, I I've only seen it in the theater when it was first released, and I was like, eh, it's okay. Um, I I didn't like Al Pacino's performance with you know the fake Cuban accent. I thought it was terrible. Uh, I really? Just, yeah, I really did. I thought it was. I like, thought Al was good, and I just hated that. When he got killed, I hated like that he he got shot like seventy seven times and stood there like what is he Steven Seagal in a yes. fucking fight? Yeah, that's another thing about it. it was, yeah, I mean the 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 ending is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. no man could have withstood all those like bullets. But all in all, yeah, I thought the film was good. I like Al, but yeah, it's just people like worship it though. Yeah, exactly. That's that's part of my problem with the film. I think it became really big in the hip hop community because you know you had this flamboyant uh, dealer. He's wearing the jewelry. Got the and he came from nothing. Came from nothing and stuff. And yeah. I, I think that's part of the the lore of the film, and I can certainly understand that, but. Uh, to me, it's not one of De Palma's best movies, and it's not one of what's uh, Stone wrote the screenplay. Yeah, Oliver Stone did write the screenplay. Yeah, right? and he got kicked right. off the set because mm-hmm. he was basically trying to direct the film too, and De Palma kicked him off the set. <laughs> That's interesting. Was, was Carlito's way De Palma also? Or? Yes, it was. Yeah, I'm, pretty okay. sure. I'm pretty sure it was. Let me uh, look at his. Uh, Carlito Way, Carlito's Way, nineteen ninety three. Yeah, he, now but Sean Penn's in that too. Yeah, Sean, Sean yeah plays his lawyer. Yep. Yeah, I thought that one was a little yeah. bit overrated. But uh, talking about De Palma, I'm sure we've talked about these before. But two films that I really liked was that uh, the one with John Travolta, where he's working on a crew to film the movie. And witnesses like a car crash, but it's really a part of a conspiracy. A blow, cop, right. a blow, 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 up. blow up, blow up, or blow out. Yeah. There's just two movies with, with blow that. out. It's blow, blow out. out. Yeah, blow, blow out, out from like '81. God, that's fucking phenomenal. I watched it because Quentin Tarantino said that it was one of his favorite movies. Yeah, I like. So that. I was like, I've never even heard of this. So I looked it up uh, because Tarantino recommended, it, and it was great. Yeah, and then. Uh, Aldo recommended that one called Obsession. Mm-hmm. And the first time I saw it, I, I was disappointed. And then I gave it another look, and, and I liked it much better the second time. Yeah, Cliff Robertson. Uh, what's the name of the French actress? Uh, it, it, it's a mo- one of those movies with double identity. Is is she the one, the woman oh, I knew from the past kind of body, thing? Body double? Yeah, it, it, well, it's called Obsession, but uh, okay. it is it is got that Hitchcock feel to it because De Palma, it was a huge Hitchcock yeah. fan, yeah. so a lot of his films have that Hitchcockian f- feel to them. But Obsession, if if you like 
those kinds of movies, uh, kind of a throwback to the 50s and 60s, even though this movie was released probably in the 1990s, maybe 80s. Uh, it's it's a good film. De Palma's done a lot of great stuff. Here's a movie that he did that did not get critical acclaim, but every time it's on, I just find myself watching it. Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage. You guys ever seen that? Yeah, yeah I was disappointed with that. Really? I love that first time. I saw it when it was new. I may have seen that at the theater. I was like, yeah, this is okay. Then I watched it again, probably in the middle 2000s, and I've never watched it again. I didn't hate it. It was okay. It was all right. Let me tell you why. One of the reasons why I like it so much is the first like 20 minutes in a movie is almost like filmed in one take. It's not actually filmed in one take, but there's that feel that it is. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays this very showy, very ostentatious uh, uh, cop in Las Vegas. He is uh, attending a big heavyweight fight. He's got some money on one of the boxers and so forth. And the camera is following him. Right, Gary Sinise uh, plays a uh, military guy who has, uh, who's good friends with the Nicolas Cage character. During the fight, there's an assassination because the Gary Sinise character was there to protect the Secretary of Defense or some high-ranking political official. He was there to protect them, but he leaves his seat because he sees this gorgeous girl, and there's gorgeous girls in this movie, up and down. He, he goes to follow this go- uh, gorgeous girl because he's kind of suspicious of her, which leaves an opening for a sniper to shoot this government official. And then Nicolas Cage goes about trying to figure out why was this guy killed? Who is behind it? And so forth. I won't say anything else, but it's a pretty good whodunit. The second half is not as good as the first half, but it's still worth watching. And Carla Gugino. Gugino, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's hot, man. Oh, my gosh. Can can I break in and tell you something I just read that I think is pretty cool? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Ricky Williams, the man Mike Ditka gave up his entire draft for, yeah, has legally decided to take his wife's his wife's last name. Wow! So what's he called now? Ricky. His name is now officially legally Eric Myron because Eric <laughs> is his first name. I guess Richards is middle name, and it goes by Ricky. But his last, I think it's Myron. It's M I R O N. But he, his wife of five years. Uh, he decided to take her last name. So I, I, I'm surprised that his name isn't R- Ricky Pussywit. <laughs> uh, see, see, you know, I'm just we, kidding. I'm just saying, as, as a, a liberal progressive, we we want, just you know, kidding. I'm just saying things like that. Like, how many times is a guy going to do that? You know, that that that's very progressive. Uh, absolutely. And I saw him on Bill Maher about, I don't know, three, four months ago. He was talking about his uh, new company. It's got a clever name. It's a uh, marijuana company, the dispensary. It's got a clever name behind it. It's kind of a, a pun on his playing days, but I don't remember what it is. And, uh, you know, he sounds like a great guy. He's always sounded like a great guy, Ricky Williams. Uh, or Ricky, what's his name now? <laughs> Eric, Eric Myron. Myron. It's M-I-R-O-N, uh, if that's how you really pronounce it. Yeah, maybe it's Mirren. I mean, what? Why do that? I don't understand, though. They're already married. Well, maybe it's out of respect. He, I don't know. Apparently, he broke the news on Dan Le- Levitard's show and said that it's something he had been thinking about for a long time. Would you do that then, if you fell in love uh, with a woman? Would you consider taking her last name? 
I mean, I'm not like, I don't love my last name or something, but um, I probably not. I don't want to sound like I'm a dick, but uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tooch? Uh, I wouldn't have my nickname anymore, but. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be Cooch or Poos or something. If, uh, if I was to marry uh, Linda Cardellini, I'd seriously think about it, though. <laughs> there you go. Now you're talking. <laughs> this movie, uh, 2019 De Palma movie is called Domino. Yeah, there uh, you go. Domino. A Copenhagen police officer seeks justice for his mm-hmm. partner's murder by a mysterious man. You know, yes. those like those are classic like uh rope you in synopsis for a De Palma movie, mysterious man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even me reminded us about the Ricky Williams weed company. It's called Heisman. Get it? Heisman? Nice. Heisman. Yeah, good pun. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, Cliff it. Victoria says, if a woman was a multimillionaire and wanted you, Dan, to change your name for her, she's a multimillionaire. You're marrying into wealth. Who am I married to? Ariana Huffington? <laughs> Dan. <laughs> <I> sign up? <laughs> uh, Dan Huffington. That's got a ring to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else, fellas, that we should cover before we pull the plug on this episode? And if you guys, if you guys want to stick around, uh, I got to wake up early because I'm having a colonoscopy on Friday. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's terrible. So, yeah. So, no, do you have? Uh, did they give you that horrible stuff to drink? Uh, I, I pick it up tomorrow. That's one of the reasons uh, I got to get real early. Get it. Don't get it. It tastes terrible. You'll never drink it. Oh, I've uh, I've done the colonoscopy before, yeah. so I know exactly what I'm in for. Uh, a lot of I'm gonna have to do this sooner than later, I guess. Yeah, uh, a lot of fucking that shit stuff is the... so horrible that you drink. Oh, yeah, it's it's awful. It's, it's the awful. worst. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll be shitting all of Thursday night into Friday morning. So, but I got to get a COVID test tomorrow. Has Dan so ever had I... a colonoscopy? No, he's no. Not. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, I turned forty during the height of uh, the. We, I think we were just out outside of shutdown. So it's like at that time, mm-hmm. I was like, I'd rather be like, I'm going to have to be dying before I go to the hospital. I you have know? a better way around that. Around that drink, I have a better process that I do every time that cleans me out. What it's is easier. that? You buy, a, you know, the powdered Miralax. It's like 14 and a half ounce bottle. Mm-hmm. You buy a 64 ounce bottle of Gatorade. Mm-hmm. And then you dump the Miralax inside there and mix it up really good. And then you drink eight, eight ounce glasses every hour. And then boom, okay. you know, it works. You're shitting your brains out. And then when you're done, you take uh, at, at Walgreens, they have a little like 10 ounce bottle of like, it's like soda pop. Uh-huh. It's called citrus of magnesium. You finish off with that. It's like lemon, lime or ginger ale flavor. Just like drinking a pop, only it's a little like, sweeter. Mm-hmm. Drink that, and that'll finish you off clear. You know, don't eat. You know, get some popsicles and some chicken broth. Mm-hmm. You know, a little plain yogurt. Boom, you'll survive for. You'll be like, go in there and be like, be like smooth pink sailing. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. The last time I got a colonoscopy a few years ago, uh, unfortunately, I got to do it every three, four, five years. Uh, yeah, me too. My age. Uh, the last time I I misread the directions, which was really stupid of me because I had done it before uh once or twice so i i should have known better but instead of the 24 hour fast i just fasted overnight and i had my last meal like at eight o'clock and i took all the shit and and did that work 
and I'll tell you what, when I went to the colonoscopy, I told the doctor, yeah, I ate at eight o'clock, but I still took the the medicine and so forth. He goes, well, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this. You know, you're supposed to fast for 24 hours. And he, he, asked me to describe my last movement. I told, I told him it was clear. It looked like water was coming out. And so he goes, well, okay, let's try it. And so when I come to, he, he comes in and he says, I can't believe how clear your intestines were, even yeah. though you didn't fast for 24 hours. And, and I, I, and in my mind, I didn't tell him this. It's because you guys are fucking always over, overdoing it. You know, a 12 hour fast is good enough, but you yeah. want a 24 hour fast. You know, they're always overdoing it. So it's hard to not eat for 24 hours. You're fucking no up. God damn it. <laughs> That's the worst part of it all. Yeah. It's the not best part to- though is the, the fentanyl or whatever drip you get like right before the you know the anesthesiologist or bartender comes yep. in and you know sticks that little tube in there, you know, and you're just like, wow, for like five seconds, you know, you're like pure euphoria. It's just like the yeah. best feeling in the world. Then you're, then you don't remember jack shit after that. Like, <laughs> wake up in the waiting room. I'm done. Shit. Yeah, exactly. Then when are you going to do yours? I don't know. Uh, I guess I have to sooner than later, but it'll be a little bit later, probably still. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I'll wait. Till man. Three. Steven says that my pipes are man. clean because I've had a lot of gay sex. <laughs> Did you hear the wow. new controversy with uh, what's his name, Ricky Gervais? No, I don't like him anyway. And everyone thinks he's funny, but I just I don't I don't enjoy him. But I don't know what he's said or done. Well, he released it this morning. It was released on Netflix. Uh, a um, a new uh, stand-up comedy special, and he starts off, you know, just uh, talking about uh, transgender jokes. And so let me. I got an article here. He starts off his bit. Uh, oh, women. Not all women. I mean, the old-fashioned ones. The old-fashioned women. The ones with wombs. Those fucking dinosaurs. I love the new women. They're great, aren't they? The new ones we've been seeing lately. The ones with beards and cocks. They're as good as gold. I love them. And now the old-fashioned ones say, oh, they want to use our toilets. Why shouldn't they use our your toilets for ladies? They are ladies. Look at their pronouns. What about this person? What about this person isn't a lady? Well, his penis. Her penis, you fucking bigot. What if he rapes me? What if she rapes you? You're a fucking turf whore. Turf is like a trans-exclusionary, radical feminist, uh, people associated with the the uh, the, the whole uh, the rejecting of uh, trans women as women. And so he goes on to uh, says, you can't predict... What will be offensive in the future? You don't know who the dominant mob will be. Like the worst thing you can say today gets you canceled on Twitter. Death threats. The worst thing you can say today is women don't have penises, right? Now, no one saw that coming. You won't find a 10-year-old tweet of someone saying women don't have penises. You know why? We didn't think we we fucking had to say that back then. And then he finished it. So uh, an uproar. you know, people saying, you know, fuck uh, Ricky Gervais. Ricky could go after governments, banks, and billionaires, the ones causing actual harm to ordinary people all over the world on an unfathomable scale every single day. But he goes after trans people instead. Yeah, Ricky, you son of a bitch. You speak your truth to power, you fucking coward. So people are just going off. And then he ends 
the uh, the show by saying, uh, full disclosure, in real life, of course I support trans rights. I support all human rights, and trans rights are human rights. Live your best life. Use your preferred pronouns. Be the gender that you feel that you are. But meet me halfway, ladies. Lose the cock. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he got mortified, of course, by uh, you know these these uh, people who are just you know take offense to whatever. And I can understand the sensitivity to that. You know, trans people face a lot of violence in this country, and so people are afraid that that type of comedy is going to exacerbate that uh, that violence towards them. So I can totally understand it. But some of what he said was pretty funny, in my opinion. You know, one of the things that Bill Maher says that is kind of true, even if you don't want it to be true, is that early in my lifetime, it was always the Republican that was uptight and thought things were immoral and like, oh, these song lyrics are just too vulgar. And what is rock music? What's it going to do to the kids? You know, that kind of shit. It was always yep. the Republicans that wanted to watch everything at PG. And what about the family? Conservatives, but, right? Yeah. But now it is the fucking liberals that are always offended yep. and uptight and everything pisses them off. And well, you're not woke enough. And like, I'm I'm paraphrasing more now. I'm not using that as my own independent thought, mm -hmm. uh, but I agree with them in in that aspect. It is usually the left who's offended now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, in that George Carlin documentary that I talked about earlier, he went when he he went through several transformations in his career. He f first started off as a suit wearing tie wearing a comedian and he tried to you know be with the establishment and he, he just was so upset that his career wasn't going the way it was and he figured you know i just got to speak more honestly and so that's when he became kind of the hippie comedian you know wearing sandals a long beard and he went to colleges in order to find his voice and colleges accepted him he was making fun of all sorts of people and nowadays George Carlin could not go to colleges with that type, that brand of humor that. Yeah. They would boo him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it is weird. You know, I understand. I, I can see both sides of the story. I understand the, you know, that censorship is awful, but at the same time, when you're making fun of people who are powerless and are being picked on already, you, you start getting into sensitive territory there. So Stephen Me says, Bill Maher, Jesus, he's as funny as cancer. <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> I always saw Maher was, was funny. Yeah. Uh, really I like funny. I've anymore. seen him live twice, but uh, he, you know, for he, he's a guy that really goes after the left hard now. Mm -hmm. Most of his jokes are, are about uh, Democrats. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, he claims he hasn't shifted politically. It's just that that's that the jokes write themselves. Yeah, and I, I, uh, you know he's got a point. I mean, in some aspects, and I, I tell you, another guy that attacks the left, even though he's on the left, is Jake Uger. Yeah, and Jake uh, is always saying, "Why the fuck is this party always capitulating to Joe Manchin? Who's mm -hmm. the fucking president here?" Mm -hmm. No, Joe Manchin. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so true. Like. He single-handedly has, um, you know, taken down Biden's agenda and you couple that with inflation 
like I've said many times, he's going to lose his ass off in the fall. They're going to lose the Senate and the House. Mm -hmm. And then nothing is going to be passed for him. Then you got two years of gridlock. And if another Justice Strahd dies, McConnell still won't allow him to have a fucking a hearing, even though it's already 6-3 in the Supreme Court. You know, so, I mean, man, at this point, it's why I don't even get mad when I hear people say, I mean, I get mad when I hear them say, let's go Brandon, because they don't know how fucking stupid it is. But when they're saying like, you know, fuck Biden or Biden sucks or whatever, I mean, he has been terrible. Hmm. And I'm fair enough to admit that I voted for him, but man, the dude has sucked. The dude has been a bust. If if he was a Chicago Bears acquisition, we would be asking, (laughs) how soon can we cut him? (laughs) <laughs> no, and, and I can't afford to live to under Biden. I tell you, okay. exactly, man. You're like losing not, everything, man. It's not me saying that. There's a prevailing thought of people. The obviously the people on the right all going to think that just because he's on the other team. But when people on that team also think that too, combined with the other side, I don't see how any way he gets reelected or he keeps the House or the Senate. I think he's done, and it's been a free fall ever since Afghanistan, which I supported finally leaving. How many more Americans have to die for this fucking 20 years over there for nothing? And it just, it just, I'm glad he did that. But since then, the momentum has just gone all completely against him, and he can't stop it. It's like he's at his approval rating is probably like 33% or something now. He just, it has been a shit show. But I'm off my soapbox. Nomad says you're a fake liberal. You've bought brought bought into the BS narrative. I, fuck, I'm not, man. When gas is five dollars a gallon, I mean, I know it's not the president's fault exclusively. Don't get me wrong, but uh, some of his policies with regards to uh, boycotts with the Russian uh, Ukrainian uh, incident or affair or war, whatever, what an atrocity, however you want to describe it, some of that has impacted us negatively. I know he released some barrels, uh, you know, a couple, like a month ago, and he brought it back down just a little bit to about 395, at least here. But then it spiked up to 440 again within 10 days or so. I don't know. I it, W. Bush had this happen to him in 08, uh, coupled with the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it led to Barack being elected and kind of hurt McCain in some ways, if you recall. Uh, W tried to support McCain and McCain didn't even want him attending his rallies mm-hmm. because W was so unpopular at the time uh, be- because people were blaming him whether right or wrong for gas prices and stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Me off the edge and tell me how, give, tell me the scenario where Biden wins. Cause I, I don't know how to write that script. Are you saying Tooch? They, politicians only care about getting reelected. That's what takes up most of their time, you know, campaigning, getting campaign donations. You know, very little time is spent on stuff that would help people. That's well, the Aldo, or the guy in the chat room that said that I was a fake liberal. Nomad. Uh, give me the script. Tell me the scenario that, that plays out that says Biden somehow wins again. The only thing I can come up with is maybe they ride, they ride pro-choice. They ride pro-choice in the fall, and somehow that is a determinant to holding on to one of the either the House or the Senate. I, 
that's the only script I could even manifest in my head. <laughs> See, you can't you can't tell me how he can win. Well, I'm not saying he's going to win. I I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I do believe that a lot of the stuff that Joe Biden is doing, he's, he's trying to create some significant change. There are gra gas prices are high, and it does hurt the average American. But that comment about uh, you know that it was a good thing, it, it was he, that's not exactly what he said. He says that it's we're in a transition period as we're moving moving away from fossil fuels to uh, cleaner energy. And so there is going to be a price that's going to be paid for a period of time if we're going to do that. I believe it's going to be paid by the party. I, be, I, believe, I believe that uh, uh, climate change is real. And so do I. I worry about what planet we're going to be leaving for our kids and our grandchildren and our great great grandchildren. We're not going to experience, you know, the type of catastrophes that are in the near future, but we're already seeing the effects of climate change. And so there has to be certain sacrifices that are made by the public. And so that's one of them. But the reason for gas prices isn't just that, that we're moving to cleaner energy. It also has to do with the supply chain being broken. It has to do with... Well, that's why I brought up the war. Yep. And, and also OPEC. I mean, they help, you know, they could help in, chip in if they wanted to, you know, or it is a, a corporation. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just it's it's just things aren't going well, man. Like, uh, let, let me let me finish because you. Just, oh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Please um, go ahead. So uh, the the other uh, issue for these prices is that um, CEOs are gouging. You know, there is no doubt. Um, there are recorded messages uh, from CEOs saying this is a great time to take advantage and yep. uh, make things more expensive than they really need to be. That's the biggest yep. culprit in all that. It's greed. And I think Tooch, as a, a conservative, more conservative, of course, than I am, and me, a liberal, I think we can agree on that, that there is Absolutely. an awful lot of greed going on. You have to convince me that people are greedy. Right. And <laughs> and so that's part of the part of the issue here that needs to be to be looked at and not immediately bl blame uh, Joe Biden's uh, policies for everything that is that is not well, working I don't, out. Again, I voted for him. Let me just say that again. But I, I, I like I bought a case of water because mm -hmm. I was out of water at the house. I had like four can, uh, four bottles. I'm like, ah, I gotta get more water. Uh, so I bought a, I bought a, a case of water on my way to work. It was seven dollars. What? We're fucking twenty twenty four bottles of Aquafina. Seven dollars. This is something. It was like three forty nine. Before he got elected, mm -hmm. that I mean that resonates with people when milk is five four dollars and and bread and everything fundamentally Eggs. is it, the in, because of inflation is so much higher. There's no doubting that there's, people vote like James Carville said in '92. It's about the economy, stupid. It is about the economy, but you, uh, to blame Joe Biden for all of these price increases and only Joe Biden is not 
not correct. Well, that's like us blaming Matt Nagy for stuff, and he would say, well, you can't blame that on me. That's on Juan Castilla. That's on – he was always – that's on Trubisky. He's blaming on everybody else. But we would always say, you're the head coach. Mm-hmm. You're the motherfucker in charge. So the, it's the same approach that this is his administration. His name is on it. Whether what I know what you're saying is true, but what I'm saying is perception is reality. There's no doubt about that. There's and no a lot doubt of people aren't informed, and I don't mean that condescendingly, but a lot of people don't want to listen to people argue over politics. Mm-hmm. And you know, they basically catch their headlines on Facebook or Twitter and and don't argue about it. Nixon would have called them the silent majority, but they know these people know that it's it's a lot harder to live right now than it was two years ago. Sans COVID, with it comes to cost, so that's going to hurt the Democrats. I'm sorry, it is. It is going to hurt the Democrats, in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. I think I, I think that's wrong. the prevailing opinion by uh, uh, pundits, political pundits on the left, the right, the middle, the up, the down. Everybody knows that the the Democrats right now, if things continue at, uh, in their current trajectory, the Democrats are going to lose the House. They're going to lose the Senate, and, and yep. Biden will probably be a one-term president. Right. Um, but if you this know, was a Super Bowl, he's losing forty-seven to three right now. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. And I don't know if Nancy Pelosi knows that or even gives a shit. Oh, they, I they, know Joe Manchin doesn't give a shit. I can tell you that. Well, but, he, but you know that Joe Manchin is not really a Democrat. You know that, right? Well, I'm just saying the bottom line is he is a Democrat. He caucuses with them. But he isn't. And, that, that That's like, you know. Well, he's got to capitulate to the people here that are constantly stuck on coal. And I'm not one of those people. But he's got to, you know, give a wink and a nod to. I understand the problem he's under in the sense that he is in a conservative state, but he doesn't do anything to help the party at all. And that's what he does. He kind of does a reverse Biden. Remember when Biden was down in the polls and uh, you know, during the the, uh, the primary, before South Carolina, and he said something like, he got mad at a town hall meeting. He was like, well, if you don't like me, buddy, don't vote for me. It's just old and commudgeon, com- you know, you just, but I mean, that's kind of what, uh, Manchin does in his interviews, whenever someone attacks him, he's just like, well, I could switch parties if that's what you want and give them another senator. That's like his buzz thing. You know, so like to go, shut down do it. Argument. I mean, live up to your true colors. You're, you're, you're voting primarily with the Republicans. You may caucus with the Democrats, but you've done everything possible. You and Sinema. Uh, uh, Kristen Sinema. Kristen they, they've done everything pos- uh, possible to uh, derail what uh, Joe Biden has wanted to do in this country, which, you know, is unfortunate. Um, I, I I do think I see some similarities here between uh, Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden. And I think Jimmy Carter is unfairly criticized for his four years as president. He inherited that inflation. And Joe Biden has, for the most part, inherited this inflation, too. And um you know, if you look back at Joe, uh, Jimmy Carter's presidency, if he were able to enact the things that he did, that he wanted to to enact in America, this country would be far better off. He warned against consumerism. Yeah. And that famous speech that was titled, uh, given the moniker by conservatives, the Malay speech, although he never used that word in his speech that he had kind of admonished us Americans for being so consumer 
oriented and wanting and, and not thinking about first country and not thinking about family and community first uh, and, and, and instead thinking about wanting to establish more wealth and so forth. That to me was one of the greatest speeches. But unfortunately, the narrative immediately took over and said, no, that's bullshit. And Ronald Reagan came and says, no, if you want to buy it, you should buy it. This is America. You shouldn't be told that you can't have that. And I was totally against that. I think there is just too much consumerism in, in the United States and by Americans that has made this country falter and if we would have listened a little closely to what Jimmy Carter said or was trying to say, um, we might be better off. But I agree. I mean, Carter was telling you things like, you know, maybe you should turn down your thermostat, you know, two or three degrees, uh, right. wear a sweater in your house and things like that, just to try to be for the greater good mm -hmm. of everyone. But then you get undercut by this other guy who comes in and says, you know, Americans are Americans, we're we're that shining city on a hill. We don't need to fucking sacrifice for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people want to be placated. People want to be told we're awesome. Go team, go USA. Mm -hmm. People want it, want their fucking balls licked. So Reagan comes in and says all this shit, and you know, couple that with Ted Kennedy primarying Jimmy Carter as well, uh, in in early '80 there. Of course, he was unsuccessful, but He's even he's getting attacked from the left and the right, is what I'm saying. So I wouldn't be surprised if Biden gets the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you told me right now Hillary ran a primary against him in 24, fuck, I could see it. Maybe somebody younger, but I could see Hillary doing it too because there's no way he's going to win. And as much I I would like to see a vice president, uh, the vice president, be able to run because she's a woman. And because she's biracial and all these things would be good for America and to have that diversity, just like in the NFL, when you get, you know, a Mike Tomlin or somebody like that as a coach or, or lovey that shows you, you know, it's progress, man. But, uh, she has no shot in the, in the America that we live in of running in 2024. Even if Biden says I'm too old, fuck this shit. I'm taking my ball and going home. There's no way that the vice president could run and not get blown out. And that sucks. That's not the world I want to live in, but that's the world I'm living in. Yeah. She's not popular at all. So many people won't vote for her because she's a woman. And then you put the racial component on it too. She has no shot against Donald Trump. No fucking shot. Neither does Biden either this time because of what's happened. Trump's going to be like, I told you, I told you not to vote for him. He cheated anyway. So, I mean, do you think uh, I'd like Tucci's opinion and, and yours, uh, Dan, on this? Do you think that given I can't the, handle another Trump term, but the drama would kill me. Yeah, exactly. He's not user friendly. I mean, there's too many people who are offended by his mean tweets clutching their pearls. But, I mean, I got a, I had a lot more money in my pocketbook. My 401k was climbing, and you know, I don't know whether it was magic tricks or whatever. I don't care. But that was what was best for me. I, uh, it's okay. You know, uh, to rip on that, it's it's just uh, I was enjoying the time. I just couldn't handle the uh, the drama. I think the drama was divided the country. You know, there's too many people. I mean, I, I don't root for a team, whether it's like I, I can't label myself because I think when you when you like people who are either Republican or Democrat, that's their team. It's like Bears versus Packers. They're not going to ever say they're never going to say anything bad about their their party. I just know? did. Like, well, I, I know. But I have. You know, 
but you're never going to change teams. You know, that's kind of no, point, no, but know? I'm never going to go to the party that votes for Trump. That's for sure. But like, let's say it was for some reason in 24, Joe Biden against Mitt Romney. Now you're talking. I might vote for Romney. I'm not kidding either. Hold on, guys. If it, if, Hold on, guys. I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt you because uh, you know Tush just said something that Cliff is kind of echoing. Uh, Cliff Victoria says Trump did a good job as president, but sucked at getting people to like him. I don't understand how anybody could say something like that when Donald Trump led an insurrection of this country. He tried to overturn democracy, the de- democratic elected president of the United States. United States. He he had the speech, and, and it wasn't just the speech at uh, at the location the day of the insurrection. He for weeks he had been telling people uh, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. You got to go out there and fight. You got to. He 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 wanted this to happen, and while it was happening, he did nothing when his own vice president was in danger. And so, what I'm trying to understand from people like Cliff and I think Tooch too, is do you really just excuse that and say, hey, well, you know, it just fucking happened? Because to me, that is deplorable conduct by any American to just whitewash that that part of American history. This is my thought. I agree. That's why I can't vote for him ever. Anyone I, I probably that, wouldn't vote for him either because, like I they said, they tried to pretend that it well, was Hold on, Antifa Dan. Hold on, Dan. And, Dan, hold on. I asked Tooch sorry. the question. I, I apologize. I, uh, uh, I find it hard to believe that the most powerful country in the world could be overthrown by something like that. That's just me. You know, I mean, we are we are uh, the most powerful uh, country in the world, and some people marching on the Capitol. I, that, to me, I was never any danger of the country falling. You know, I, I, I that's just my. I, I don't know. You know what I mean, and I think people. Who think like I know we talk about JFK a lot, and uh, I don't know whether you think that Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK like by himself. I don't think you, either of you do, correct, Dan? Or I don't think he was even one of the gunmen. Period. Yeah, I don't either. Um, maybe, maybe uh, like me, you think it was like a CIA operation or some kind of black ops thing. I think that people generally think if they could assassinate a president. They could pick who wins an election. You know, I'm not, that's what people think. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong or anything, but I think that's where we are as a country. Ever since Kennedy was killed, things have been downhill. You know, if you look at it, you mentioned nobody trusts the government after Kennedy was assassinated. Nobody trusts the government fully. That was the turning point. They had a noose outside and they called Pence a traitor for certifying the votes. In 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 a legal election, which again Hillary's margin for defeat versus Trump was even smaller than Trump's versus Biden. But Hillary didn't fucking act like it was some atrocity, and she was cheated. She conceded, and but Trump tried to make it sound like he convinced all these people that uh, the vice president was a traitor because he was going to certify the votes. They had a noose out front were trying to kill the vice president and he was in support of that and i'm that's not conjecture i mean even mike pence fucking knows that but he doesn't have the balls to come out and say it Uh, that's the reason i can't vote for trump like yeah i I don't think i could either 
but I can't handle the drama. It was even, too much. Even W. Bush, stress. then I'm listening, like in terms of their policies. But Jesus, man, like oh. I'm the fascism. Bush I the worst. vote for fascism. George W. Bush was so the worst. So far away from World War II that people don't remember or they never learn because you know the millennials are like, oh, if it happened before I was born, it didn't happen. Yeah. So they don't understand fascism and, and and fuck it, man. I I'm not here to, to preach. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Aldo said something a couple times ago. Uh, for me, a, a, another turning point was the Al Gore winning the election, and then all of a sudden he wasn't president. That pissed me off because uh, there was no reason why to you know uh, that was another election crap where uh, Al Gore got cheated out of becoming president. You but know, Al Gore mucking, cheated. And but then he, said, oh, he I did won. He won. I, I, I voted for Al Gore, so I, I wanted to tell you he did. Uh, he came out and conceded. And then he was like, but oh, why? I don't know. Things are going on in Florida. I'm taking back my concession. And that's that like being in a UFC fight and you tap out and then you're like, oh, fuck. No, I changed my mind. You just tap, bro. You just tap. I mean, look, I don't I mean, I don't. I'm just saying, I, I'm not sitting here cheerleading W's win, but Gore did concede and then changed his concession. That really happened. So right. that, uh, that, that was a turning point. Campaign for fucking that up. Because that was a turning point because right after that, all of a sudden, the Twin Towers were brought down. You know, it was, they got the CIA got Bush into office so they could run their operation. That's To me, that's what happened. They, they, they couldn't do it with Gore. So they had to cover up all their grifting and, and whatever they've been doing for all these years to bring down the towers and get in this whatever laws or whatever they wanted passed in. And that was that was why I, I and as soon as Bush got in, the, the hijackers crashed planes into the thing. It was that was the operation. It was like they knew it was coming. You know, he was reading a stupid book. Then all of a sudden someone whispers in his ear, OK, shows on, guys, let's go. That's how it looked to me. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the feeling I got when I sniffed that my nose didn't, you know, sniffed out the BS. Well, W's got a lot of things that went against him. He he had obviously 9-11, he had Katrina, he had yeah. the, the stock market or the 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 home, the housing crisis, uh, and massive inflation and gas prices. But having said that gore did concede and then he actually did the only republican who's won the popular vote since reagan is w he beat john Kerry in 2004 he had to play dirty did the swift boating and shit but he won he won fair and square i mean he played a dirty game but he won so i mean yeah i'm not here to defend w but i'm not gonna say that he conspired to have anything to do with that i think george all, w bush is a good man events. he was a bad president he was a bad president but i don't think he had anything to do with an inside job on 9-11 I, I just don't think so i just i do but uh I, I don't have any proof and like without evidence you know that can be dismissed you know without evidence but my it doesn't pass the smell test you know for me uh same with the kennedy assassination it was just lied lie after lie to the people of America, you know, that can't I agree they, with they, that, but I, yeah. I just can't, I just but, don't, I, I, even if it were Gore, uh, who I didn't like either, I just, if my guy Nader 
<laughs> I didn't vote for Nader. That's who I wanted to vote for. I did vote for W in full disclosure. Uh, but I wanted Nader, but I was like, ah, oh, throwing my vote away, blowing, which is dumb. Like, cause if the third party candidate can get, I think it's 5 million votes, then they have to be included in the next election. So your vote does matter in that aspect. They have to be included in the, the debates and such. But, uh, I, I, I've lost my track. Yeah, my, my, my thing is, let's say Ralph put it at one. Uh, I don't think any president would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody goes along with that. Uh, I, I, to me, it was fishy. The whole Bush-Gore thing. Gore conceding. And he even had the, he even had the last vote to eliminate himself, I think, right? As the vice president. Although, yes. he, uh, he was the, he was well, the deciding you, vote. That's classy, though. That's classy. Why? Classy or classy for Gore? He didn't. <laughs> he didn't was Donald like your Trump. Family's dead he was if like, you Look, don't. I lost. It wasn't. I'm bitter about it, but you know what? The Supreme Court has spoken, and I don't want any shit today. So I'll give Gore credit for that. I mean, he didn't try to start a coup. He didn't say let's assassinate anybody. Um, he didn't invite people to storm. And and come into the, the Senate chambers. But I mean, he did it peacefully. It was a peaceful transfer of power. And how many times was Donald Trump asked in those debates if he if he advocated a peaceful a peaceful transfer of power? And he never at once said he did. He always Matt Nagy did and answered until his time ran out and never fucking answered the question because he didn't advocate a peaceful transfer. He's frightening against... me. To me, he is a fascist dictator wannabe. He wants to be Putin or Putin-like to where, because Putin's been, fuck, remember W was like, I looked into Putin's eyes and whatever the fuck he said. Point is, Putin's been around, Putin's been president of Russia for like 25 years now. I think that that's, since Yeltsin like drank himself to death, I think that's kind of what trump wanted to be like president until he died you know i i don't know he frightens me in the work for the worst reasons because again i i see i find it very I, odd that like people didn't think this about trump before he ran for president i mean he was just people didn't hate him like they vehemently hated him until he beat defeated their party you know i i didn't vote me, for Edward, so i voted for jill stein so you can't say it was because i I'm, I'm not like stuck up the Democrat Party's ass or something. I have criticized Biden here. I didn't vote for their their he like you said their their heroine Hillary Clinton. So I did vote for Barack both times. I, I admit so that. I. But I didn't hate Romney or McCain. So, I, but I do admit that I absolutely hate Donald Trump and everything he stands for. He's definitely not user-friendly. He's a white supremacist, and that is my opinion. And I say that because I, I he's see any evidence for that. But. These people that are like that, like not the Charlottesville incident. He was like, oh, there's good people on that side. Nobody says that. No, not since World War II has anyone said that it's okay to be pal up with fascists until Trump. And that's our leader at the time. Like, it's not you know, West or East Germany saying that, you know, and it's fucking America. It's just, it baffles me. We've, you know, it's like we, there are people that like Hitler here. Are they? Like, possible. 
There are people that praise Hitler here. I, I don't understand them. Like, I don't hate them. I don't hate people just because they disagree with me. I, I don't understand. Their, I can't empathize with them. I can't understand the rationale. I can't hate another man like because he's black or he's Jewish or he's gay. I just can't. Unless he's Republican. So, but, but Trump did suck up to these groups and wanted their support and wanted them to be there. And like, that, that's, that's again, that's, that's why I don't like him because truth to be told, do I think Donald Trump sits at the house and probably says the N word? No, but I think he palled around with whoever would vote for him. If that meant supporting David Duke, then he was going to do it. I mean, he would support, he would kill his fucking wife if it got him votes. And like, to me, that's scary, man. The guy that just wants power no matter what. All politicians want power. Not like he did. No one else tried to, to, to uh, overthrow the government. And, and, and supporting an assassination attempt on his own vice president. And called him a traitor. Called him a traitor. Those people bought, brought... A fucking a noose outside. They wanted to hang him. They were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Why? Because they just came from Trump's <laughs> rally. Stephen, if you've got some evidence, bring it forth. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 white supremacist people use the term a little liberally. I, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I don't, I don't know I, if he's really like that here? himself. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in here, guys? Um, here's here's a list of some of the evidence regarding Trump and his long history of racist controversies. Started back in 1973 when the Nixon administration, out of all administrations, sued the Trump Management Corporation for violating the Fair Housing Act. There were they said that there were forms in the Trump management that would that people had to fill out regarding their race, and there was evidence that they were not renting to black tenants. In the 1980s, years forward, uh, fast forward, Kip Brown, a former employee at Trump's castle uh, in, in Vegas, said that Donald Trump told him, I want all the black people we employ out of sight of our customers. In 1989, in a controversial case that has been characterized, characterized as a modern-day lynching, Four black teenagers in, in Nomad, and I think Steve and me talked about this in the chat. They, uh, they were called the Central Park Five, and Donald Trump took out a full pay, page ad, said, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police. This was a clear attempt by Donald Trump to crucify, to uh, 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 kill off these black kids because they were suspected uh, and they, you know, it's a little more complicated. They actually were coerced into a confession, but it was a, clearly a very racist act by Donald Trump. And he's never, despite the fact that these five kids were exonerated, uh, despite the fact that these kids were exonerated, right. he, they, he never apologized to these to these people. In nineteen, yeah, Hillary brought up all of this stuff. In nineteen ninety one, in a book uh, written by John O'Donnell, former employee of the Trump uh, Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, quoted Trump's criticism of a black accountant: "Black guys counting my money, I hate it. The only kind of people I want counting my money are short guys that wear yarmulkes every day." 
and and he himself, Donald Trump, said in a 1997 Playboy interview, that stuff O'Donnell wrote about me is probably true. In 1992, the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino had to pay $200,000 fine because it transferred black and women dealers off tables to accommodate a big uh, gambler's prejudices. I mean, the list of stuff that I got here is so fucking That's long that I would, I would need another hour to... And he said that one of his favorite books was Hitler's Speeches. Mein Kampf, yes. That was in 1990 that he was fascinated with the, spe the speeches of Adolf Hitler, which he imitated, in my opinion. That's strictly my opinion. But he said that he praised Hitler's speeches and... <laughs> So I, I hold on, let me, let, me let me interrupt you because let me interrupt you as I'm That's reading enough evidence for me, Aldo. As I'm reading this, Cliff Victoria immediately wants to do what so many other people do when faced with facts. He wants to turn the conversation out to Biden. Let's talk Biden. Another war, forty billion dollars. No, it's not. It's not what about isms here, Cliff. I'm giving you tons of evidence, and I can give you more. I can send you this article and a bunch of other things that I read about Donald Trump. I, I did a lot of reading about Donald Trump before he said he was going to run for president. So a lot of these things I knew before. So when I start bringing this up and then you right, right away want to change the subject to Biden, that's not what we're talking about here. We've already crucified Biden for so many of the fucking things that he's done. This is our, our chance now to talk about Trump and these allegations that he's racist. And what I'm showing you is proof that this guy is a racist and here's here's another thing you know when dan says that he read mein kampf if you study the trump administration so many of the things that he did were things that adolf hitler did when he rose to prominence hitler took advantage of a new medium to uh, brainwash uh, people and that was radio Radio and films. He, he hired Lena Riefenstahl to do these movies that talk about the Nazi monolith and how great it was and in his speeches on radio. He took advantage of people who were upset about losing World War I, about their economy being broken, and through that new medium, he did the same thing. What did Donald Trump do? He took advantage of the new medium of social media and, and cajoled people into believing that he and only he could fix all these problems. And Cliff, earlier you said the, the, the mainstream media didn't like Donald Trump because he said that he and he alone could fix that. Well, who the fuck would you do you believe any one man can fix anything? That was just a, an, a, 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 a clue of his narcissism, of his feeling that he was a, a demigod and not a true democratic, democratic in the sense of not the party, but the political term, a democratic uh, uh, president, uh, a, a president who would be a president for all people and not just for the white majority. And um, if you go back in the summer, that's when he started to hire the half of the post office. This kind just of stuff is slow down the mail. Hold on, one at a time, guys. One at a time. Go well, ahead. Well, I just mine's a minute, not or less. I was saying he hired that hack in the summer preceding the election to start slowing down the mail, and then immediately started attacking the idea of absentee ballots, which again, that's how soldiers vote, for one. So I guess does that mean he's anti-military? But so he immediately by july august started beating the drum that uh, the election should be settled election night and these other ballots are there the 
this isn't this isn't right. And he started to slow down the mail, trying to get those ballots to not come in. That's that's not a conspiracy that actually happened. And then Biden tried to fire that guy. But the Republicans somehow kept him in, which I don't understand how that works. But he wasn't able to fire him, uh, the head of the post office, who was the Trump guy. So, I mean, it, it was a slow moving coup from start to finish. He thought he could lose and he he did everything he could to stop it. It was just, oh, what about Hunter Biden? What about Hunter Biden? You know, uh, I, I fuck. I last thing, and I'll let Toots talk for five minutes. Uh, the the British oh, are the reason, part of the reason for the rise of. Uh, I know George might. Well, I guess he's on the other team, not listen to us anymore. But I don't want to offend anybody British. But you know, the the Treaty of Versailles at the end of World War One uh, precluded the Germans from even having a military, and made them accept all the the debt uh, that they had to accept total like oh it's all our fault at the end of the First World War and signed that treaty and without the foresight to know that if there's somebody going to come along and say, this shit isn't our fault, we're being crippled right now, it's their fault. I mean, it's inevitable that that's going to happen, but no one had the, I mean, this isn't even hindsight. I mean, someone like should have been able to see that pretty fucking quickly. But, you know, the British wanted their fucking, they wanted to hammer them and take their territory. And the Americans went along with Cliff Victoria is bringing up the uh, voter fraud. And the fact of the matter is that there is no voter fraud. The, the, the amount of voter fraud that has been found in this country and investigations after investigations, many of them uh, 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 put in place by Republicans, have found that it is negligible. There, no voter fraud existed that had any impact at all on elections. You go back to George W. Bush, who for three years during his eight-year administration had the Justice Department looking into voter fraud, and what was the final report? None found, nothing of any significance. And uh, people are trying to say that there was voter fraud in this past election when 20 court cases looked into it and not one win when uh, state auditors looked at things and not one one uh, uh, bit of evidence that would have overturned the election. You look at what is going on, what happened in Georgia with the Republican secretary of state had to basically ward off Trump, who was begging him to find 19,000 votes. They weren't there. And he wasn't going to lie for Donald Trump. If anyone is behind voter fraud, it's Donald Trump. Exactly. Yeah, and they Bush tried. He was getting Al Gore. That was too. the fraud. They just when Bush cheated Gore out of the presidency, Bush did not win. But uh, uh, well, you blame Gore's team for conceding on that again. I mean, yeah. And then the Supreme Court's the one who, who uh, voted five to four to stop counting the votes, which again, I'm not saying that was right, or I'm just saying that's what happened. So, mm -hmm. but that yeah. again, that still doesn't change what Aldo was saying about Georgia, that, that, that all happened. I mean, all that shit's, some of it's even fucking in audio. It's recorded. He's on the, the, the you can hear him pleading to try to find 12,000 more votes or whatever. And it's, like I said, the, the Secretary of State of Georgia started getting death threats after this because he couldn't just somehow find the votes. And 
but nobody on that side cares. They're like, it doesn't matter what you say. It's like, but what about this? Or what about that? Like they, they won't acknowledge what you say. And I'm proud to say that I sit here, not that I'm better than anybody, but I'm saying, I told you, Biden's sucking right now. If this was a football game, Biden's down 40 points. And he probably will be down 40 points in the fucking fall, too. But I don't think people that voted for Trump could ever do that. It would be like saying that their mother was a whore to criticize Donald Trump. You're not allowed to. It's just like, it's like you're repudiating your own livelihood by just acknowledging this man's faults baffles the mind. Yeah, it's it's sad. I, I never thought that I would be uh, championing the work of Liz Cheney. But Liz Cheney has guts. And despite the fact that I thought her father was truly an evil person who took us into yes. a war, uh, an unjust war. Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, did you guys see that video of George W. Bush giving a speech somewhere and he was denouncing uh, Putin's uh, uh, invasion of Ukraine? And when he Ooh. said that, he said Iraq, he, he basically admitted to a war crime in his speech. I should find that it video. Was, man. There was no excuse for it. There was no excuse. They, they had, they had to have George W. Bush in place to... <laughs> rape the Middle East of its oil, mm -hmm. you know, take down Iraq and then move into Afghanistan. They couldn't do it with Al Gore in there. That's why mm -hmm. the, they, they stole the vote from Al Gore. You know, then they brought down the towers. I'm telling you. Well, it was let's look at Gore again. You make self Gore, <laughs> I'm Gore a conspiracy theorist because of this. But, yeah, Gore even lost I mean, Tennessee. That's what it smells Gore like to me. Well, I'm saying Gore lost his home state. Right, he lost his home state. He didn't state, know who he was surprising. in the debate. In one debate, he's like, I'm Al Gore, and I'm going to intimidate you. You know, and like you just kept shouting at Bush the way Trump would. And then one debate, he's like, I'm Al Gore. I'm a man that loves my wife. And like it just had this long, are you getting it? I'm kissing temper. Please video me. It's like every debate, he was a different personality. Like he had a shitty campaign, and his whole thing was the environment. His whole thing is the environment until he was the running from truth. And then he ran away from his fucking own advocacy. So it's like, I think if Al Gore were here, he would say, I could easily have won if I had just tried to be myself and stand on my own principles and not be a different version of me every time the camera was on. Hey, guys, uh, I, I found that gaffe by uh, George Bush. Listen to this. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Iraq. Anyway. No. Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus. The truth go out. He sounds drunk too, doesn't he? he sounds like he's, he's been hitting the presidential uh, uh, cabinet there with the, with the good stuff. But yeah, I, I mean. I just wanted to say that there's too much hate. Like, like people will lump. Like there's like. All Republicans are evil people. 
You know, I, I, that kind of stuff has to stop because it I agree with you to do any good, you know, because there are plenty of, of people on, on both sides that love the country, that think this country is the greatest country in the world, provides the best opportunity for a person who works hard to have a good life. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 still the country that people want to come to the most. You know, it's it, we have more people applying to immigrate to the U.S. than any other country in the world. You know, why do people want to come here if it's so racist, Steve and me? Or why are, is it because, Paul, you know, it's it's the it's the mo- one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse countries on the planet full of people you can't say that white people don't sometimes have a problem with that though i mean i'm white and i know other white people so it's still a lot of them say the n-word you know know, and and have a problem with being a minority in their own mind uh, there's always going to be people like that you know it's just they're not going to go away overnight you know that's just not how changes changes happens very slowly you know it doesn't happen overnight you know but uh to to divide people into all one side is that's what you get these days these people are fascists they're they're nazis you know and that's just not true i didn't say that all republicans i'm not saying that i'm not saying that advocating it at that time and trying to to rile up those type of people that would consider themselves a member of the kkk or the proud boys or the What's the other one called? The Oath Keepers and all these fucking far right groups that that thought that they could storm the Capitol and stop the. Uh, never mind, man. I, just, I didn't say all Republicans are fascists. That's a no, strong. No, I, 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 I didn't say you did either. I'm just saying that that kind of stuff we have to stop dividing because that's a that's what the the people who are in in power at the top of the pyramid, at the top of the power structure, want to keep the people below them divided and fighting each other because it takes the fight off of them. I mean, I think George Carlin would agree with that, Aldo. You know, it was this whole thing. You're not, you ain't a member of that club. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's one big club, and you ain't in it. You aren't in it, right? Yep. So, I mean, that I kind I, I do admit to looking at it through that lens. I mean, one politicians don't give a shit about people; they're only concerned about hanging on to power. Uh, they haven't done jack shit about inner cities. They haven't done jack shit about uh making you know uh inroads on energy independence i mean to a country the size of america is is you know 90 percent larger than a country like england or sweden you know so it works for sweden isn't going to necessarily work for america to provide uh clean energy to a country the size of the united states you need nuclear power you know it provides the cheapest amount of energy uh uh uh, that for a, for a country of this size, you know, it's the cheapest form of, uh, of, uh, uh, power. I mean, you can, you can fill, you know, uh, fields full of windmills. That's great. And fields full of solar panels, but it's not going to give you the output of a nuclear power station. It just isn't, you know, who knows what could technology come along after nuclear power. I, I would, I love for, you know, us to only use, you know, like natural uh, power generating, like whether it's tidal power or, or wind power or solar power. I don't think you can provide uh, the kind of uh, power that Americans are used to living with, you know, electric, uh, all of our mod- modern conveniences to be powered by strictly 
uh, green energy. I don't think it's possible. It's just the country is just too big. All right, guys, I think this might be a good point here to pull the plug on this edition of Dan and Aldo and Tooch bearing their yeah. soul. I, I will say this, though, Danny, I think uh, if Trump were to run against Biden, I I, I, I don't <laughs> think that people aren't going to vote for Trump again. You know, they don't want the uh, the drama. At least I, I don't think I would. You know, I can't. My heart I, couldn't handle it. I, I My pocketbook can't handle Biden. Maybe there'll be somebody else. So just, <laughs> you know, I. I think Grover uh, Cleveland was the only president that he was like the 22nd president and he lost. And then he was the 24th president. Like he, you know, he was president. He lost. He came back and won again. I could definitely see Trump doing that I hope not. Uh, just because of how poor Biden has been. And he, I, regardless of what I think of Donald Trump, there are a lot of good people uh, that aren't, like you said, racist and uh, pro-Nazi or anything, but they don't, all they do is watch Fox News and they're like, I'm going to vote for the I like him because, you know, I don't mind if he grabs him by the pussy and all this shit. They just ignore all that stuff. But well, we, we say worse stuff than that with the light bulb swinging. Clinton got a blowjob, you know? Just... Yeah, that was silly. But anyway, the bottom line is that I think he's got a strong fan base, and I say fans because they're so passionate about him. And combine that with people that just would be like, yeah, Biden has sucked. I mean, I, I don't know why he couldn't win again. Hell, he almost had close to 70 million votes anyway, right? So second most votes ever. And I say second, he did. He finished second, and he knows that. But he could easily win the next time if he if he can stay in shape. I'm not, these, I'm not making a fat joke. I'm just saying I, if he I, can help for him, I'm saying, because he is in his late 70s. But I could see him winning again, sure. Too much drama. Here is, but they, um, those people don't think that way. Yeah, uh, that is true. I uh, mean, uh, he's got a lot of supporters. At his last uh, rally, which was uh, in Iowa, or I should say the last rally he had in Iowa, um, this is Jordan Klepper of the Comedy Central talking to some of the people who from Iowa who went to the rally, let's take a, a listen. In the normal ways, with Confederate flags in Iowa and images of Trump on a velociraptor with a machine gun. <laughs> they Christ. all thunder that's a cult, blah, blah, but I feel like cult is such a negative word. We are not a cult. We are a group of Americans that love our country and We're want it back. Are there any old hits or things you hope he goes back to? Um. Oh gosh, I feel like whatever he spews out of his mouth, I just love it. Um. <laughs> I just love it. doesn't matter what he says. Yeah, we're like, gonna love it. I, I, I love being here. We're gonna love hearing what he has to say. But this isn't a cult. No, I don't think so. Not a cult at all. It's not like they would rather <laughs> almost piss themselves than miss a second of the Donald speech. But if they're already looking to Trump's yet to be announced 2024 campaign, what are the big issues? I really hope he gets to the topic of the border crisis. That's one of the bigger things right now because that's completely being rushed under the rug. And, and you're from. Iowa? I'm from Iowa. Yeah. Do you worry about people coming from Minnesota? Um. <laughs> Trump's potential campaign will also be I about, do worry about that, though. broken nation <laughs> caused by the current Biden administration. I mean, obviously, this administration is doing all it can 
to pit each other against each other. Yeah, every way, shape, and form, they've been trying to divide it. Yeah, it's like this administration is getting the middle finger to have Yes. Every, uh, the whole country, if you yes. ask me. And that's the just, whole damn country. That's just wrong. Yeah. It's absolutely wrong. We shouldn't be giving the middle right. finger to half the country. <laughs> the guys we should be wearing a t-shirt with two middle fingers pointed at Democrats. It doesn't matter what your opinions are, we can still be civil to each other exactly. and still be this great country that we Trump was very civil. Be, or we were at one point in time. Yeah, doing this is childish. Yes, I've had people stop talking to me. <laughs> anyway, a little bit of the, I think, uh, brainwashing that has occurred among whites in uh, in the United States. There are a lot of people who uh, Trump appeals to them because he's a white supremacist. And uh, when the, the, the whole saying, uh, make America great again, is they want to take America, these white supremacists, they want to take America back to the time where whites were clearly in control. There was no uh, 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 support for black candidates. I mean, this start this this started when Obama was elected president. All of a sudden, I'm seeing interviews from people from rural areas crying, literally crying, what's happening to my country and so forth. They were afraid of people of color being elected to office and now, you know, uh, gay people being elected to office and other people from, you know, different parts of the world who are Americans but have won elections. That That's what Trump uh, uh, dug into. He dug into that fear that was happening in America because things were changing so fast from the, the father knows best, some leave it to beaver America to a country that was much more diversified, that was much more inclusive. And when that started to happen, Trump tapped into that. And that's why we have uh, so much division in the United States. I agree with you. The gay, gay marriage issue was brought up in 04 and it was so unpopular. Mm -hmm. But by, by the time 16 rolled around, it was almost like we, the country was like, of course we support it. So, and that, that's, not even really i mean that's still in someone's lifetime that's just two elections later essentially or three i guess uh the point is that's a lot of change within a decade and a half there and you're right yeah. i think the, the people of that were a lot just of like, oh we gotta we gotta take our country back again and i think a lot of them enjoy how brazen he is because he's saying things that they wish they had the balls to say Yep. You got to yeah, look there's... at the data. The data says that there have been much more hate crimes since uh, Donald Trump uh, started running for president and was elected. The hate crimes uh, have grown exponentially and the social media hate, hate crimes and bullying from white people towards people of color have increased because Donald Trump gave these people who have kept their mouths shut for years and years ago, years, he gave them the permission to say, yeah. Fuck that. I want my country back. Who do you want it back from? And look at all the shit he said about the squad. Yeah. Yeah, the, the female minorities. Yeah, it made it seem like that they weren't really Americans, especially the one that's a Muslim. What's her name? The way, uh, I think she's from Minnesota. Yeah, I forget her name. Um, yeah, she... Yeah. yeah, he makes it sound like she's uh, like on the inside, like it's 1950 and... And he's like, oh, we've got a couple of communists in here. You know, like he's McCarthy. He's Joe McCarthy in that aspect. She's a Muslim, you know, but there are a lot of yeah. Muslims in America you, that don't You can't just them. boil it down to like people who are looking to, you know, this and that. Because like some people who 
who believed in, you know, America first wanted uh, to bring manufacturing back to America that had been outsourced to other countries. That was a lot of Clinton. You're right. The agenda, yeah. a, a agenda that people wanted. They wanted uh, better trade deals. They wanted uh, energy independence for America. If we're producing our own oil, where we can become one of the largest oil producers instead of buying it from places like Russia and Saudi Arabia and making those countries rich. You know, uh, uh, places like uh, Saudi Arabia and Libya, where oil was their largest uh, source of revenue, were able to provide for their people, give them free homes and free electricity and things like that. And a lot of uh, Americans thought that maybe, you know, a change towards that, that's really what it made. And other people thought, you know, wrongly, like the, it, with a racist agenda. But a lot of people, normal people, wanted... Uh, the good things of the agenda, getting getting uh, uh, the country back on track economically, you know that wasn't that was what a lot of people, good people, uh, saw in the agenda. You know that's it's not all about that. So a lot of people just boil it down to uh, being a racist agenda, and you can't look at it that way. I don't think because a lot of people feel that the best way to do good for uh, economically distressed people is to make the country uh, better economically. Cliff wants me to defend why crime is way up since Biden took office. He, he, he challenges challenges me to explain that. And it is true that uh, since Biden took office, crime has risen. But it, it's not like crime wasn't a problem before <laughs> Biden yeah. took office. It was Agreed. also high during that. And it's been the, the, the trend during uh, Trump's uh uh, last year in office and into the Biden era was that crime was going up. And if you look at the data, Cliff, most of the crime surges are in states that voted for Donald Trump. The red states, people people like to, you know, uh, blame, you know, Democratic cities are seeing the most uh, uh, surge in crimes. But that's not true. The data says that these mass shootings and, uh, and other crime rates that are going up high are generally in red states. And those are states where crime law, uh, gun laws are more lax. There, there, there are laws uh, where there are situations, socioeconomic situations where people are just fucking need food and they go out there and rob and steal desperate and so forth. Desperate people. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's it's just endemic of red states. We, we have those problems in blue states too. But it's Chicago. South yeah, side. absolutely. Chicago is a fucking, you know, the south side of Chicago is a fucking graveyard. I don't know so, how many shootings they have, but way too many, way too many. Um, and Cliff says it's not true. Uh, crime is vastly worse in blue states. Cliff, send me the data. I'd be happy to look at it. I can send you the data that I have, uh, which are government uh, numbers from uh, uh, that I have read uh, before. So I'd be happy to send you that. I, I Go ahead. I, I, I can't. I didn't see any rage. I voted for Obama twice. I loved Obama. A little disappointed in, you know, the lack of things that got done with all the hope, uh, all the hope and no change, you know, uh, lots of hope, no change. But uh, uh, I didn't experience I agree. Any, any rage at Obama. I, I, he was a Chicago guy, man. Eloquent. Loved his voice, you know. Uh Voted for him twice. Uh, I jokingly called him George W. Obama by a second term. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ran the country no differently. 
Well, guys, I, you know, I think we proved one thing that we can have some civil discussions, disagree on issues, uh, present our points of view. In some cases, we agree with one another. In some cases, we're diametrically opposed. But that's the great thing about our country is that we can talk about these issues and not be put into a jail cell. Unlike what Ron DeSantis wants to do in Florida, which is what he wants to limit free speech. He wants to limit uh, voting rights. Cliff Victoria is from uh, Florida. He loves DeSantis. Uh, he is totally, totally being misinformed on, on uh, DeSantis. But that's uh, a debate that we'll have for another day. Uh, guys, why don't we just go around quickly and uh, say your final uh, thoughts. I am ready for bed. I got to get up early. Uh, Tooch, we'll start with you, brother. Uh, follow me on Twitter where you can get a free play. Unfortunately, my free play lost, but my top play won. Yay. Was, uh, 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 first half uh, Dallas Mavericks over 55 and a half points. They scored 62 points. That was a mistake by the books tonight. I, that was one of my top bets tonight. Um, also had, uh, 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 what was my other play? That was my top play. Um I had uh, over the weekend, I had, I had uh, the Lightning to win uh, every time they played. I had the Oilers last game. Uh, I haven't checked the scores tonight. Uh, I've got the Oilers tonight also. don't know if they won or not, though. Too involved in the conversation. Uh, then, of course, Aldo and I had a chat before uh, mm-hmm. the show about our mothers and what the heck do we do with elderly parents when oh my God. it just becomes – blazingly difficult to care for them anymore whether you're you know uh, a person of means or a person of no means but just the the uh the the sheer uh burden and uh hard work it takes as you know parents age you know it's it's one of the toughest things i've ever faced in my life it really is man I, my heart goes out to you um you know, I know exactly what you're going through. My mom is uh, going through, you know, she's losing her mind. She's half the time it's yep. uh, dementia, you know, talking about, uh, boy, I caught this rat the other day and uh, now I'm trying to sell it on eBay <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> okay, My mom, mom also, dementia yeah. doesn't know, doesn't know where she is sometimes yeah. or lost, you know. Yeah, I wanted to put my phone on mute, you know, at, at one point to try to get some sleep at night because I haven't been sleeping well. And uh, right. then I realized I can't do that because over the last month and a half, I've gotten a number of calls from the home that she's at that she's fallen and they're obligated to call me and let me know, even if she wasn't seriously hurt. Uh, because my mom sometimes gets out of bed and she thinks yep. she's going to work. This 78-year-old woman is, I got to go to work. I got to get dressed. And so she gets out of bed, she falls, hurts her knee, whatever. And, you know, it's it's awful. And, and um, you know, it's not like we, you know, Tooch and I don't have, uh, and everybody else in this situation don't have a, a lot of other worries in life. This yep. just adds to the stress and um, it, it's sad. So, Tooch, I know what you're going through. Uh Dan, uh, finish us off on a bright note, please. Well, I want to tell you one thing negative and one thing positive. Sounds good. To finish the politics, I I really worry because of this radical uh, Supreme Court being six to three. I mean, these last couple uh, that uh, have gotten on the court, Brett Kavanaugh's, what was her name, Amy Barrett. These people that are just Amy Coney Barrett, just so far right. 
it's just a hundred years ago, a little more than a hundred years ago, you had Schenck versus New York, uh, a major landmark case where the guy was arrested for just uh, disseminating a anti-World War One leaflet. Mm-hmm. He opposed America's involvement in the First World War and went to jail. But the Supreme Court ultimately ruled in his favor. I don't think this court would. And today, if this same case went to the Supreme Court today, and the thing on abortion to me is next thing, I think they're going to try to attack gay rights. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to roll back weed. I'm not even a weed smoker, but I think anything radical that goes to this court, they are going to advocate. That's scary to me. And that's Obama's fault. He could have gotten, he could have fought fucking hard, fought McConnell, but he thought it would help Hillary. And he's like, oh, we, you know, you can't let Donald Trump have a Supreme Court pick. You better vote for Hill Dog. And how, how well did that go? He got three fucking picks. And then when, you know, the same standard that he used to block Obama, then in less amount of time, he rushed to help Trump get another pick. It's just so hypocritical. And I, I have so much anxiety about that because it's not me people are going to fuck. I mean, let's keep it real. They're not coming after me as a single white man or even if I'm married. Uh, the only thing they're coming after me for is maybe that I'm not a Christian. But they're going to come after minorities and stuff, you know, and roll back progress. That bothers me. But to give you something positive, something you already know, talking about family, when I was in Florida, I, I got to uh, – to be with my aunt Gina, whom I hadn't seen since yes. 1996. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Uh, it's weird because I last time I saw her, when I closed my eyes, I envisioned a 34-year-old woman who whom is now 60. Mm-hmm. But the last time she saw me, I was 15, and now I'm 41. So it was wow. a great three hours that I had with her. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely tremendous. It couldn't have gone any better. So in that regard, oh, look at that. again, cemented my trip as being a success. She's pretty hot did, looking. Did you swim in the ocean? I got in the ocean. Uh, yeah. First night nice. we were there, but I didn't go swimming. Nice. I just stood in the ocean and, and drank some beer. Very cool. But it was at night too, so I w- didn't have to worry about getting my white ass burned. You know. How how old is your aunt? She just turned sixty. Wow, she is very young looking. That's what I'm saying. She. Uh, last time I saw her, she was 33 or 34. I think 34. Wow. Yeah, because she's born in 62. Wow, um, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> Just she kidding. survived. She's divorced. Uh, she she's survived divorced? Uh, <laughs> numerous cancer scares, like not even just scares, like tumors and stuff. And has had to have a full hysterectomy and then had tumors like on her uh, – uh, shit her bowels and had to get part of that cut out like they caught it like four different times and and she's beaten it each time because it was they caught it early wow i held it up just, the uh, i held up the picture of you and your aunt and steven wants to know if that's the undertaker with your aunt oh that's good <laughs> that is good steven. i told her i said cancer is resilient but she she interrupted me and she said no i'm resilient she sure sounds like it, man. God bless yeah. her. I know you're an atheist, um, 
Sometimes. Well, no, no, I don't like to be called an atheist, but I'm what, not. What would, you, what would you like to be called? Agnostic? Would you like to be called? Yeah, well, if if I say I'm an atheist, then by definition, I'm telling people that are religious they're wrong, and I don't want to do that because I don't believe that they're wrong. I just don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have. And that's fine. But I, I, I'm the same way. I can't tell them that they're wrong. But to me, atheists a lot of times want to stir up shit and like complain about people praying in school and things like people praying doesn't bother me whatsoever. I just don't do it. If I'm in a room where people are praying, I pretend that I'm praying. I don't have to pull out my dick and make a fucking scene of it. Most atheists are like that. Yeah, that, and that's like, wrong. That's totally yeah, wrong. I'm not like that. You I mean think think how Bill Maher is? I, I look, I'm not a believer, so Maher's anti-religious thing shit. It's funny to me, but I couldn't act that brazen around people. I wouldn't want to. It's it's that's I mean it's such a difficult thing because I mean, look. I'm a gambling man. I find it very improbable that there's this giant sky god in the air that has power over everything. I mean, that to me seems very unlikely, dude. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I just find it very hard to believe in. In fact, I most of the I find I, I think the Bible has about as much truth in it as Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. You know? I, just, <laughs> I, I mean it's those are just fiction. It's fiction to me. Or at least that's what my nose smells, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I haven't seen any evidence for it. I would love to believe in it. You know, Pascal's wager, you know, it's better to believe in it in case you're wrong, you know, that kind of thing. But you know, it's, it's so hard. I'm, I'm like, I'm like a doubting Thomas, a born, natural skeptic. I don't believe everything that people say all the time. You know, I, I always tend to lean on the side of doubt, you know, and then like hedge from there, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, Aldo, it's, we need to write a book, or all three of us can go in on it. Sure. You mentioned Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Yeah. How about Rutherford B. Hayes, Pussy Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> that's not a book. That's a was movie, he like man. A lady? Was he a ladies' man? Or? No, I just thought of a president that would sound funny. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, man, I had no idea Mr. Hayes was uh, hit with the ladies. <laughs> That's right. oh, I already referenced Grover Cleveland once, so I couldn't use him. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, let's li- li- listen to uh, as a good, as a way to close the show. Uh, George Carlin on God. <laughs> Religion has, has actually, actually convinced people that there's an invisible man <laughs> living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the Invisible Man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. (laughs) But he loves you. That's a perfect way to close the show. What do, what do you yep. guys say? You ready to say I goodbye? I concur. <laughs> All right. He That's loves you. I love you. I love the Tooch. I love Dan Aguirre. I love everyone who is still up with us. There's 30 people wow. still up with us hanging around. Uh, and I uh, really appreciate everyone's support of the show. Let people know about Dan and Aldo. Tell them that we usually talk a lot more sports than we do politics, but, you know, it's it's hard nowadays. we got to find something to talk period, about. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit of a dead period. <laughs> exactly. We're talking exactly. about Tevin Jenkins losing weight, fellas. Come on. <laughs> You're not on board with that? 
What the hell? <laughs> right? At least we're still doing the shows. I mean, a lot of shows take off, you know. Yeah. Well, speaking they of just that, don't, I, they don't do a show in the summer, you know, and you're still are you on vacation home. next week. No, not next week, but in July, I'm going to okay. be in San Diego for a week and a half. But I'll let you oh, guys my schedule. Love San Diego. My my favorite city that I've ever oh. visited in the United States so far. Yep. I yeah, love you know, I had the best Mexican food there in my life, mm. and in uh, uh, in San Diego, and uh, I think it was a gas lamp district. Yeah, a place yeah. called Funky Garcia's with some home cooking man uh, tacos and a whole spread. Man, it was the best I've ever had in my life. Man, definitely uh, Funky Garcia's, just a, a bar that serves food. Man, it was. I had a nice home cooked meal there. Man, delicious. I'll never forget it. And you know who lives in San Diego now? Jordan Silver. the show, Eric Kramer. Oh, right. All right. Uh, Cliff. Just a fun fact. He mentioned that when we had him on. <laughs> Stephen May Buster loves us. Stephen Me says that he loves us, but not in the gay way. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen, for that. Cliff Victoria says, Dan Aldo Tooch, I'm not afraid to state my opinions, but I love the show. And, and that's that's the important thing. As, as Richard Long says, civil discussion. Yeah, this was civil. It wasn't like my stupid ass self last week where I got all emotional. Um, and so that's what we're going to continue to do during this off season. We'll have uh, some civil discussions on issues that are important. Because let's face it, as much as we love the Bears and we would prefer to be talking about escapist things, Bears and movies and so forth, there are some things uh, that are a little bit more important. And what yeah, happened yeah. today in Texas is uh, was uh, an important way to start the show and to sort of end the show in that way. All right. For Dan Aguirre, uh, Johnny Santucci, and me, Aldo Gandia, we'll see you all tomorrow uh, on the Barroom Network. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down.